Merry Christmas and welcome to the MJ Cast. This is our Christmas extravaganza episode recorded on the 22nd of December 2015. And we have got a fun show planned for you guys today. Lots of news to discuss, all kinds of great flashback clips from our previous episodes from the past year, a few discussion topics between Q and I to do with 2015 and what our hopes are for the next year, and quite a few special thank yous for our listeners. Enjoy this Christmas extravaganza episode of the MJ Cast. The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. I love you! <laughs> I love my fans. Just simply Michael Jackson. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. All right, so... Just to kick things off, I want to give a very special thank you to James. James, you know who you are. You do an incredible job. This show would not be possible without you. Your guidance at the very beginning of when we started the MJ cast was absolutely necessary for us to get things off the ground. And your continual support uh, behind the scenes allows us to get this show up and running and out to our listeners every time we release an episode. So thank you, James, from the bottom of our hearts. We can't wait to collaborate further on season two of the MJ cast in 2016. Q, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. Merry Christmas. I love Christmas so much. It's so wonderful. House is decorated and yeah, got the tree up, got fake presents all under it because we haven't got real presents. So yeah, I love it. It's the best time of the year. I love driving around town looking at all the houses with the beautiful Christmas lights. And even though the town I live in is a small mining town in rural Australia, the community still does such a good job of dressing their houses up in the most beautiful Christmas decorations. Well, I hope this time next year I'll be doing the same for my uh, my first house. And we'll you're going. And your we'll Brad be- Sunderberg-inspired backyard with Christmas <laughs> that's, theme. That's not going to be happened by Christmas. I can tell you that <laughs> right now. That's going to be a big, big job. <laughs> oh, wow. It's just such a beautiful time of the year. I'm so glad that we can uh, you know, celebrate it as MJ fans. Isn't this just so many cool MJ Christmas-related things? We're so lucky to have a Jackson 5 Christmas album, which I've been listening to a lot. It's been on heavy rotation in, in the Bull family household. And, of course, the awesome clips from Michael Jackson Private Home Movies when Elizabeth Taylor basically introduced Michael to his first Christmas back in 1993. Absolutely beautiful. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you guys haven't seen Michael Jackson's Private Home Movies, best MJ television special ever. Best ever. So awesome. You know what scene I love from that? You know the bit where he's like... um, running around his pool, and then I think it's Macaulay Culkin pushes him in the pool. <laughs> I'm a good person. I just washed my hair. That's right. And off, yeah, off the, off the diving board. I just had a shower. <laughs> so many awesome highlights. I would just be talking about the whole show if I started. Do you remember the bit where he's in the shopping mall and he's got the cart and that guy's like, if you can't control your cart, you shouldn't shop. Oh, and my got, God. And they've got the Billy Jean elevator music playing and he's got one washing glove on like a kitchen washing glove oh my god well i sort of you know it would be fun to do 
Christmas shopping in the grocery store all alone like Michael got to do because I did some today and it was crazy. Out of control. Crazy at the shops. How are you going? Did you get all your Christmas presents for people or? I think so. I'm Every year I go, yeah, yeah, I'll be more organized and it just work is out of control, busy at this time of year, not much time off at all and and also the weather. Like what's the weather like where you are at the moment? Uh, really hot. I know most of our listeners deal with Fahrenheit, but in Celsius, we are 40 degrees average in the middle of the day. Uh, it's, yeah, like I said, mining town, rural Australia, it's really, really hot and dry out here at the moment. So lucky I've got air conditioners, except when I'm recording a podcast. Yeah, it's about the same here today. So yeah, close to 40 degrees today, which for the one country, I think only that doesn't do Celsius and metric, uh, that would be 98 degrees at the moment. Last time I checked. Isn't there a band called 98 degrees? It's like a boy band. Used to be. And they they performed on the 30th 30th anniversary. Yeah, Man in the Mirror. That's right. All I remember is Nick's pecs. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He's got that low-cut black top. And that tan. Is that a fake tan? That is, man. (laughs) (laughs) Good old Nick. (laughs) Random. (laughs) Should we get into the couple of bits of news we've got before we get into the awesome best of extravaganza we've got planned for you absolutely we've only got a few news items this week it's been a bit of a slow news couple of weeks uh which is in my books is actually a bit of a good thing because it's been hardcore with all the news in uh 2015 things are starting to wind down now being the holidays so there's no big announcements or anything like that happening Hopefully, hopefully. I don't want any big <laughs> announcements because they're probably not going to be great. No, no, that's right. And recently we actually, yeah, there was an, an a quote-unquote announcement that we all stayed up till a very late hour to, to see. Jamin, Jamin, be prepared. Everyone has to be prepared. There's going to be a big <laughs> announcement. So everyone stay tuned. We're going to announce something really big. <laughs> oh, my God, I couldn't believe it. The MJ Estate. The, uh, actually, the Michael Jackson online team reached out to a number of Michael Jackson fan communities and actually uh, leaked information. They purposely leaked out that there was going to be a quote-unquote big announcement coming at uh, 9 a.m. on a particular date a few days ago. I can't remember exactly what date it was. That worked out to be a very late hour in Australia, roughly around midnight. So here I am stupid Jamin staying up late again in the hopes of a really exciting Michael Jackson announcement. And I should have learnt my lesson by now that most of their announcements are less than great. And no, still got my hopes up. So there I am sitting at my computer, 12 o'clock midnight, waiting for this announcement. Now You weren't only sitting at your computer. I was tucked into bed because I was away <laughs> on a trip. You were, before I went to bed, you said, oh, I'm going to live tweet this. Yeah. And that's what you did. You live tweeted. Every step. up to the announcement. <laughs> and then it was great, great breakfast reading the next morning, I can tell you. Well, yeah, we, I had a lot of fun interacting with uh, some of our listeners uh, talking about this announcement. It was great. We were talking about all kinds of things that they possibly could announce. Uh, some people making fun of uh, Sony saying that we were going to get Michael Jackson themed back scratches and toilet seats and all kinds of crazy stuff based on their amazing previous announcements. But uh, it turns out that the announcement 
wasn't for a new product. Now, I was absolutely sure that they were going to announce off the wall, whether it be a reissue of the album or a new documentary, like we know we're getting from Spike Lee early next year. Um, Unfortunately, it was nothing of the sort. Their announcement was simply telling the world that Thriller, the album, had now gone on to be 30 times multi-platinum. In the US. In the US. Now, let's not underplay that. That is actually a really big deal in terms of how much it sold. Did the estate need to hype up the fan community for an announcement just telling us that Thriller had sold a bunch more copies? I don't think so. Yeah, it sort of got our hopes up, I think, and then once again dashed them back down. So... Yeah, it was hilarious breakfast reading, hearing from uh, a lot of our listeners about the what they were thinking it was going to be and then the reaction of like, oh, Thriller sold a lot of albums. We already knew that. But <laughs> congratulations to Thriller, of course, because so it's in the albums worldwide, It's is it 100 million albums? Absolutely. It's 100 million albums worldwide just over 30 million albums in the US alone. So it is a huge achievement, but yeah, thanks for getting our hopes up, estate <laughs> execs. I swear to God, I thought it was going to be, you know, we haven't had anything new for about a year. 2015's actually been a very, very quiet year uh, for Michael Jackson product releases. So I thought, well, they'll kick off 2016 with a big bang and they'll do the announcement now. And no, nope, turns out no. Uh, You know, we shouldn't let that detract from the achievement, though. Like, I mean, Michael has actually sold a billion records globally. He is the biggest um, selling artist of all time. And of course, Thriller is a tenth of that in terms of sales. So it's a huge chunk of his overall sales. And what an incredible album. For those of you who don't know a bit of the background behind Thriller, uh, we often think about it as, you know, being an album that, you know, pretty much Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones masterminded. But it is important to remember that there were a lot of other people involved with the album. That's right. Of course, it also features like Eddie Van Halen on Beat It, Jerry Hay on Horns, Lewis Johnson on Bass, Steve Lukather on Guitar, Paul McCartney Greg Fillingaines and Steve Picaro, who does keys, Jeff Picaro on drums, Vincent Price, the master of horror himself, Bruce Swedean, recording engineer, and of course, the incredible art we got from Rod Temperton. Yeah, brilliant songwriter. What an amazing lineup of people that all contributed to that album, and it was such a great group effort. I really encourage you, if you want to learn more about the recording of Thriller, probably the best book that I've ever read. Uh, that sums up that whole period really well would have to be Joe Vogel's Man and the Music. If you want the behind the scenes story of the creation of Thriller, including all of those uh, collaborators, make sure you pick up that book. It's a really good one. So Thriller came out November 30th, 1982, and it went on to win a record-breaking eight Grammys. It spent two and a half years on the Billboard charts in its initial run and 37 weeks at number one. It was also the first album to spend its first 80 weeks in the Billboard's top 10. What an incredible achievement for Michael Jackson and all of those people involved. This is when I kind of usually would recommend to our listeners to go out and buy whatever thing we're talking about, but I'm pretty sure everybody owns Thriller already. (laughs) Probably more than once. I've got a stack of about 400 different versions of that album that's come out. What's your favorite version? 
I have no idea. There's too many. <laughs> My favorite is actually the one that came out in 2001. Uh, I know it doesn't have, you know, the Thriller 25 remixes that came out. No but, loss. Yeah, I don't really like those anyway. I, I really enjoyed the the special edition that came out in 2001 with some of the spoken word stuff on there from Quincy at the end. I think all the 2001 special editions were actually really, really great. Except Dangerous. That was the well, same album. It was. I think it was remastered. It sounded better, but there was no additional stuff at all. That wasn't the original plan, though. What were they going to do with it? There was Dangerous was um, like listed as being a two-disc, and oh. there was meant to be things on there. Now, I don't remember some of the tracks. All I really remember, I think Monkey Business was meant to be on there and things called Bumper Snippet. Oh, that's right. That's maybe when all those leaks happened. Maybe. But, yeah, it was disappointing when Dangerous was not the double version sort of special edition that came out and it was only just a single disc. But, yeah, that was plans change. Hopefully one day Dangerous gets the uh, the reissue that it deserves. I know there's, oh, a, great, there's a great track sitting out there that no one's heard before, uh, but it's actually a Blackstreet song called Joy, beautiful song that Teddy Riley uh, wrote with Blackstreet. Actually, I think he wrote it for Michael. Michael didn't. Uh, use it and then Blackstreet ended up recording their own version and releasing it but uh, it's a beautiful song it actually sounds a lot a lot like someone put your hand out and I really hope that the version that Michael sings on which we know exists because Teddy's spoken about it in interviews comes out one day especially on a dangerous reissue that would be awesome well there's just you know dreams for the future we'd love a, a really awesome dangerous reissue and then I think they could really put together an incredible history reissue. And then, of course, Vince. Vince. That would be awesome. Just, you know, second disc with a whole bunch of stuff, we would crave and just love that. So another piece of news recently came out is a funny-sounding documentary on Michael Jackson, apparently narrated by Bubbles. Yeah, this will be interesting. Yeah, it looks... uh pretty strange i must say we've got a documentary coming out around the corner that we'll speak about soon by spike lee but this one i don't know if this is actually going to get made so what happened was in the 2015 blacklist which is an annual rundown of hollywood's best unproduced screenplays uh there was a a screenplay that actually came up it was written by isaac adamson and it gained 44 votes amongst the 500 executives that were actually polled for this blacklist placing it above possible biopics like one about the Boston Marathon uh, bombing survivor. It's a pretty strange-sounding story, isn't it, Q? Yeah, it's sort of making me think of, like, being John Malkovich or some really weird art house sort of interpretation, and I don't know how it will go. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I did, I did like the movie Being John Malkovich, though, I will admit. <laughs> yeah, but, like, how are they – like, how often is something like this actually going to be – accurate and positive for Michael and his art and his genius. I don't think it could be. No, and I don't want to sort of get excited in case it's definitely not going to be. So the whole premise of the story is that the the movie is from the point of view. It's a biopic about Michael, but it's from the perspective of Bubbles, his pet chimp that he Probably owned. the most famous of his pet chimps ever. He was a celebrity in his own right back in the 80s. Some great footage of Michael sipping tea with Bubbles in a Japanese press conference during the Bad Tour. Uh, but really, really great 
pet, you know, awesome, awesome uh, monkey. Companion, yeah. really. Yeah. yeah. It, seemed, it feels weird calling Bubbles a pet, actually, because he's totally. like... Totally. Yeah, he spent so much time with Michael, and I think he was much more than that. And, you know, like, I guess in this movie it would be Bubbles having a human voice, like literally narrating maybe from his mind about these interactions he was having with Michael and, and living with Michael and what Michael was going through. It, it has the potential, I guess, to be funny, uh, but... I think I would prefer it to be funny than it to be negative. Oh, I, I agree. But I think that... Mm, how can I say this without sounding disrespectful? <laughs> like, I think that one of the only ways it could be funny is if some of those negative incidents that happened in Michael's life while Bubbles was around were brought to light. And uh, I don't really know how they could do it without being overly offensive. It sounds to me like it would be sort of like a black comedy sort of thing. Like Mm. here's this pet that lives with Michael that gets to see all of this stuff happening, you know, him getting sued, him getting, you know, building um, theme parks in his backyard. You know what I mean? Like that's the sort of stuff that I, I guess would be comedic in it. Yeah, like oxygen chambers yeah. and plastic surgery stuff and, like, you know, the, the Pepsi fire incident and stuff like that. Like, I, I don't know. I don't have any evidence that they're the things they would make fun of, but they're certainly not going to, you know, it's we know it's meant to be a comedic uh, biopic and I can't see them making fun of things that are not funny, like, you know, the um, the Bad World Tour. Like, I mean, what the hell's funny about that? It's, a, it's an awesome thing. So I think the only way that... Uh, this kind of comedy could work as if they did make fun of some of those controversial aspects. I can't be, can't see it being respectful. And I just generally don't think that Michael Jackson as a person can ever be correctly portrayed by an actor. And just in general, I can't imagine who could do a good job of that. Um, nobody really... I know I know the actor wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily have to look like Michael, but... That would be such a disconnect in some way yeah i just i couldn't do it like I, I i don't know maybe it's because i'm such a mega fan of michael and i've seen so much footage of him i would just not be able to watch any biopic of him documentaries bring them on i love docos love them but this is more of a biopic style film rather than a documentary i think well we will see maybe like i guess looking back uh, a chimpanzee in these situations is funny enough. Like, a, you know, a chimpanzee at a press conference, a chimpanzee wearing awesome human clothes, a chimpanzee doing what Bubbles did, I guess, is funny enough. Maybe that's all they're going to need. Maybe. And, 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 and maybe the Michael aspect will just be a sort of a, a backdrop and they don't need to focus on Michael as a person, maybe? I don't know. That that would be the direction I would take with it. I mean, what would be cool is if they actually just used actual footage, like documentary footage from the time, but like really dropped the sound right down from it and then had Bubbles' thoughts over the top of these actual pieces of footage from Michael Jackson history. That would be a cool way to do it. Whether they take that road, who knows? Because, you know... <laughs> Probably Bubbles back then thought he was a celebrity because he was. He had a huge fan following himself, especially like in Japan. Definitely. So, yeah, this is all. This is all supposing that it actually gets made. Like, oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, it may not even come to fruition. Yeah. Well, we'll keep you posted. I guess. 
But speaking of films, of course, we are excited for uh, early next year, Michael Jackson's journey from Motown to Off the Wall. The new Spike Lee joint is going to be uh, unveiled and premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in January. So just today, I think, the artwork for it has come out. That's right. It came out, uh, I think, when we woke up, Australia time, roughly 9am. It had already been out for about four hours. Spike Lee put it up on his Instagram. Uh, but yeah, the main sort of artwork, the poster, I guess, for the documentary, which is called Michael Jackson's Journey from Motown to Off the Wall, bit of a mouthful. The artwork is here and I love it. Yep, it's pretty cool. It's very retro, very colorful. They use that original great um, photo of Michael uh, from the Off the Wall era in the uh, tuxedo. Well, it's an original. It's not the original. No, the real original one isn't. Isn't that the one where he's got a big afro? Yes. Yeah. It's it's yep. funny how that was used for the original LP pressing, but ever since the special editions onwards of that album that have come out, that picture was never kind of reused. Yeah. Wonder what the story is there, but no, I love the colors of this. It's it's really cool. Yeah, it looks really great. Very retro, very classic sort of Spike Lee. Uh, so big props to Spike. Uh, I think it's a it's a better poster in my opinion than what we saw for Bad Twenty Five with the picture collage across the uh, the famous Bad album cover. And I'm just I was getting a little bit tired of the estate and Sony putting out picture montages. Uh, in their artwork. They did it for This Is It. They did it for Bad 25. I think they even did it for the, the Vision box set. This time they've taken a new tact and they've created something that looks very unique and interesting. Yep, looking forward to it. Well, that's it for our news. Pretty short, we promised you. Yeah, I bet Jenkins is wishing he was on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> he was on our biggest news episode ever. <laughs> oh, I'm still catching up on those leaks. I watched the, uh, the 1993 Is It Scary the, the early, the first version of Ghosts, I watched that just uh, the other day and what a dream come true to see that. Oh, just incredible. It was weird watching it with different actors in the same roles as the one we'd already seen, like especially the mayor. Uh, but I adjusted to it very quickly and I thought it was an excellent piece of work and I can't imagine what it would have felt like in the early 90s for all of those actors and, and the crew members that worked so hard on that for it not to come out. I yeah I, I sort of wonder looking back I remember the um Adams family films mm. the 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 two that were um in the cinemas in the time and and this was connected to the second one Adams family values which I love it's a terrific terrific film and of course Michael does make a bit of a cameo in a way in Adams family values which I always thought was hilarious but if this had actually come to fruition and this had come out yeah, it would have really changed the, the sort of the Michael atmosphere that we had in the 90s. Um, it would have been, yeah, something, re a real gem if it had come out. In the end, though, like I'm kind of glad in hindsight that it didn't because, of course, then in 97, we actually got an expanded version of this video, which, of course, we know as Ghosts. Which is an absolute work of art and I think as a whole just his sort of pinnacle really of filmmaking 
definitely agree. So if you guys want to catch up with that and see the video and all of the other leaks that happened, I think we're up to 12 or 13 individual leaks now. Uh, make sure you head on to uh, episode 22 of the MJ Cast, our show notes on the MJCast.com. It's uh, called the Moonwalk Talks Simulcast. And you're going to see lots and lots of leaks on there, right from acapellas all the way through to full live shows that Michael performed to standalone little performances, alternate tracks of things. There's a lot there to go through. And uh, yeah, Merry Christmas. (laughs) There'll be a lot to catch up on during the break. Tom Mesero, Darren Haynes, Christophe Charlot, and Raquel from MJUNIFC. Thank you so much for all of your contributions to the MJ cast in 2015. We've had so much fun working with you. Hello, and thank you for all your love, your support, and your loyalty. I love you all so much. It has been a source of uh, strength and inspiration. I wish you a very happy Christmas and a peaceful new year. I look forward to seeing you soon, and I love you all dearly. Thank you very much. I'm Lavelle Smith Jr. Thanks for joining us on the MJ Cast. Big thank you to Mary Anthony, Karen O'Halloran, D. Francis, author of 13th of June 2005, who supplied our prizes for our first ever competition this year. Thank you so much. 
All right, let's get into some flashbacks now. We've put together a, a special segment for listeners. This is a, a bit of a, a, a walk through time. We're going to start right back at the beginning of 2015 and listen to some of those highlight moments from our year as the MJ cast. Enjoy. Jeez, can you believe it's been a whole year since our debut test episode zero thing? Well, whenever anyone asked me, I was like, oh, yeah, I think we started in like March or something or April. But it was like, what, February? Yeah, it was really early on. I can't remember the exact date, but it was pretty early in the year. And man, that was I was actually a little bit nervous putting that out. I had no idea how people were going to receive it. I wanted to make sure it was only just... 10 minutes long, really just to test the iTunes feed, uh, but a little bit scary. It still gets downloaded a lot. It gets episode zero and one get downloaded way more than like our middle episodes because people often go back like new listeners and want to go back and hear the first couple of things we did. Well, they're probably trying to figure out who these two pelicans are. <laughs> and I think I have a sneaking suspicion that Episode one is advertised on Damien Shields' website. So anyone that goes to his article, that's the one they see. Oh, yes. He did do a good little um, rap for us. That was pretty cool. <laughs> good old Damo. Thanks, Damien. <laughs> I was on the iTunes store recently and, and just looking through it, what was available for, for all different categories. And I typed in Michael Jackson, like I do often just to see what's out there. And surprisingly, there wasn't a lot that came up. I mean, if you type in the Beatles, if you type in Elvis, you type in the names of any of these other massive artists that have really changed the world on iTunes, and you will see a plethora of them. You look up, you look up the Beatles, and you're going to find, you know, at least eight or nine podcasts out there about those guys. You look up Michael Jackson, you look that up, you're probably going to find two. One of them hasn't been updated in a while, and it's just, I don't know why the guy isn't given the same kind of level of, of justice when it comes to podcasting. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to start my own. I'm going to get one out there, see what happens, and we'll go from there. I might actually talk a little bit about myself and how I became a fan. And, you know, I can pinpoint the exact time. It was 2001. Um, and of course, you know, I, I've been, a, I've been interested in Michael a lot longer than that. I can remember being a really little kid growing up in the, uh, you know, the, the early nineties, just being fascinated by the dangerous album and the history album and, and those kind of things. But, but not, not so much on the level of a fan, just like a distant admirer, I guess you'd say. And, and I knew he existed and was an incredible artist, but it really wasn't until I was in, I remember it was 10th grade, 2001. And at that particular time, I was m more interested in, in world events, actually, more than anything else. Massive scale things that would go on. It might have been the Olympic Games or it could have been um, other gala events or maybe uh, the Oscars or different shows like that that would happen around the world. I, I loved the idea of the world stopping and just watching these massive scale events that went on. And it just so happened that in that very year, um, there was a massive event that happened for Michael. 
And it was, of course, as you, as you probably know, it was called the 30th Anniversary Celebration. And it was a concert put together, a two-night two event put together by David Guest, a childhood friend, actually, of, the, of Michael and the Jackson family. Um, and he put together this incredible celebration for Michael where literally entertainment royalty came out from, uh, you know, all around the world. And uh, specifically, some very notable individuals from Hollywood, whether whether we're talking about actors like Elizabeth Taylor or Samuel L. Jackson or contemporary artists like Usher or Beyonce, Missy Elliott and Justin Timberlake. We're even talking about Motown greats, people that Michael grew up with and were inspired by, people like Dionne Warwick. And it was just an incredible show. I was blown away. I mean, I sat down with my family and we started watching it and, and the show was a very slow kind of build up to the big moment at the very end. And it started with all of these tribute performances from incredible artists paying respect and homage to the King. And we saw some amazing renditions of Michael's work. And, you know, we saw, well, I, I just remember being blown away by some of those performances by people like Al Jarreau and, and Jill Scott doing some of those songs from The Wiz or whether it was Destiny's Child doing an incredible rendition of, um, I think it was Bootylicious, and in the middle of it they did a, a great little Billie Jean uh, performance to uh, to honour the King as well. And I just think all of that was really great, and I was blown away, but there was this moment, you know, when Liz Taylor came out on the stage and she introduced what was to go down as a historic moment in music history when the Jacksons reunited for the first time on stage since the Victory Tour. And uh, there's, you know, up up pops Michael from the stage and the brothers are there and and, and they, they launch Can You Feel It? And they're, they're singing and they're dancing. And, you know, you gotta, you got to remember that I was just a, a teenager at this time watching this, not having much experience knowing who these guys are. And, you know, what are my friends listening to at that time? It's, you know, Blink-182 and <laughs> Limp Bizkit and, and Eminem and all these different bands. And and here I am watching the Jacksons and just thinking these guys are untouchable, untouchable. And they were. They, they just held my attention for that entire set. And seeing, and I, and I knew about the troubles Michael had had for the, the previous decade and seeing him hit the stage, you know, unified with his brothers performing in that way just took my breath away and then just when you think the show couldn't get any better you see chris tucker come out and introduce a solo set by michael starting with the way you make me feel and boy i can't put into words how magical that was i was just my jaw was on the floor at this point you know and you watch the way you make me feel you're watching black or white beat it and it's all great and brilliant video montages and incredible performances. And then you get to the crescendo of the whole show, which is Michael performing Billie Jean live. And I just, <laughs> the way he moonwalked across the stage and that dance breakdown at the end with the, with, um, you know, the sideways moonwalk and all of those great moves, I was just floored. And even to this day, when I watched that performance, it's in my opinion, probably one of the best performances he ever gave. Um, incredible, incredible stuff. And from that moment onwards, massive fan, absolutely followed him every step of the way until, you know, today. And uh, whether it was, you know, some of those really high points of him putting out some great products like Number Ones and the Ultimate Collection, Thriller 25, and then ultimately preparing for, for This Is It, his incredible comeback concerts, 
or whether it was some of those low points like um, his trial against false child molestation charges. You know, it's, there's been some great times and there's been some tough times for, for Michael fans, but at the end of it all, the thing is with that last decade of his life, I feel really privileged that I was able to be a, a, a fan during that time because we were able to stand by him through through thick and thin and uh, if I can say one thing, it's it's incredible that by the end of his life, he was ready to hit that stage again and do what he did best and just show the world why he is the king of pop. And I believe we did see see a lot of that in the, in the This Is It uh, documentary film that came out around the time of his death. What are your memories about episode one? Freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> and being super, 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 super organized, like having a glass of water or something with a straw in it <laughs> and um, making sure I had like a pencil or like, you know, a couple of backup things to write with, um, notepad open if I had to take notes. And I think I had notes for things that we we're going to talk about, definitely about the uh, Fadley Jackson uh, history statue and about the history of that. So I remember being super, super organized. And now it's just like, yep, just move all this ironing off the chair and sit down. <laughs> I remember that too. I was in a cupboard recording you were, on an you esky. were in a cupboard <laughs> on an esky and it was very hot. It was very hot and I wanted to make sure I got the best sound possible. And since then I kind of realized, yeah, it's a little bit better sound, but it's a crap load of work for only marginally better sound so uh it, it was a weird weird situation because it was the, it was like the middle of summer in a cupboard and i came out of the cupboard after like two and a half hours of recording absolutely drenched in sweat yeah that's not worth it not worth it at all but uh yeah it was i i remember um actually also being really like overwhelmed in the few days before we recorded the first episode because of the amount of news that was coming in. And I don't think I was used to it at that point that we were getting like Fadley Jackson stuff and MJ news. And it was like, whoa, there's so much happening. Now it's like another day at the office. <laughs> I think the amount of news that we get every episode still surprises me. I really was like, how are we going to do a podcast every couple of weeks with new stuff to talk about? I really didn't think there was going to be that much news. Yeah. Well. But there always is. Especially for someone that passed away, you know, years ago at this point. It's like so much happening. It's out of control. It's out of control. Yep. But then again, we we kind of, I guess, more we are more MJ and the Jacksons more so than strictly Michael. So. Yeah, if there's not a lot of Michael one week, there's usually something with the Jacksons to talk about instead. But yeah, yeah, that was the birth of it all. Oh, crikey. How long is this going to go for then? <laughs> I'll have to, my memory is really bad with dates and that kind of thing as yeah. well. So I will do my best. Um, so I've been a Michael fan ever since I was quite young. So it's definitely the majority of my life now. Um, I remember me and my sister doing um, like concerts for mum and dad in the lounge room as kids. And we that was from music on vinyl records. Now, I remember we used to do concerts to the Beatles and there was Jackson 5 songs on compilation records that mum and dad have. So I sort of have memories of that. I remember uh, Michael Jackson videos on 
TV when I was young, um, especially from the bad era because that was in the 80s when I was a kid. I'm an 80s kid pretty much. Um, so I remember certain videos like Smooth Criminal and things like that. I remember the Moonwalker video. I think we must have rented it when we either had a VHS or VHS. I even remember. Or beta. VHS. All those kids out there. We didn't have beta. No. no. It was proper VHS. All those kids out there were like, what's a VHS? They're those big plastic video Tapey cassettes, yeah. tapes. Uh, the footage was actually on magnetic tape that went through a machine and then screened on your huge, or actually, no, it was a big box but a small screen on the old cathode ray TVs. So I do remember Moonwalker a bit. Um, so I have happy memories of all of that kind of stuff, but I wouldn't have called myself a huge fan back then. What nailed it for me was in um, late 1991, I think it was October, when the black or white single came out. And that was a that was a huge thing all over the world because they did a simultaneous sort of video screening all over the world. And that video, the full-form video when that premiered was, that was the bomb diggity. That was the most awesome thing out of this world. Isn't that video still so cool? Oh, I, so, I watch it regularly. <laughs> yeah. And, and the whole thing, like as a kid or a young, young guy, that really blew my mind. Mm. So I was like, who is this guy? Who is this Michael Jackson? So it started pretty much, I can nail it to that song, was like my fan baptism song in that video. Um, and that era was quite an exciting era. Um, so I don't remember the actual Dangerous album coming out, but I remember the singles as they got onto the radio and when videos were made uh, onto TV, like video hits back in those days or Rage on the TV. And I used to, when we did have a VHS of our own, I would record those and things like that. Um, and then back then there was no sort of internet. So any information we got was from the news, from entertainment TV shows like Entertainment Tonight or Molly's Melodrama on Hey Hey It's Saturday. <laughs> Just for our international listeners. <laughs> hey Hey It's Saturday. Actually, Michael, I believe Michael did an interview for that, didn't he? I think uh, he did actually. Molly Meldrum did a number of interviews with Michael. One of the um, before the Oprah interview, probably yeah. the last big interview he did was with Michael sitting next to Frank DeLeo um, in full bad regalia. That was a great interview. Um, so Molly's actually and he interviewed him when he was in Brisbane, Australia for the History World Tour as well. So there's some good interviews out there with oh, Molly that's, from that's the one Molly Melodrama. That's the one where he talks all about Stephen King, right? I think Ghosts had yes. just come out. That is correct. Yeah. Yep, that was that was for the history tour and Molly interviewed him right in the um, Brisbane when he was there for the tour. Yeah. So back then that was how fans got their news from things like Molly Meldrum and, and Entertainment Tonight and news and tabloid magazines. Back then, yeah, they were trashy, but that's how we got pictures of Michael. That's how we got news back then. So, I've, you know, back then a lot of fans would have scrapbooks yeah. of articles and pictures that they would have cut out from tabloids and newspapers and stuck them into scrapbooks so I've got some of those myself um, I so that was what that was in the 90s and then during high school a uh, huge fan during the whole history era and campaign that was a very very exciting time for being a fan a lot happening there and of course huge world tour and mm. I was very very blessed to actually go to two of the concerts in Australia for the history world tour I went Across the country to Brisbane, where um, I saw him in, I think it was called the ANZ Stadium, so an outdoor stadium in Brisbane. That was my first ever Michael Jackson concert. 
And then I came back home to Perth and I saw him in an indoor stadium, one of only two on the tour, which was uh, at the time it was called the Burswood Dome. It's now being demolished. Um, and I saw him for the History World Tour in Perth, and that was actually from the front row. Wow. On opening night, Perth actually had three concerts, so pretty much back-to-back, and that was the opening night in Perth, and I was in the front row for the History World Tour. I had no idea that Michael performed an indoor History World Tour show until right now. Uh, And Tokyo as well. I believe, I'm pretty sure it was in Tokyo where was the other place that he recorded. Yeah. That's incredible. So, all right, well, tell us a little bit about the show for a sec. I mean, how, how was it? Insane. It was incredible. It was a great show. Um, seeing it live was amazing. You would have all seen um, they recorded pretty much in every country a concert and televised uh, some form of the concert, yeah. and it was a pretty cool show. Um, from the front row, I have to say, probably wasn't the greatest seat because it was a very tall stage and a very deep stage. Mm. So... When things were happening at the back of the stage, front row wasn't actually always the best um, place to see it. But and and you know that was a while ago now. History is coming up for a big anniversary this year, and um, memories are a funny thing. It's hard, especially when you lo- watch a lot of videos. Yeah. Um, it's hard not to get memories confused with what you've watched on TV or on YouTube now um, with actually what you experienced yourself at the time. But I remember the feeling um, and the feeling of love was so thick in that dome that you could like cut through the love in the air. Actually, my dad didn't come and see the show with me, but he drove me up to the, to the venue mm. and waited outside for most of the concert. Funny story here. G'day dad. If you're listening, um, <laughs> was towards the end of the show, he actually could walk into the Burswood dome and he was standing uh, at the very back sort of between some grandstand areas and was actually watching a little bit of the show. Wow. And I remember just coming out and, uh, you know, like all those crazy videos of people you see and screaming in audience and crying and all that. That was me, um, my Kermit arms waving, Michael, I love you, I love you. Um, and, you know, I just came out and I was like, Dad, I love you so much, you know. Just the, the feeling of love was so powerful. It was so unifying. Yeah, I was just so blessed to have that experience. I, I can't say that I've ever seen him live, but anytime you hear about somebody's experience seeing him in a live concert, one of the things they always say is it's just a, it's almost like a religious experience. People just feel like they're coming together and, and just as one, you know, like it's incredible. It is. That's that's a good description. I don't like want to make Michael a religious figure or anything, but that's a, probably a comparative um, thing that you could say about it. And and what everyone else always says is, and it's true, is he was electrifying. Electrifying. That's electrifying. It, it was just yeah. incredible. And I just don't understand why there isn't a regularly updated podcast out there for him. And so I thought, you know what? Let's actually do one. Let's put one together, and I just couldn't be happier that you're uh, that you're with, here with me, Q, doing this. I think it's going to be really good. Oh, thanks, man. No, I was <laughs> I was like, what? You want me to do what? <laughs> no, that's cool. It's always we. I think where this sort of stem was, you know, we get on the phone and talk, Michael. Yeah. Because um, we live on complete opposite sides of the continent, so we don't get to catch up too often. Um, but you know, we get on the phone, and then three hours later. You know, we, we say goodbye and we've just spoken all Michael stuff for the whole time. I was like, this is so cool. You know, I think growing up as a Michael fan, you always sort of remember your first MJ mates and 
and how cool that is when you're talking with your MJ mates. And uh, that's sort of where, how this sort of began. I was like, well, let's turn it into a show. Let's uh, jump straight to our fan interactions section of the show. Uh, we had a great interaction today with uh, with a guy called Austin on Twitter who tweeted uh, tweeted us at the MJ Cast. Here's oh yeah, Austin uh, at Creative Art PE. I think there's an A in there. I think it's at Creative What's Art APE. I think. Okay, there you go. Unless I'm wrong, but try both. You'll find Austin. <laughs> you are correct. You are correct. I've just. Found it on Twitter and at Creative Art A P E. He um, sent us uh, some great tweets wanting us to interact with him and, and give some opinions on how we feel about a particular topic. Now, this could be looked at as a fairly controversial topic, but I think we can we can come at it uh, in a fairly positive way. But it's basically about unreleased music. Austin wants us to know. Uh, sorry, Austin wants to know our opinions on unreleased music coming out, the way that unreleased songs do come out, and our opinions on things like the Estate and Sony preferencing remixes over original material, like on the Escape album, how the first disc has all uh, remixes or contemporized versions of the songs like L.A. Reid uh, called them. So what is our opinion? Let's, well, what do you think, Hugh? I think this is enough for an entire episode (laughs) (laughs) and we probably will do an entire episode about this exact thing at some point, but we can quickly discuss it now. Um, Torn. I'm yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think that, you know, like you said before, Michael is an artist and, you know, if he wasn't ready to put something out, he didn't put it out. And Mm. we saw with hold my hand when that leaked, and, and, and Escape, the actual song, when that initially leaked as well, how Michael reacted to that. So I think we honestly know what Michael's feelings were about his art coming out before he was ready for it to come out. Yeah. Um, now that he's gone, you know, things, you could say things are a bit different and if they don't put anything out, we'll never get anything again. And in some ways, I don't mind because Michael left such an incredible incredible collection of art for um for the world that it is enough what he left and it is of incredible quality because it wasn't just off the wall through to invincible there was an entire two entire careers prior to that with the jackson five which the quality of that stuff still stands head above stuff now and then the entire career of the jacksons as well so there's like so many eras that i think some people forget about and right. we um but yeah being a michael jackson fan we do get excited about new stuff so i have to say i do prefer original stuff untouched like i don't tend to keep the remixes and the reimaginings and whatever they're calling it because they really are just remixes um i don't tend to keep those because i don't like them as much as the originals or what Michael had actually worked on himself. Yeah. So, I don't know. I The Escape album, I think, was handled a lot better than the previous one because we... I, I want to hear... I would love to hear from the original post posthumous released um, Behind a Mask without all of the editing and stuff. I'd love to hear what Michael actually did with that song. Yeah. So... I like hearing the original stuff and I'm glad that when they did release Escape that there were original stuff that I could hear with Michael's fingerprints on it. Yeah. 
think I, I think I feel a similar way. Like I, I definitely don't mind remixes coming out because I think they can be fun. And occasionally you've got one that really hits a chord with, um, you know, the current generation of kids. You know, it might be a dubstep remix of something. But I honestly, like, I'm a fan of Michael. And I love hearing the original Michael material, the way it was intended to be heard with the original production. Um, You know, I don't mind it being mixed, I guess, uh, by somebody or remastered. But the actual engine the, the work of the studio engineers the work of the producers the work of michael if that can be all left intact and authentically michael then that's what i love and i do agree in that i think the escape album was handled better than the michael album because they did give us the uh original i guess mixes of the songs but they're even within that if you look at the second disc of the special edition of the escape album uh, Blue Gangster, that's not the final version that Michael heard it in. That's actually an earlier version of the song. There's actually a later, the one that leaked, there's a later version of Blue Gangster that has percussive elements that um, Brad Buxer added in for Michael Jackson that are totally, that totally, in my opinion, make the song. Um, the She Was Loving Me mix, I, I believe Corey Rooney um, actually came out and, and talked about the mix that was released on the album not being exactly the way that he would have released it. Like, there's, There was some question marks also around that second disc on the Escape album. So I'm all about original material, but also about quality control and the original production team that worked on the songs coming back to the studio to make sure that they're clean and that they're, they're, you know, the way that they should be heard. In my I think opinion. that's a really good point. Have the people that worked on it before... If they have to do this, have the people that worked on it before come back yeah. and work on this. Don't get some other floozy off the street producer to do it. That's right. Get the person that actually already got more than halfway there on the song. Absolutely. I would, you know, uh, for example, She Was Loving Me. That song that came out on the second disc of the Escape album, you know, there's been a lot of debate and discussion around the audio quality of that song. Why, why, did not, why didn't Corey Rooney go back into the studio and, and finish that off? And I'm sure he would have loved the opportunity if, if they asked. I'm not sure if they did or didn't, but, you know, like there's, yeah, I'm all about the original production team cleaning it up and making it exactly like Michael would have wanted to be heard in its very last state. In its last state. Yeah. If they're going to do that, then, yeah, release it as it was in its last state, as cleaned up as it needs to be. Because, really, the originals pretty much were all better than the reimagined versions. And a friend of mine made a really good point when listening to the Escape, um, the new versions, um, was that they can't, you can't really dance to them as much. Michael's songs, pretty much, they all could be danced to. Um, and the the beats were changed and rhythms were changed for the new versions and they're just not as danceable as a pure Michael Jackson song. And I think that's sort of why it didn't really sit well with me uh, when I hadn't even thought about that sort of aspect of it. Well, actually, I was recently, um, and I won't reveal who this person is just yet because uh, we're going to do some something special with them in the coming weeks, but I was recently just talking to a, a producer who who worked with Michael in the studio who told me, that whenever Michael recorded with them, that he said it has to be translatable live. The song has to be translatable live. He had he had to be able to move and dance to it on stage and perform it in front of so many people. So 
like that's yeah like when i'm listening to those songs i'm with you q when and 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 what your friend said when i'm listening to the original versions of the song it's more than just the music it's it's about michael's vision for what that song could have been on stage live it's got to be danceable totally agree yeah so i don't know if they're going to do stuff in the future i hope that they continue to make it uh the highest well i hope they just Increase the quality of what they put out. Yeah, don't don't rush things. Michael took an average of five years per album, and you know that worked for him. So I mean, I I don't I would rather a fully baked, perfect product come out that has great attention to detail and quality that honors the man's legacy instead of things being rushed out the door just for um you know sales. And and I believe in the long run that great art stands the test of time. If something is released in the highest possible quality, then people are going to flock to it. You know, like if, if you know, Vision, the Michael Jackson box set with all the, the music videos on it, you know, it wasn't a massive seller. I'm pretty sure Number One's DVD, when it came out during its time, has sold a lot more than the Vision box set ever has. And that's because when Number One's came out on DVD with all those short films, you know, DVD was just dawning. It was a cutting-edge technology, and Michael was taking advantage of it, also with the Vision box set that came out. And, you know, we're now well into the HD era, and we still don't have a collection of high-definition Michael Jackson music videos. In fact... Yeah, a state, a state. Where the hell are our Blu-rays? <laughs> Seriously, if they can, like, do old movies and Star Trek episodes and stuff in incredible HD... You can goddamn give us some Blu-rays of Michael Jackson stuff. Give us ghosts on Blu-ray. You've got history concerts on Blu-ray that you could you could do on Blu-ray with HD. Like, seriously, it's 2015. It's time for some Blu-rays in decent quality. Well, actually, the HD era is pretty much now closing. Like, we're looking at, you go to, if you go to the local, you know, electronic retail stores now, you're seeing 4K televisions. It's not... 1080p is almost, you know, old technology. We're looking at 4K now. So whatever the next standard of uh, home entertainment is in terms of video quality, that's where the estate need to be looking. They need to be skating to where the puck is, not looking behind. Um, I I want to see a full collection of, of Michael Jackson remastered music videos and concerts. I just can't wait for that. You know, we, we, we've got a lot of unreleased music at this point, and that's great. But um, there's still a lot of stuff that could come out that that's vid- more more video based. So, hopefully. and even if there isn't a lot of music still yet to release, there's a lot of video stuff yeah. that they could totally share that Michael put together and stuff. So, you um, know, it's not just music; it's other stuff that could come out. So episode two, our first ever episode with a guest. It was Charles Thompson, who has appeared on the show pretty much just as much as us. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty much like the unofficial third host of the MJ cast yeah. at this point. <laughs> and of, Thanks for that, Charles. And of course, uh, an absolute expert on all things law. And I think, was this the first episode where there was the very first Q rant? Uh, I think so. There's been quite a few Q rants over the months, so I'm trying to remember exactly what one, but I do remember something to do with a rant about the AEG trial. Yeah. So this was, yeah, my first rant. Love Q rants. I'm not totally like a crazy 
screaming person all the time. <laughs> but it's so good when you get fired up because it's like I'm just rooting for you. Like, go Q, go Q, say it. <laughs> because I'm probably saying stuff that you're too shy to say. <laughs> well, I um, yeah. There's uh, there's a couple of things I could rant about right now, <laughs> but <laughs> we'll see. We'll keep it in context. <laughs> That in itself, to me, is um, an extreme situation of negligence in terms of duty of care. I think also, regardless of whatever happens with this case, the, the evidence that came out in the original trial uh, from from people like uh, Kenny Ortega, Randy Phillips, AEG, Karen Fay, and the family, people that had said a lot of things um, after This Is It, um, in defense of Michael saying this was happening in the background and people dismissed their claims and called them crazy and worse. All of those people's claims were proven correct in a horrific fashion with the evidence that came out during that trial. And whatever happens in the trial, that evidence that came out is out there and should should not be ignored. And people like Karen Fay, Jermaine, and Joe and Catherine and people that had made those claims and that were rubbished in the media and by fans even and continue to be by this day by a small group of fans, they should look at that evidence and should know that those people were vindicated when those claims were made. Well, I actually, on the day of the verdict, when I heard that a verdict had been reached but we were waiting to, to hear it, um, I telephoned a member of the Jackson family, who I won't name, um, and said, how are you feeling? And they said, oh, I, you know, I'm fine. I said, my God, you sound calmer than me. What's wrong? <laughs> you know, how are you? And they said, look, man, it's not about the money for us. You know, for us, the most important thing is that we put those emails in the public domain, you know, I mean, I've described it before, and I'll stand by it, as I think this trial was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, expose of the music industry that the world has ever seen. You have emails back and forth where they're discussing uh, lying to Michael Jackson about how much money he's going to earn, because they don't think he'll agree to do the shows if they tell him how much he's actually going to make. You have emails where they're tricking him into thinking that he's doing less work than he is. You have emails where they're calling him a freak, where they keep referring to him as Mikey, like a little boy. This is the, this is the co-owner of Sony Music Publishing, and they're talking about him like a an imbecile. You have the emails where Randy Phillips is saying, um, I just screamed at him so loud the walls are shaking. I just slapped him and screamed at him louder than I screamed at Arthur Castle. Uh, Tome and I just threw him in a shower. You have emails where Kenny Ortega... Kenny Ortega writes to Phillips. He says Michael Jackson is weak and fatigued, suffering from chills, trembling, ranting, obsessing, needs psychological evaluation, is terribly frightened, is begging, is like a lost boy, is lost and incoherent. He needs to be fed. He needs to be wrapped in blankets. We're calling the doctor. And you have Randy Phillips writing back saying, stop playing amateur doctor and get on with your job. I mean, the whole thing is a disgrace. It's a shocking, disgusting disgrace. And the Jackson family exposed that. Um, 
and the the fans or uh, people who uh, pose as fans in some cases, I believe, uh, who at- attack Catherine and Michael's children for bringing this lawsuit, it's it's willful ignorance, willful ignorance, because there is no justification imaginable for what we learned in that lawsuit. There is no justification for it. You cannot shrug it off. You cannot explain it away. It is a disgrace. The way this man was treated in the last months of his life is a disgrace. And Catherine and Michael's <coughs> children should be commended um, and applauded for bringing this lawsuit, if only for the fact that it exposed this information. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I just, you know, I, I what I want to see one day is all of this information put into some kind of book, like, an, you know, a book that any fan, any person in the world can go back and read, including all the information from the child transcripts, the just the, the you know, interviews with, with um, people involved, just a go-to piece about the truth behind why Michael Jackson died in 2009. I would love to that see would- something like that. That would be a very big book. It would be huge. I mean, you'd have to start way back. I mean, this is, you know, this is, uh, Michael, you know, this is something that began a long time before it ended, you know. Well, and and thanks to Catherine and Michael's children, you can now write that book because all of these emails and all of that testimony is a matter of public record. And as a journalist, you have protection against libel action when you report on anything which has been discussed or presented in open court. So what uh, Catherine and the children have done by bringing this lawsuit is they have given immunity to any journalist now who wants to write this book. Even if the estate wants to try to stop them, there's nothing it can do. And the same goes for AEG. All of this stuff is public record, public domain. Um, So again, Catherine and the children need to be commended for uh, their work in making this public because... Uh, it's it's the only way, really, this information could ever have been uh, legitimately reported. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I completely support the family in this and, and commend them also. And, and for Mother Catherine to be going through this at her age and when she's got plenty of other responsibilities that she should be worried about is um, her, a testament to her strength and, um, yeah, an incredible woman. Uh, It's not every day this happens, uh, but we have received, uh, through a leak actually, not an official release, a new music video which features vocals from Michael Jackson and also another superstar, Freddie Mercury. Uh, This is a music video that has been directed by Dave LaChapelle uh, and uh, it's leaked out onto the internet. Uh, It was uh, a song that is called There Must Be More to Life Than This that came out on the Queen Forever album in November 2014. Uh, We had a great article published about this particular uh, music video and song by none other than Damien Shields, uh, which came out a few days ago. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. You can access it on DamienShields.com. But he talks all about this incredible video that was actually shot on Maui uh, in Hawaii and stars Ukrainian ballet dancer Sergei Polunin and Australian model Jessica Gomez. Uh, basically, 
uh, Damien commented that LaChapelle's effort is worlds above previously released posthumous videos that Jackson's estate and Epic Records have issued on behalf of the King of Pop as far as quality and vision and would certainly be worthy of an official single release. I personally couldn't agree more. I've watched the video. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I want to hear what you guys have to think. Q, what, what did you think of the video? It was very moving. It was um, it was a beautiful piece. And I'm just going, at this point, just touching on the actual visuals of the video. It's a stunning piece of film. Um, the, the cast is incredible. The, the, uh, the dancer and um, the, his movements are something spiritual. Uh, it's got a lot of layers to this video. It's a really fine visual piece. Um, the song itself, I loved. I've had that leak for many years, um, like a demo version with Freddie Mercury and Michael Jackson. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful song and, and it's quite when you think of the song and the lyrics and how beautiful the song is, you would never have thought of a piece this heavy uh, and dark or in some ways dark, but in other ways, very light. You would never have thought of a piece like this. And yet here it is. It's the perfect marriage. It's a, it's an incredible piece. And yes, it is far, far light years ahead of anything that the estate and have put out and I'm wondering why this was leaked and not officially released as it should have been because it is an incredible piece. Um, no, uh, Dave LaChapelle did a beautiful job. Um, and I, like the vocals are incredible anyway. I don't know how I've never become obsessed with Freddie Mercury as well. He was an incredible artist and I don't know, there's just a few artists that I've come across and I'm like, why am I not equally obsessed with Freddie Mercury? He, he was an incredible artist and I'd love to know more about him. And I have watched a few documentaries and interviews and got into a little bit of the work. But to have these two titans on an uh, album together like this song is, is a very momentous moment in history. And this video should be out there so more people can appreciate the song, but also the beautiful film. Definitely. Charles, have you had a chance to watch the video yet? Or I have. I think the video is fantastic. Um, as Q said, I think it's very moving, uh, very tasteful, very high-end. Um, everything which is not applicable to the other posthumous videos that we've seen so far. Um, I thought Hollywood Tonight was a particular low point. Um, here we have a song about a uh, a very dark, disturbing song about a teenage girl who wants to become an actress and goes to Hollywood and ends up being an underage prostitute. And the estate's video is of a, a young girl sort of dancing down the street looking like she couldn't be happier, sort of um, cuddling a lamppost. <laughs> they, they turned it into a Glee episode almost. Basically. It was um, demented, that video. <laughs> but... Um, that's a good word the... to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yeah, it certainly would be a, a um, great thing I for think, us to hear. I think, Jermaine, I think Jermaine actually did address that topic in the book. It's, um, I'm pretty sure Jermaine talks about it in his book as well. So that's another book I would recommend. I actually um, have an autographed copy. I met Jermaine after they toured here for the Jackson's unity tour. And I had the book. And when I met Jermaine, I asked if he would sign it and he seemed surprised that I had the book. 
he, he was like, oh, you've, you've got my book, you've read it. And I said, yes, and I really loved it. It was, I thought, a very good book. I uh, had some incredible stories and uh, gave a, a lot of background for a lot of different things. Um, and, yeah, he signed the book and I was so happy because I really enjoyed it. I laughed, I cried. It was, it was I thought, a, quite a good book. And, no, I'm pretty sure Jermaine's book touches on that as well. So that would be – I think also you've got to look at it in contact, context from the era – it's an era that we can't really comprehend now because things are so different. And also the amount of interviews that Michael gave is probably a lot more than what other interviews and information from the other family members. So it's, of course it's going to seem a lot more that Michael talks about it in comparison to his other family. Absolutely. Very good book as well. We'll put Jermaine's book in the show notes. I think Jermaine's it's probably... It's fantastic. It is. It's really funny. And the funniest bit is um, his ongoing commentary on the um, kind of interfering Jehovah's Witness minders. That just had me in stitches all the way through the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so real. The thing that struck me about Jermaine's book is how real it is. Like even just that opening chapter of, I, oh. I think I, from memory, the opening chapter is about Jermaine being by, by his brother's side in a hospital room during one of those low moments uh, during the 2005 trial, isn't it? Wasn't it the, the, the day that Michael arrived at court in his pyjamas and there was a reason why that was he was in hospital because of back pain or something and Jermaine was there with his brother in that moment? Yeah, it's a very um, very stark opening to the book where it opens in those moments. Yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal book. So our first special episode featured author Sil Mortilla, and uh, we spoke about his incredible book, The First Book of Michael. That was a good show. That was a terrific book as well. Yeah, it was excellent. It was a much-needed show as well, actually, because at the time, um, Sil was coming under a little bit of fire from some silly, silly people in the fan community for for his efforts, uh, which were just was ridiculous. So it was great to give Seal a bit of a platform, not only to discuss his book and how amazing it is, but also to combat some of those opinions that were coming out. And if you're out there and you've read Seal's book, the first book of Michael, head over to Amazon and rate and review the book because that's a huge, huge help for any author to have people review their work uh, and, and to rate it as well. So head over to Amazon and review the book for Syl, that would be incredible. I still think it's one of the best books written on Michael ever. It's um I, I love it's not just the typical sort of A to Z book. It's and it's not really even the sort of typical book by a fan. It's so personal and it's so relatable. Um it really stands on its own. Yeah, definitely. It's it's the kind of thing like if you want to understand what it's like to be a hardcore Michael Jackson fan or you want to get inside the mind of a hardcore Michael Jackson fan, read Sill's book because like we've said many, many times, Sill is pretty much the voice of the Michael Jackson fan world in terms of how we emotionally feel about Michael. That's, yeah, totally exactly how I feel about him for sure. Can... Uh, at this time, this he was our first guest on the MJ cast. I, I still didn't even have any kind of an inkling or feeling that we would eventually go on to to have uh, people who knew Michael uh, 
come on the show. So it, you'd always hoped. We'd always hoped, but at this point, it was like we're going to talk to MJ authors and and people who you know prominent fans. But I always look back on this episode and think that you know we were really. I'm really happy that our first ever special was with Sil because really he's one of us. Totally, absolutely. I guess from that, I, I'd want to know like what Michael memories from your own life experience stands out above all others. Like we could talk for days about Michael memories, uh, especially being a long-term fan um, for both of us. Um, so what what could you pick as uh, something that stands out above all other of your Michael memories? Uh, well, this is uh, something that I didn't actually include in the book, but it's probably the most profound emotional experience um, that I've ever had um, with regards uh, Michael. It was um, uh, in 1992, uh, my mum, who had been very ill, and uh, she came out of hospital. And uh, uh, Me and my siblings, there's four of us, um, you know, we missed our mum, obviously, and she'd been in hospital for a while, and she came out of hospital. And when she came out, because we'd been, uh, we were all Michael fans, and she uh, took us all to um, a Dangerous Tour concert. Um, and Whoa. I was tw- I was the I was the eldest, and, and I was twelve. So there was uh, all the three others were younger than me, and, and so she took us to the Dangerous concert, and it was just life ex- life changing. You know, it was. Uh, you know, I mean, I, re- I remember being a bit annoyed because my younger brother and younger sister uh, were little enough to go on the shoulders of strangers that were stood around us, uh, so I couldn't see properly, but they could. And uh, but it was, I just, I remember, I remember human nature uh, because I remember the, the you know the call out, and um, I remember. Uh, Billy Jean because I couldn't see it properly and I was really annoyed. <laughs> and uh, I remember uh, Man in the Mirror and uh, Michael, you know, well, Michael uh, flying off uh, with the jetpack and uh, just this, this, I don't know, it was a really weird noise that was going on. I mean, I was very little, but yeah, I don't know. And then and basically after that, that was it, you know. Um, Well, in March, I went away on holiday, so you had to fill in a little bit of time with some of our friends. Where did you go again? I'm trying to remember. I went to, where did I start? So, Toronto. Oh, it was the US. That's right. Beautiful Canada, which was my first ever visit, and I loved it. So, hello to all our Canadian listeners. Go have a Tim Hortons for me, followed up by a second cup maple latte, please, (laughs) because they were delicious. I loved seeing. So, yeah. I loved seeing your photos of um, Niagara Falls. They were awesome. Oh, that was incredible seeing Niagara Falls. Mm. That was a really beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, yeah, we definitely go back to there again and go visit Niagara on the lake again. That was good fun. And then we went down to the US visiting friends in New York, um, North Carolina. Then we went over to San Fran and Vegas, where I saw the MJ One show. Uh, and then coming home, we stopped at Hong Kong Disneyland. So it was a big trip and it wasn't a cheap trip. And <laughs> But, yes, I, I miss IHOP. 
So that was always a good little fun place to go and have a meal was IHOP because we don't really have something like that here. What's IHOP? I've never heard of it. It's um, IHOP stands for International House of Pancakes. Oh, okay. But they do pancakes, which is great, which we had for breakfast a few times, but they do like regular meals as well. It's like a diner. Oh, cool. Got it. Yeah. So you sit in like a booth or whatever and then the the waiter um, or the server, they call them over there, they come and take your order. And But we were having dinners there some nights as well when we just ate at a cheap dinner. And the hubs was having fish and I would be having like a chicken parmigiana or something like that. And they were good meals and they were really cheap and it was great. So it was good fun. So I'm, I love doing that sort of touristy sort of stuff when we go on holidays because try and do things that we don't really have here. And <laughs> as, as low budget and, and tacky in a way that it is, I hope was good fun. But yeah, it was a good trip. And so this was the trip when you actually finally got to see MJ1. Yes, that's correct. And on this episode, Damien Shields and you spoke about Cirque du Soleil in relation to a documentary they put out. Yeah, all about the, uh, the Immortal World Tour and the making of that. So, and um, I don't think any of us in the end had actually seen the Immortal World Tour. No, no. I mean, I've heard the soundtrack, you've heard the soundtrack, and, and I believe, I think we've got different kind of opinions on that. I'm not the hugest fan. You love it from memory, don't you? Yes, I do love the Immortal soundtrack. It's a great two-disc mega mix. Like, what more could you want? <laughs> so, it was funny talking about a show that we'd never been to, but luckily we could, we Damien and I watched that documentary, so we were able to watch that and then comment on it. And yeah, one was good and we'll get to that a little bit later. Now we're going to get straight into our major discussion topic, which is all around uh, a doc- another documentary. This time it's actually uh, been released. It's come out already. It's come out recently, only just within the last few weeks. It's something that took me by surprise. I was not expecting this documentary to come out at all, um, but it just kind of um, you know landed. And it was, uh, it's an official estate uh, product in collaboration with Cirque du Soleil. Uh, and it's a documentary feature-length film uh, on the Immortal World Tour. Now, if you've seen Bad 25, you'll probably uh, recognize the format, I guess you could say, of this documentary. There's a lot of uh, talking heads in the documentary mixed in with a lot of footage of the actual subject of the documentary, which is the uh, the Immortal World Tour. Uh, and then, of course, surprisingly, there is quite a bit of original Michael Jackson footage uh, interspersed throughout the documentary where necessary uh, for the narrative. Now, I've seen this documentary. It's available on Vimeo. It's, it's an extremely, extremely limited release, and I would actually suggest it's quite a strange release because, uh, in my opinion, it's, it's a documentary that's got the potential to do you know, relatively well, uh, but it it has been, for one reason or another, I'm not sure why, but for one reason or another, this release has been very limited to the point where you can only get it on one platform, uh, Vimeo On Demand. Uh, it's quite an ex- expensive um, purchase as well for a digital-only uh, documentary. You're not getting a physical copy for it. Uh, but nevertheless, once you purchase it on Vimeo, it is yours to watch and uh, feature-length documentary. Now, I've seen it. Damien's seen it. Uh, we might kick things off with uh, Damien's thoughts on the uh, on the film. 
Well, it's a, it's a very well put together documentary. It certainly covers all aspects of the Cirque du Soleil show, um, and it definitely does a commendable job of showing some retrospective moments of Michael Jackson's career. It doesn't focus wholly and solely on the Cirque du Soleil show, which I think is important because I think the most engaging parts of the documentary are when it does do the retrospective kind of flashbacks to Michael Jackson's career. Those are the moments where I'm really engaged and I'm really interested and I'm paying attention. Um, the moments where it's actually talking about the Cirque du Soleil show itself, I mean, it's a matter of opinion whether you find those things interesting. Personally, I don't, um, but that's just me. Um, what do you think about it, Jamin? Oh, I, it's, it's, I've, I'm not sure how to really put it in words other than that. Like, I've got to separate my opinion on this this product because on the one hand, I actually think it's a fairly well put together documentary. Not five stars by any mean, means, but uh, I'd, I'd say, you know, four star documentary. It's, it's quite good. It does a good job of documenting all areas of the Immortal World Tour in terms of, uh, the you know, the acrobatics, the, uh, you know, the performers, the music, the rehearsals, the, you see... Uh, footage of Kevin Antunes, you know, engaging with and talking about the vocal master tracks of Michael Jackson's material that from Sony. You see, uh, you know, people like uh, Jonathan uh, Moffat, the drummer, Michael Jackson's drummer, talking about his engagement in the show. And uh, there's there's Greg Fillengains talking all about Michael and and his opinion about the music. It's just it's very rich. There's a lot of detail, um, and it's and it's kind of like it did improve, I think, in some ways on one of my major problems with Bad Twenty Five, which was an over reliance on Talking Heads. Now, I think the immortal this this immortal world tour documentary does have a lot of Talking Heads, but it's so full of performance footage from the show that I feel like it's actually got a much better balance between performance and, or subject rather, and then the talking heads uh, than Bad 25 did. So in terms of a documentary, I think it's pretty good. In terms of the content, I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to come, I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm not a huge fan of Cirque du Soleil's work uh, with Michael Jackson and like, sorry, with Michael's estate. I'm just, I'm just not like, I, I have an appreciation for acrobatics and Cirque du Soleil and their and their their medium and what they do in general, but as a Michael Jackson fan, I don't watch Cirque material. I don't listen to the Cirque material and actually get excited. I don't get those goosebump moments like I do when I listen to Michael's actual music or see his actual performances. I don't know. Did, did I say that clearly? Is that clear or I don't know? Yeah, I agree one hundred percent with you. Um... For me, I almost had to like raise my attention when the Cirque du Soleil moments were being shown to us because, like you, I don't, I'm not really a big fan of the Cirque du Soleil thing. Um, like they say in this doc, in this documentary, though, usually a Cirque du Soleil show, a real true artistic Cirque du Soleil show, will take three years to put together, mm. and they admit that they they basically rushed this thing. Um, the Cirque du Soleil show that they took on tour uh, took them a year to put together. That's right. And, I think I think Jamie King says that. He says, usually it takes three yeah. years. We did it in one. And I think it shows. I think it's yeah. very evident that, that this thing did not have um, the amount of 
time and care put into it that it should have. And one of the most, you know, obvious, um, one of the most obvious pieces of evidence of that is the this big, you know, wishing tree inspired by the the tree that Michael had at Neverland, the giving tree. The giving tree, yeah, yeah. The giving tree, sorry, um, that Michael had at Neverland um, is kind of recreated in the show, but the, the, the tree didn't actually go on tour for a lot of the tour because it didn't even work. Yeah, I really find it difficult to engage with the Cirque du Soleil stuff. I just don't feel there's any Michael in it. Um, it's basically like this big, gigantic circus production with, you know, based around this performer who's not there to give his performance. And the only thing you really go to the show for, or I shouldn't say that, the only thing I personally, as me, would go to the show for is to see the performer. And he's so absent from the show, it just makes me makes me miss him and it makes me feel like I was being denied something. Yeah, um, that's right. And with the documentary, which is obviously the, the topic of conversation, we're not here to critique the Cirque du Soleil show itself, but this documentary, you know, the most exciting parts was either listening to Greg Fillingaines and Jonathan Moffat and these kind of people giving their like personal insights to the real Michael Jackson and, you know, the creative process and the man man the magic and the moment of him being there and doing things or when it flashes back to footage of Michael and there's a couple of moments that really stood out to me that I really loved was there was some footage of Michael in 1972 with the Jackson Five performing and it's like wow like it's a breath of fresh air into this documentary yeah here's Michael he's here he's singing he's dancing he's you know he's calling out to the audience and he's just this little kid but he's just totally taken the documentary to a whole other level just by his presence and then it goes back to the to the you know the, the cast and the crew and the show and the footage and the talking heads and then they'll go into another retrospective moment and it's Motown 25 and there's Michael walking across the stage after finishing his set with his brothers and talking about loving the old songs but what he also loves is the new songs and moments like that authentic Michael Jackson moments and that Motown 25 moment in particular they make me cry every time I see them. I can't help but become overwhelmed by just the, the sheer um, importance of those moments in Michael's career. Um, and for me, they're moments that I've seen a hundred times before, a thousand times before. Yeah. They've been watching these things our whole lives. These are why we are Michael Jackson fans. Yeah. And I think that is the, the most exciting part about the documentary. And I, I'm not too sure if that means that the documentary is good or if they've just happened to, by consequence of it being about Michael, they've got good footage in it of Michael. So, well, yeah. And I don't, I don't mean to critique and be negative and say, you know, the documentary is no good unless it's footage of Michael or Michael's collaborators, but I mean, but that's how I feel. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't interested in seeing the people flying through the air and the, you know, the, the rehearsals and I just didn't, I didn't yeah. feel much Michael in there, even in the moments where they're, you know, Jamie King's rallying the troops and talking about the inspiration behind the, the show and talking about the, what they want to try and execute and the reasons they're trying to do it. I still didn't feel uh, it. Just Michael, yeah. like he was so so absent from the whole thing, uh, and, and and I and I haven't seen the, the Immortal tour, um, even though it did come to Australia. I didn't choose to go and see it. Just because it does, it's not up my alley. So, yeah, I'm. I got to say, I think we're totally in line with this. Um, 
I do want to come back to the point, though, that I think it was, even though the content of the documentary wasn't something that particularly interested either of us, I still think the quality of it was higher than things I've, I've seen before, uh, in, especially in terms of integrity. Like, I do want to very much mention that this documentary included people from Michael Jackson's family in really respectful ways. Like, Oh yeah. That was the other thing that I thought was really fantastic is hearing from the brothers and the family was, that was really, really great. The brothers are fantastic. They're really always great to hear from and great to see. Yeah. And they Um, had, they had Catherine there. They had like, there was a large emphasis on Michael as a part of this, you know, musical royalty. Uh, of a family, you know, the Jacksons. And that was something that I thought was done really, really respectfully, really well. And another critique on Bad 25 uh, was that I didn't feel that in that particular documentary. So I think the estate uh, is improving um, over time in terms of its output with documentaries. Well, I would like to, I'd like to raise the question, and I'm not sure if this is a relevant question because I don't, I'm not asking it because I know the answer. I'm actually asking because I don't know the answer um, when the documentary was actually filmed and put together because I have a feeling that this thing was done before Bad 25. I'm not 100% certain on that, so I'm not claiming it to be a fact, but I've got a feeling that this thing's been out for a little while um, and that there was a different... It was originally aired in a different language um, and a lot of the English-speaking fans haven't really paid much attention to it because the audio was kind of dubbed and yeah, and, and that kind of thing to, to present it in a different language. But I, I just have this feeling that this thing has been around for quite some time and I'm not sure if it is a progression on the estate's part or... Well, that's an interesting point. Uh, we have point. to find out the answer to that to, make, to find out if that point yeah. is valid. Yeah. I just, I just, I'm not 100% sure I wanted to bring it up yeah, I, think that's I, good, I just have a feeling. That's a good point. I, I will say that a lot of the footage is really old. Like I remember actually seeing footage from this documentary uh, like a long time ago, right when the Cirque show was just starting to come out. Uh, this There's footage in there of, Kev, like I said, Kevin Antunes talking about the master tracks from Sony. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of this footage actually came out as um, short uh, shorts on the Cirque website or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, a lot of them have been floating around. Yeah. A lot of the footage of the actual show itself is taken from the pre-filmed kind of um, preview shows that they did before the audience was even there. Yeah. And by the way, I've just reminded myself of another item is there were a lot of audience shots of people in the crowd watching this show. And to be honest, like when you see a Michael Jackson show, the audience is you know losing their mind. They're crying, they're screaming, they're out of their seats, they're going nuts. And these people in the immortal audience don't even really seem to be at times all that interested. And I'm not sure if that's me just completely reading it incorrectly, but just by looking at it and judging what I'm seeing, they don't really seem to be all that engaged yeah. the same way that, that I wasn't engaged watching it. So Yeah. And, you know, another thing that interested me about it, there's actually two more points that I want to make. Uh, one of them is about the director and their attempt to tie what was happening in the film with, um, you know, or connect it, connect Cirque du Soleil to Michael Jackson during his lifetime. And I think they did, even though it was very, very brief, I think they actually did quite a good job of that. They actually have original footage of Michael visiting the Cirque du Soleil offices. Uh, and uh, it's, it's good footage. It looks very crisp. It's footage I had never seen before. 
but I thought that was particularly well done. I mean, I'm all, as a historian, I'm all about original Michael Jackson material being represented uh, to contemporary audiences. So them them taking that original footage of Michael Jackson visiting the Cirque offices and putting that in a documentary about the Cirque show, I thought was was excellent. It was just very very brief. Um, and yeah, the, the... Uh, yeah, it was good to see. It was it was nice to see that put a lot of things in context to show that he was interested yeah. in Cirque du Soleil. And when I say that, I don't. I didn't feel Michael in the Cirque du Soleil show. I'm not saying that I didn't feel that Michael would want a Cirque du Soleil show. I just didn't don't feel it in this particular yeah. Yeah. version of Cirque du Soleil's interpretation of Michael Jackson. Uh, it's very clear, and as John Branker explains very well in the documentary, Michael loved Cirque du Soleil. They went together on numerous occasions. Um, so, so yeah, totally in agreement with you about the the uh, the quality and the content of the of the production. Absolutely, uh, and and the very final point I wanted to make was about the video quality of some of that Michael Jackson footage in the show. Um, now, some of the footage that we'd seen that we have seen before was represented really poorly in the documentary. Mm-hmm. For example, mm-hmm. Smooth Criminal uh, was it looked terrible. It looked uh, faded uh, and and frankly ugly. It was terrible quality footage. Whereas if you go and wa- watch the Moonwalker Blu-ray, it's beautiful HD, warm, crisp, high definition footage. It's incredible. You've got to see it if you haven't. Uh, and that was just completely at odds with what I was watching in this new Cirque documentary. But on the other hand, I don't think I've ever seen the Dangerous uh, Tour look so good as I saw the footage of it in the... Um, in the Cirque documentary, and that's that's the sh- you know that that's the tour they borrowed most heavily from, uh, in terms of using live Michael Jackson footage in in the documentary. It's interspersed pretty much throughout the whole thing, uh, and and yeah, it, it doesn't look complete. It doesn't look you know you're not going to watch it and go wow that's like Blu-ray high definition quality, but I definitely think the coloring of the footage is much better than what came out on the Ultimate Collection. Uh, DVD of Dangerous Bucharest. So just another reference point there for fans that are interested in video quality uh, of Michael Jackson. Yeah, I can't really comment on that because I watched it in a low definition because here in Australia, our internet connections aren't the best. (laughs) So I never watch anything in high definition because it just doesn't load. Yeah. I wouldn't know the difference. No, I loaded it up in in 1080p. HD and then put it on my on my um you know HD TV as well and watched it in 60 inch HD and it looked really good like I mean the, obviously the footage of the actual show Cirque show and all the interviews were crisp and beautiful but the um yeah the the dangerous tour if if somebody if anybody out there has seen the Cirque documentary and knows about video quality uh, I'd love it if you could comment on um you know on the MJ Cast's Facebook or send us a tweet and or an email at the mjcast at iCloud.com and just let us know what you thought of that that video quality or even just the the documentary in general. We'd love to hear what you guys thought of it. So that's uh yeah, did you did you have anything more to say really about the documentary or um no not really. Like like we've already established it was it was well put together and I think they can take um Take the format that they use and apply it to other other things, yeah. things that are all authentic. Michael, if they use that same format for a, a documentary about the history era or something like that, I mean, you're replacing all of the footage of the Cirque du Soleil production with 
footage of a real Michael Jackson production and real Michael Jackson moments, yeah. I think you've got a winner on your hands. So as long as they don't do the section with uh, Michael's death in every single oh. documentary, oh. Um, it's just not necessary. It does not belong. Michael's legacy and Michael's artistry, we can't keep connecting it with his death. Um, we can't keep having that moment where everyone tears up and talks about it being the worst day of their life. Obviously, it was the worst day of our, all, all of our lives. We, we all love Michael and none of us want him to have passed away. But unless we stop mentioning that moment, it's, it's not going to – people aren't going to be able to like fully like have this positive feeling coming out of this thing when at the, you know, in the, the last quarter – we revert to the where were you and how did you feel when he died? It's it's not relevant to the project. It's not relevant to any of these things. They did it in Bad Twenty Five. It was completely irrelevant in Bad Twenty Five. Um, totally kind of took the thing down from possibly being a five star documentary to being a four star documentary um, for me. Um, and yeah, that's my only critique of oh, these kinds of things. I agree. You don't need to have that moment. I agree. It totally pulls you out of the um, the reality of the documentary. It, it just it's like it lurches you out of it and thrusts you right back into June 25, 2009 and all the terrible feelings that came with that day. And it's just like I was having a great time watching this documentary and now I'm reliving the worst day in my life. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it would have relevance in particular contexts or particular documentaries, but definitely not uh, project specific documentaries that oh, yeah like a bi- like a biographical documentary about michael's life sure yeah. because that's from birth to death and then and then posthumous legacy included if you want to go that far yeah but 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 no not about one particular targeted project in every single project having these the same moment in them it's just yeah it's like a- when we when we get the off the wall documentary are they going to talk about michael's death in that one too I, I certainly hope not. I, so, I mean, if they were doing like, uh, if they were doing a documentary about, like, say somebody made a documentary about why Michael Jackson died, like, that'd be a really good documentary. That'd be excellent. It'd be like an expose. We'd be talking all about AEG and, um, you know, all, and Conrad Murray and all the different reasons why Michael was in a position where he was vulnerable to these people. And I think it'd be a great documentary and it would be relevant in something like that. But please, not in a documentary about what was going on in 1979. No. <laughs> Spike Lee, if you're listening, please. <laughs> um, great. So, look, I mean, if you're a fan of... Uh, I'm not going to say if you're a fan of Michael Jackson, definitely go out and get the Cirque documentary. But if you are a fan of Cirque du Soleil and if you are a fan of the Immortal World Tour and Michael Jackson, then go grab it because you are going to love this thing. But, uh, yeah, if you're purely just a fan of Michael and the work that he put out uh, in his lifetime, then, uh, yeah, you might want to think about renting it or something like that in some other way if you can find it. So thank you very much for listening to the MJ cast episode four. Uh, we can't wait for our next episode, which is going to be an escape origin special. Uh, thank you very much and keep Michaeling. There we go. That's a wrap. See if you can hear it on the recording at the end as you go. And thanks everybody. And that's a wrap. My cat goes. So episode five is actually one of our 
biggest ever rating episodes ever is that correct yeah absolutely especially on youtube it was a a very very popular episode for a very special reason so this sort of um was a bit of a like a stepping stone for the mj cast in a way we had our first guest who actually had uh worked with michael and sort of knew michael and shared first-hand accounts of being with Michael and some incredible stories. We're speaking, of course, about Kerry Anderson. He was a security detail um, and head of security for Michael Jackson for some pretty important times in recent history. So he shared some terrific stories with you, didn't he, Jamin? Yeah, it was amazing speaking to him. The first time I spoke to him wasn't actually the recorded conversation. We had a phone call that lasted nearly twice as long prior, and he told me so many amazing stories about protecting Michael, not only at court, but also in different places like shopping malls and and uh, different appearances. And I was captivated at his stories and and I think our audience actually had a similar feeling when we put the show out, being able to hear some of those stories. And and I still can't wait for Kerry to release his book, which is going to have even more detail in it when it finally comes out. But uh, an amazing guy uh, to speak to. I still think that out of all the guests we've had on, and, and there's been, we've had some amazing guests, but the level of fine detail that Kerry goes into is second to none. His ability to recall information... Uh, like just small details about different scenarios he was in with Michael still blows my mind to this day. Uh, an amazing person, really glad that Michael could have him around during uh, the most tumultuous time in his life. I have no doubt that Michael was in serious danger in the mid-2000s with all of the different threats coming in uh, around him. And I tell you what, if it wasn't for Kerry and his team being right there defending Michael every step, who knows what would have happened. But yeah, it was a really, um, it was a big step for the MJ cast. It was actually, uh, I think it was the the moment where our listeners kind of realized these aren't just a couple of guys kind of talking generally about Michael Jackson and the news on Michael Jackson. These guys really mean business. They're getting some good guests on now. And it was a big moment for us where a lot of people kind of realized, yeah. Kerry, my, my next question for you is around something that you've spoken about in a previous interview I've heard. And uh, you mentioned that at one point during the trial, I think it might have been right at the very end, there was actually a, uh, a threat on Michael's life. Um, you know, to what extent did that threat leave him worried and, and yourself as well? There's just the team of people around him. Well, uh I wasn't worried. Uh, it's one thing about protection work. You you know the kind of uh, uh, danger that exists. If somebody wants to kill somebody and they are willing to die to do it, you can't stop that. All you can do is try your best to identify it and to prevent it. But like I said, you, 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 you just... Uh, anybody can assassinate anybody if they're willing to die. And... That's where your your expertise comes in. You you got to do certain things, and I, and I won't go into certain things that we did, but we did certain things to counter assault that. If any kind of threat were to come up, uh, we we had things in place to deal with it, and uh, and then the my ultimate protection was God, because like I said, there's only certain things you can do, whether you have weapons or not, and whether you have counter assault measures in place or not. 
like I said, my ultimate protection was God. And, and Michael was on the same philosophy. He was a uh, Christian. And uh, I was also told that he was a devout Jehovah's Witness. But our, our ultimate protection came from God. And, and I believe God's angels were encamped around us. And uh, he ultimately protected us. But we definitely had a couple of viable threats earlier in the trial and definitely on the last day of the trial. And uh, I'll, I'll get more and more and more in detail about certain things that happened that really raised my eyebrows a little bit and <laughs> made me pray a little bit harder, you know. But uh, Absolutely. Just another great reason to look forward to your book, I guess. So Some of that detail will be in there, I, I'd imagine. Oh, Absolutely. Pretty, pretty soon after the, the verdict, uh, you guys decided to go to the Middle East, is that correct? Why, why did you decide to travel to the Middle East? Well, Michael basically was done with the United States. He um, didn't believe in the judicial system. He, he believed that they could do him like this again. And he was very fearful, you know, of, of what could potentially happen again. And, and, you know, some of his friends from other parts of the world opened their arms and said, that won't happen here. And uh, he decided to, um, you know, meet with his friend, Sheikh Abdullah, and, and that's, that's where we decided to go. And I guess Sheikh Abdullah assured him enough that that wouldn't happen again, and he didn't have to worry about anything. And it was great when we got over there. It was so peaceful, and you could tell Michael was really in better shape once, once we got over there. Yeah. And what sort of places did you visit? What countries did you go to there? Uh, we went to, first of all, we went to France and stayed there for a couple of weeks, Paris, France. And then we went to the Middle East. We went to Bahrain, uh, Dubai, and Oman. Yeah, you mentioned about going to a, like a remote village in Oman. Well, tell, tell me a bit about that experience. I mean, why, why did Michael want to go really remote into a, into a village in Oman? Oh, because the people that, uh, when they picked us up, some of the people when we arrived in Oman... We, the people that hosted us, uh, some billionaire kind of guys. As a matter of fact, when we left the airport, as we're going up this street, there was a Rolls Royce, Ferrari, uh, Lamborghini, and Bentley dealership. And this particular family owned that. But they were also uh, people that were considered nomads. They lived, they, I guess, certain times of the month, they would go up in the mountains and live without electricity and running water because that was their culture, I guess. And my, they were explaining that to Michael, and he was like, oh, I want to go. So we, we rode up there. Just like, and I, I didn't really, I wasn't feeling that because we were still dealing with the war kind of thing, the Middle East thing. And it's like, I'm thinking, man, we, you know what? You could become, I don't know these people. I mean, let, let's don't go in the mountains. You know, let's stay in the city where at least we can run and get some help, you know. But, you know, uh, Michael was Michael. And when he wanted to do something, there was nothing I could do. And we went. But like I said, you, you start going up and I'm talking about it, it didn't even look like it was so mountainous and so far away from city. And all you see is mountains and caves. And then you and, you know, you see a guy walking with a herd of sheep coming down the mountain and like what? Oh, myself. I'm thinking, what are we doing here? You know, it's like I don't, I don't like this at all. But we did it, and people coming. Michael Jackson. Like, oh my God! And that's what really kind of showed me. It's like even these people know this man. 
Yeah. It's like, he oh, was, my God. He was, was a real amazing. international was, figure. You know, it doesn't matter where he went in the world. You know, he brought everyone together. Absolutely. Absolutely. So episode six uh, was another show that you weren't in, unfortunately, Q. <laughs> but Karma got me back a few months later <laughs> when I wasn't in a couple of your specials. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, but so this was the Tommy Organ special, wasn't it? Yeah, Tommy Organ special, really great one. This was one where we decided, okay, it's time that we start to talk to some of the people who worked with Michael in a creative capacity. And uh, we were lucky enough to speak to Michael's guitarist from the This Is It tour. Um, look, I want to ask you what it was actually like being around Michael Jackson. What are some of your favorite memories of being around him? Oh, man, uh, every day was good. You know, um, Michael, he always stayed the same person. He never changed. He was always happy every day, positive. Um, but I do recall one time he had this electronical spider on stage. And I mean, it was a big spider. It, it was going to come out on Thriller. And um, I couldn't actually hear what, what the people, the directors was telling them. But all I saw was him get in, try to get inside the spider. He thought he'd ride the spider around the stage. And they was like, no, 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 you can't get in it. We're going to control it. We need you to stand by it or do some kind of move, movement or something, man. And, I, and he started laughing first. So, you know, Michael got this way of laughing. And you may not even know what he's laughing at, but he'll make you laugh, you know. <laughs> Oh, man, that is awesome. It just sounds like there was so much positivity within those rehearsal sessions. Oh, oh man, that rehearsals, those rehearsals, we wanted to be there, man. Every day I got up, man, I looked forward to going to work, you know. Yeah. And everybody was always so, hey, how you doing? Everybody was just so the same. Like, we were all supposed to be together on this tour, man. And uh, that's the power and positivity that Michael brings around him. You know, you you want to do for Michael because he he's not going to do nothing to you, but 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 love you and 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 treat you fair. And and hey, hey, may we all good? Come on up with the to the front with me, and we can play together. I, I I'm not I'm not the star. You a star too. You know, he's a beautiful man. You you you, you, you he's a rare. Uh, uh, a person in this world, you know, and, uh, and we miss him a lot, man. But I, I, I say this, man, he's in a better place, man. And I'm going to keep this going, the legacy going as much as I can for him, you know, because, uh, he set me up for something that only God can do. And, uh, I, I'm honored once again, and I appreciate being with Michael every day, you know, when I think about it and, uh, Hey man, I'm ready to live. Uh, you know. So episode seven, I think you're really getting value for money here because <laughs> you get two Q rants. Double the Q. Double the Q rant craziness. <laughs> Is this when we started having to put explicit tags on the show? Yeah, it was. I think it was halfway through the year, roughly around May, and this 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 was when we were kind of Okay, getting pretty comfortable now with our audience. We're going to let some things go here. And, yep, the explicit tags, tags start coming. I love how you say we. It was always <laughs> me. I don't think I've sworn yet on the show. Um, I don't think you have. I, Which is funny because he actually does swear. No, I don't. You've never heard me swear. Yeah, I have. When? Pretty sure I have. When? 
probably on the phone with you and Damo. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, this was good fun. And yeah, here we go. We, you're going to hear my opinion about uh, the MJ1 lack of the soundtrack. Because I really did enjoy the show. I didn't think the hologram was the most amazing thing ever. I thought if it was actual footage of Michael, I would have thought that. But the rest of the show is absolutely mind-blowing, and I, I really did love the show. But, yes, you'll hear how I uh, was a bit angry that I couldn't buy a CD soundtrack, and I still am. I still would like to go and buy one. Take my money, seriously. Anyway, here we go. <laughs> and for our listeners as well that might not know, obviously Q, massive Disney fan right here. Hello. Yes, huge, obsessed, just as much as I'm Michael Jackson obsessed. I'm Disney, Disney, but mainly in a lot of ways, Disney parks and resorts, Disney parks and resorts obsessed as well. Yeah, we should. Oh, we didn't add it into the into the show notes, but we could, um, you know, we got uh, being like a big Disney expert here. Maybe we could talk about the recent Captain EO news. Isn't something happening around it was shutting down and now it's not shutting down or something like that? No, I'm pretty sure it's like pretty much all shutting down. I don't. I think Tokyo's replacing it with a Stitch attraction. Oh, God knows why they love Stitch so much over there, but good for them. Um, so Tokyo's losing theirs. Trying to remember what's happening with the Paris one. Disneyland Paris have a Captain EO. I think theirs might still be on and off. There was a news article I read. It said it was shutting down, and then that was posted on um, MJJC. And then, you know, the Michael Jackson fan forum. And, and I went into, like, the thread and I was reading it. And then about halfway through the thread, there was a post saying that the the shutting down of Captain EO in this particular park had been postponed. Or, some, or it's going to shut down, but they're postponing it for a period of time or something. I don't know. Well, I know in the U.S. parks in Disneyland, the original in California, which yeah. is coming up to is celebrating its uh, diamond anniversary, 60 years uh, this year, Disneyland in California and actually at the Epcot Park at Walt Disney World Resort in Florida, where um, in the Imagination Pavilion where Epcot was, they use those theaters sometimes for film previews, mm. especially in California one. They used it for most recently Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, and currently the Tomorrowland, which is funny because that's what land it's in, Tomorrowland, there's a film coming out in May with uh, George Clooney is one of the big names in the film called Tomorrowland. Uh, and they were doing the current Captain EO replacement was like a film preview for Tomorrowland in the US parks. So after that, I did just read this morning that the next film to be previewed I think in Florida, definitely, is the Inside Out Pixar film. I think it's Pixar. Oh, I can't wait for that. Yeah, yeah, I've seen Yeah, that. that looks really good. Why they wouldn't do that in the Wonders of Life pavilion at Epcot, who knows, because uh, it's basically a film which is almost similar to an attraction they had at that now abandoned pavilion called um, uh, Cranium Command, which is a similar kind of story kind of thing so yeah but we could do a whole episode on captain neo at some point in oh, the future we totally should because it's like the intersection of your two you know major um interests you know michael jackson and disney it's like the the intersection of those two things really yeah, really and cool it's pretty it's a pretty big intersection because captain neo is pretty awesome and i have i've been very lucky i've seen it in california uh disneyland i've seen it in disneyland Paris, and I have seen it in Tokyo Disneyland. So I've actually seen three of the four Captain EO presentations out there. 
all of them since it has been brought back. I didn't get to see it in the 90s when it was originally around. Mm. So since it's been brought back. So I was very, 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 very grateful that they did bring it back for yeah. a short time. It can't last forever. I understand. It's very dated. Um, but that's well, part of the charm. I mean, you've seen it in all these great places. I've I've been lucky enough to watch it on YouTube. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> YouTube. Thank you, YouTube. <laughs> totally not the experience that it was intended for with the 3D effects <laughs> or 4D. I think it is, yes, isn't it? With it was that? one of the first 4D attractions ever. Ah, oh, so cool. Hopefully one day, my wife, we've, we've always wanted to, to go to a Disneyland somewhere, a Disney park, and um, hopefully one day we get the opportunity to see it there. It's not looking great at the moment with the news of it maybe shutting down so we'll see what happens i wonder if he recorded any other poems like that's a great book i remember very clearly when that came out in the 90s and stumbling across it in a bookshop and i nearly fainted but like i wonder if he sort of did a a a voice recording of all of the poems and if if somewhere in a vault there there's all of the stuff that he's spoken out imagine that that would be incredible be crazy like it, it's very possible like i mean he's there's some great poems in there there's another one called mother earth which is really good and it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if michael did record a lot of that poetry as well because obviously if he did planet earth then the chances of him doing other ones are really high as well so who knows yeah hello estate again there you go there's something else i take my money and i would pay for that <laughs> put that together we maybe with you don't even need music really with it, like just the spoken word stuff. Just yeah, that's if that's right. out there, that's what I would be interested in in paying for legitimate, cool, awesome stuff like that. There's so many, there's limitless amount of projects that the estate could do around that sort of stuff. Uh, I know that some people have their views around you know unreleased uh, recordings not coming out and all of that kind of thing, and that's that's fair enough. But there are a lot of possibilities for the estate to partner with these different organisations. For example, the Earth Day Network or any any group that that represents something that Michael believed in. They they could potentially partner up and put out great new products all for a really good cause. I remember that going back to what we talked about at the start, Captain EO estate work with Disney, which is another huge company and probably has its own rights and contracts for, for the use of the film, but partner with them and release Captain EO on Blu-ray. And there's a great making of documentary that could go with that as well. Imagine the potential of having interviews with people like George Lucas, Francis Ford uh, Coppola, yeah. the people that worked on yeah, that. Terry Harden, the Imagineer, Terry Harden, that was the uh, Edie and Odie puppet. So, yeah, that would be another thing. Estate, hello. There we go. Take our money. <laughs> some, Take our money. Some great potential products uh, in the pipeline in the future. Hopefully one day we see them come out. But Yeah, it's... That's one of my biggest contentions. Actually, is the the album. I don't want to. I don't want to be negative because I think you know. Actually, the the one what I've seen when when I get to talk about. I haven't seen MJ One, but when I when I do get to talk about it, especially the music around it, after you've you know given your your opinions and everything, like I actually have quite a positive outlook on what's going on with MJ One. My issues were mainly around Immortal and and the soundtrack. I felt like because I'll, I'll say it from the start. Like I'm I'm actually a huge fan of the music, musical elements that Cirque du Soleil do in their shows. Now, the Beatles one, Love, that is one of my all-time favorite albums. And I actually think that uh, the way that Cirque 
worked with, you know, um, I can't remember his name, but he was like a, a guy who worked in the studio with the Beatles on all of their, their albums. And he had a really big hand in putting together the Beatles, um, you know, soundtrack uh, love to to this to their Cirque show, and I think it's incredible the 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 way that the songs blend into each other, the the subtle inclusions of lesser known Beatles elements into each of the songs to create this amazing musical journey throughout their careers from start to finish, is beautiful. It's it's seamless. It's timeless. It's its own thing. You can put it on and listen to it uh, without feeling very like oh that's. Um, not very respectful. And, and I guess I did have some concerns around the Immortal soundtrack because I felt that the, the, the fades and the blends between a lot of the songs were, were very, um, very distinct and I felt like it could have flowed a little bit better. I also had some questionable... I felt that some of the musical decisions were questionable as well, some of the song inclusions without getting into any more detail. And I just I just felt in general like the music for the Immortal show could have been a lot better. I, some of the uh, people that worked on the show have, you know, like Jamie King has actually come out and said that the Immortal show was quite rushed. They only got it, they got it done in like a year when usually a Cirque show would take a few years to put together. Uh, so, and I felt like that actually shows a little bit. So yeah, I, I, I do feel like, um, you know, I think there's some great songs and some great things in the Immortal soundtrack. For example, the, the chanting that goes on in They Don't Care About Us. And there's some really cool stuff in there. But as a whole package, as a whole piece of work, I felt like a little bit, a little bit let down by the Immortal soundtrack. And I think that has been rectified in a lot of ways for the one, the MJ1 soundtrack. Uh, but yeah, they were my main concerns. Well, like things may have changed. I yeah, I love Mega Mixes, and I never yeah. had many issues with the Immortal soundtrack. It was yeah, like I said, always I listen. It's, it's still in the car. I still, if I'm going to put a CD on, they're the two discs I've got of Michael in the car because I can listen to little snippets and stuff on the way to work and whatever. And it, apparently, the the sales were not great for it. But Cirque du Soleil have put out soundtracks for all their albums. Um, most of their touring shows, I think, have been put yes. out for sale. And they're not like going to be huge soundtracks that light up the whole world and hit the top five billboard charts. It's a it's a show soundtrack. And it's, yeah, it's Well, with the exception of the different. Beatles one. The Beatles one did like ridiculously well. But that was more of a cultural landmark. Like that was, um, you know, that was like huge and no one could have predicted it and i don't think any many other cirque soundtracks have reached that level of 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 quality or fame and and i think it's and i i I guess it was my fault because i kind of i kind of went into it expecting that the mj you know soundtrack for immortal to be as big as that and i was like oh this is going to be the ultimate mj party album mega mix and everyone's going to play it forever and this is going to be it's going to outsell number ones and it's going to be the go-to best of album and when it didn't live up to the hype that was around the beatles one i guess i kind of felt a little bit let down so that's a problem of mine i always go into new projects (laughs) with the highest hopes possible and i'm always a little bit let down but but yeah i mean it's got its good points don't get me wrong i i agree like i had hoped that that level of success would have been for this album and i honestly for me anyway i don't see why it didn't get that level of success i love Hmm. the immortal i think it could have i don't know why it didn't i think there was no publicity for it especially even when it toured they didn't even promote the album in the the cities where it went i thought that was a ridiculous move interesting with the soundtrack of um immortal maybe the lack of success is one of the reasons 
why they never put the MJ1 soundtrack on sale. Because one of my biggest, biggest, biggest bones of contention is that you can go to the show, there's an entire shop of merchandise at the exit of the show. The, The soundtrack is not for sale. Estate, if you're listening, what the fuck? Because seriously, that is bullshit. Seriously, and we're going to label, and I apologize for swearing, <laughs> but I'm so angry explicit about tag. this. Explicit tag earned <laughs> verified. There you go. Yeah. Um, it's bullshit that you cannot buy the soundtrack for the MJ1 show either in Vegas at the show or online anywhere or even on iTunes as a digital download. That's ridiculous because the, the soundtrack is incredible. It's not as mixed as mm. the Immortal soundtrack i think a lot of the elements are more pure to album versions and then some um like uh mashups with other songs and elements and things like that but from go to to from start to finish that's another soundtrack that could and should definitely should in capital letters be out for sale i don't see there's probably some ridiculous reason that it's not for sale maybe there's some sort of rights issue or something but it's. I don't see why they would be. I mean, they're not using elements from other intellectual property other than what Michael put out, and they're the sole proprietors of that of that property now. So I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be able to release it, unless like it's outside of their projected projects. Maybe they, maybe the estate, when they figured out what projects they wanted to release with Sony over a certain period of time, maybe this was outside of that, and now they, I don't know. But it's just ridiculous that we cannot buy this, like. There's bootlegs out there, thank God, because, like, you know, where else are we going to be able to... This is... Yeah, I understand that you should go to the show, it's in one place, and it's a set Vegas experience, but if I can get a program to bring home or a Michael-influenced jacket, which I did not buy, to bring home, they were cool, but I couldn't buy a jacket, (laughs) couldn't afford that... So if I can bring those kind of things, why can I not bring home the experience of the music? The program yeah. is very detailed and I'll probably have to move up over to where I've got the program set up to remind me of parts of the show as I talk about it. But why can I bring that home, which is a gorgeous program for the most part, um, and I can't bring the music home to experience? It makes yeah. me so angry because like, if as a fan, I should be able to choose where my money goes and and that is something I would buy. So I guess in the next episode, does this like sort of cement me as the uber crazy (laughs) Michael fan? Uh, I wouldn't say that. You balance positivity and constructive criticism very, very well, in my opinion. Why, thank you. And I like sticking up for people that, you know, are getting picked on. Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't say Damien has been picked on as as much as some other MJ authors, but he definitely has been given a rough trot. Uh, in some ways. So, you know, he when he released his book, Escape Origins, an overly positive book, an amazing book about Michael's recording process on the songs that came out eventually on the second posthumous album, Escape. Uh, but when, when that book came out, we were so lucky to have 
to have our close friend Damien on the show to talk all about it and his experiences talking with some uh, you know prominent Michael Jackson collaborators. And it was a good opportunity as well for you to uh, to kind of step up to the plate and defend Damien against some of those uh, some of those people. Well, yeah, he's a good mate, so you know no one's gonna try and get Damien down if I'm around. So, <laughs> but it was such a good book. Escape Origins is a really good book. And again, I'm gonna ask if you've got the book, if you've read it then go to Amazon, leave a review for it because that does really help authors a lot. And really, this is probably one of the first times we've ever had a bit of a glimpse into the Invincible recording sessions as well. Yeah, it's a very um, mysterious time that's not really spoken about uh, very much in general. But Damien has an excellent chapter on the song Escape in his book. And yeah, uh, when when you read that chapter, it gives you a bit of a window right into the, the Invincible period. Yeah, it's bullshit. You don't go to your job and work for free because you have to. You you know, you go and do the job because it needs to be done and you get remunerated accordingly. But yeah, writing a book isn't cheap. And if you were charging, if you got your total bills at the end between you and James and what it costs to put this together and then calculated, okay, if we're going to sell the book this many copies, you know, it'll be like $500 a book or whatever to pay it all off and then add a bit extra that would be you know trying to make a profit you're not even trying to make a profit so anyone that is out there saying this shit is i'm just going to say straight out back off and fuck off because you're just full of bullshit and that is not what is happening here at all this is getting it out there q has gone rogue this is getting it out there for you to enjoy so just shut up I love it. I love it. The only Thanks, other time dude. I've heard him go rogue on the show is um, not having the MJ1 soundtrack available uh, in Las Vegas to buy. I'm still so, annoyed by that. That's <laughs> the second time I've heard him go rogue about that issue because he went rogue about that issue in a, just in a chat <laughs> with me. Well, um, you know, I like to earn our explicit tag, so there you go. <laughs> uh, wonderful. Thanks, Hugh. It means a lot. Thanks. That's cool. So over to you now, Jamin. Well, I've got a question about um, like when you're actually talking, Damien, to um, Michael Jackson's collaborators. Because, I mean, I've only had the chance to talk to a couple of people so far that have um, known Michael. Uh, so Tommy Organ and Kerry Anderson. We've done a couple of specials on those guys at the MJ cast. But you've obviously had the chance to talk to a lot of people that knew Michael um, artistically in the studio and I want to know about like when you interview those people what kind of emotions and feelings are going through you when you're talking to them you know like what's it like sometimes sometimes they're talking and I'm kind of just like escaping into their little world of like trying to like imagine I was there or whatever and they'll stop talking and I'll have to realize hang on this isn't a dream or this is Hang on, I have to actually respond. <laughs> I have to say something back to them because <laughs> sometimes people, like, for example, um, one of the, the most exciting interviews that I ever did was was with CJ Davila and his passion. CJ Davila was an engineer that worked at um, the record plant in Los Angeles in 1998 and 1999 when Michael was doing Blue Gangster and A Place With No Name and he was also working on songs like uh, Break of Dawn and Cry and different songs that came early in the, uh, in the, in the Invincible sessions. And it, when he talks about working with Michael and he talks about Michael in general, 
his passion levels are just on a whole another level. And I might, I might even be able to dig up some audio that we can play. So let me, let me see what I can find from an interview that I did with him. Yeah, that totally sounds like a great idea. How about, how about we hit play on that audio right now? The pyrotechnics that came out of this man was ridiculous. Nobody realizes it, but it comes out like that all the fucking time, dude. Uh, it's it's powerful. It's magic. And sometimes he would, I mean, uh, he he would almost channel when he would be singing. You know, I mean, he would be scary sometimes. He would actually grab the mic with his hand and and just get into it, you know. And then and then the part would be over. He'd let go of the mic and he'd sit there and just simmer. And I would wait sometimes 20, 30 seconds before he got his composure back. He'd be waiting, going, ooh, you know. Wow. And then we drop in again, you know. So he was, let's say, gathering up energy, widening up his body, and then, bam, letting it loose, and then relaxing, composing himself, a slight little five-second meditation, and we do another drop-in. So he was really focused on every part, every swing at the ball. There was a lot of force behind every take. It was, he, he thrilled me in the studio. Wow, that was really amazing, Damien. Thank you for uh, being able to share that with, uh, with the MJ cast and all of our listeners as well. My absolute pleasure. So to continue on with, uh, with Q's question, uh, was it your question, Damien, about what it's like to... Damien's question. Yeah, I think it was right. mine. Yeah. I'm losing my mind. Um, about what it's like to deal with these people. Yeah, some of these people, it, it just it's just... You can be sitting across the table from them and just looking at them and be like, wow, you were in this person's presence for 20, 25 years. Like some of, some of, sometimes it's just astonishing to just like, just shake yourself and, and just understand how privileged these people were. And one thing I just want to say about the people who worked with Michael that I was privileged enough to interview for the project um, is, man, they are some of the nicest people on the planet. One common denominator with people that Michael worked in the studio with on his art is that they are just so, so nice. And I've, even beyond people I've interviewed for Escape Origins, I mean, I've interviewed um, like Kenny Ortega and Lavelle Smith and um, Brian, uh, sorry, Barry Lather and uh, Jeff Margolis. And these people are just absolutely wonderful they're so so nice and kind and just i don't know them from a bar of soap but even i feel safe just talking to them um and some people in the world you know can be really difficult to feel like you can you can really let your inhibitions and your guard down and have an honest open conversation with but these guys the first time you speak to them they're just so open and um i think that is really one of the main reasons that Michael Jackson was able to kind of produce such incredible creativity uh, because he knew he was in a safe space with these people. He knew he was in an environment where he could literally bring any idea to the table. There'd be no judgment. There would only be facilitation to make that art come to life or improve or be better than it was when he brought it to the table or, you know, if Michael has an idea that he's not able to articulate precisely, there are people who would spend hours and hours and hours and hours and not be frustrated with the fact that it didn't happen quickly, 
but they were they were just there because they just wanted the best for Michael and they wanted to see his vision through and they wanted to make sure that he knew that they didn't want anything else from him other than wonderful art and they were a team um, and it's you know it's very rare I don't I don't often come across artists in the modern era where you can like truly understand and feel that this project came together from a team atmosphere because you know a singer will be a singer and then a producer will be a producer and the producers running all over the country working with all of the hot artists and they just want to get their name on certain tracks and they just want to make a big amount of money because they want to have number one hits with this singer and that that singer and this group and that group but with Michael it was like Matt Forger, Michael Prince, Brad Buxer, John Barnes these people were his core team of creative force that when they came together and they worked on music and they worked on demos, magic was going to happen and they were all in it together and they all saw the whole process through together and it was just, it, it was just magic and the results are magic. Michael's music was magic and not just the music on the Escape project that I've talked about in the Escape Origins book, but the music we all, we've all had for decades. Those people were there from the beginning, from the beginning when Michael had the idea to the final moment where he let it go and it was out there, publicized on a CD for the entire world to experience. That Michael's creative team is responsible, each in their own little way, with Michael Jackson as the captain of that ship. And it's just, it's just astonishing to think about this little core group of people to make so much magic for so long. I think Michael was really, really smart with who he worked with. I think he he didn't need to have hotshot producers, although he did give a lot of people an opportunity. But if the opportunity didn't work out uh, and Michael didn't feel comfortable with it, it wouldn't progress. But yeah, like, I mean, he worked with he worked with people like Will I Am, fleetingly. He worked with people like Akon, fleetingly. Um, not a lot of material actually completed with these people. But throughout that whole process, even those final years where he was giving people the opportunity to write for him, Neo was writing for him, but Michael never recorded any of it. You know, people were submitting songs. He was giving the opportunities, but the relationships never went to that level where he would get in the studio and do an album with them. And even in those moments, before and after working with people like Will I Am, Akon, and Neo in those final years of his life, who was still around actually recording the demos in the studio with Michael. Michael Prince, Brad Buxer, the core people who he trusted. And John Barnes over in Bahrain worked heavily with Michael. And Bill Bottrell also went over to Bahrain and worked a little bit with Michael in the final years too. Those people, they were still around because Michael knew where his magic was happening. And, uh, and he trusted his instincts and he trusted... He trusted trust. Those people were trustworthy and it, it just all came together beautifully. So fast forward to June, middle of the year, and we had a couple of guests join us, a couple of friends of ours, Marnie and Jerome. Uh, joined us for the only episode where we've ever had four participants at one time. And I think it was an excellent show. It was definitely a lot of fun to record. I think it was really great having such a 
sort of diverse group of people for the discussion we had in that episode. Yeah, exactly. It, like we, it was a bit of a what if discussion, yeah. hypothetical stuff, and we all coming from different places with different views, and that worked so well. I think that was a discussion point sent in by Austin Ernst. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it was, and it was a great discussion from memory. It was a lot of fun. It was also cool. It was really cool to reconnect with Marnie because I hadn't spoken to her in a long time, and it was fun to talk about those old times uh, when we were fans back in the day. And it was also the episode where we launched our hashtag, which is Jamin. Today I heard MJ. So on Twitter, and I guess you could also use it on Instagram, really, if you hear Michael in the breeze, hashtag it. <laughs> and hashtag today I heard MJ. Jerome, do you do you enjoy seeing the Jacksons perform in their in their latest iteration? I, I do, and uh, like you, I haven't actually seen them live, but I've watched a lot of videos on YouTube, and uh, you know, it's it's fun to watch, um, but it's also hard for me to watch because you know the obvious is you know Michael's not there, and so it's 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 just in my mind, it is a little hard for me to you know. Obviously, I have to accept that fact, but. It, it's always, I feel like I watch them perform, I enjoy it, but I'm still left yearning for something more or something that is not quite there. That's the best way I can sum it up when I see them. But uh, as Marnie said, I'm excited that they're still performing and um, I'm glad that, that they're still doing what they love doing and, and sharing their gift of music with the world. So, I think it's important that they're still performing. I'm glad they are as well. I think that's an important thing that they are. Because their music on their own stands like stands up against anything now, so I think that it's good that they're still out there doing it. Yeah, they might be a legacy act in a lot of ways, but their musical history and their musical royalty. So we're very lucky. Yeah, it's um, fantastic yes. that they still have that energy. Um, <clears throat> like you said, they. I mean, even watching the American Idol performance, even though it didn't wow me, just they did have that energy. It was really great to see that, you know, Marlon's still dancing and pulling all those dance moves and um, all the poses and stuff that they used to do on, you know, because I've watched so many of the uh, or so much of the old footage from the 70s of them performing and it's still, you know, very similar. They're just fantastic. Marlon tore the stage up when I saw them. I couldn't believe it. He and I, because I saw him the next day and I got their autographs and I told him, so you tore that stage up like a 21 year old and he laughed so much. Um, but he yeah. really did. He tears the stage up dancing and stuff. Yeah, Marlon is highly underrated. I think that he's probably my favorite Jackson after Michael. He really, he tried really hard, you know, like his dancing is incredible and he's got a really underrated voice as well. I think that for me, he's definitely a standout in the Jacksons and I'm so glad that he's performing as part of the Jacksons, you know, because he's great. He's a great so guy. True. Yeah, great, great stuff. I just hope I get the chance one day to see him live. Like everyone that I've ever seen who's seen them always say it's just an incredible experience going to watch them. The positivity, the energy, the music. I mean, they're singing live. It's it's uh, just really magical. So hopefully one day it'll happen for me as well. You know, I think that all of us as fans would love 
if he was alive today, would just love to see him doing something that he loved, that he could, yes. you know, a, pro- a project that he could see through to the end that yep. wasn't, that didn't have these obstacles like so many of his projects were in the last, you know, 10 years of his life where something would just come up to stop it or a record company would pull out on him or, so, you know, he would pull out on them or, you know, something like that. I, I mean, to be honest, I just want wanted to see him do something that he loved that he just yeah that he would just be at peace with that he just loved doing and just wanted to see through to the end so yeah that's just what I wanted to say (laughs) yeah such good points yeah and we all I think yeah something I think we all really wanted was just to see him just let his creativity just take yeah. over and let do let him do his thing the way he wants to do it and just like and then at the end of that whatever the product would have been would have been incredible Definitely. yeah absolutely and yeah. to add to that one more thing i just i think also something um that we all would have wanted to see was just to truly see michael be happy again yeah absolutely because i'm yeah. not sure when the last time he was actually truly happy yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that he was happy at, at home with his children and that's probably when he was most, you know, happy. But yeah, to to see him in the public eye and be happy and relaxed, absolutely would just be amazing. Yeah. I think we saw glimpses of it maybe when he did his appearance in Japan for the big fan oh, yeah. meetup in Japan. I think we saw glimpses of it there. I think we saw a glimpse of it in the uh uh, Michael Jackson private home movies TV special. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Why I, I think why I love that one so much is because he's just so relaxed and happy in that one, and it's funny. Um, and I think we saw maybe glimpses of it maybe at the um, what was the award show in England where he oh, got the World, the, oh, the Music, World Music World Music yeah. Awards is that the one when he when he um, did a bit of the um, We Are the World at the end? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we saw a bit of that there as well. So I think we saw glimpses, but, yeah, just to let him be and just to be happy again, that's such a good point, yeah. yeah. It was a really positive era, actually, like that whole post-trial pre-2009 period was like, you know, there was a lot of excitement, especially when he returned to the United States, you know, it was all happening, you know, and it, it just felt like as soon as Michael allowed that possibility again of him coming back to the entertainment industry, that whole giant machine of industry trying to control him came out again and him allowing himself to to come out and do more music it was just all these people came around him to try and take advantage of that again which in my opinion ultimately resulted in what happened in 2009 and it's i just hope one day we get a book about that i want somebody to write a book about the you know the whole last period of his life like the what are the real reasons what are all the things that happened leading up to 2009 that resulted in what happened because we're all fans and i you guys are all going to laugh at this you know from 20,000 miles away that there's a Michael Jackson song playing because you can recognize <laughs> oh, absolutely. a beat or something. You go, and they're playing, I can, and they're playing Man, I can hear they're Wannabe starting something a mile off. Like, I just yeah, hear, we are all I'm like there that, too. I walk so. straight there wherever it is, whatever shop I'm going in. Yeah, you go, that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You hear I, I can a think tiny of... snippet in the wind and you go, Wannabe starting something. <laughs> <laughs> We're like a bloodhound, yeah. us fans out there. We're all laughing because we know it's, it's true. true. <laughs> 
Oh, it's so true. I walked into the gym the other day and I could hear the way you make me feel, just the beat, yeah. like as I was walking in. And I was like, oh, that is so great. <laughs> so next time, hashtag it. Today I heard MJ at, at the, the gym. gym. The which way I think Leanna, Leanna, I think, heard it at the gym. So there you go. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, I was at the mall recently twice and I went into a particular store and, um, both of the times within two weeks of each other that I went into that store, it was fate. I walked in and I heard a place with, you know, a place with no name. Um, wow. Just, yeah, the escape version. That's cool. And, uh, and it's just cool to hear that playing. That would be the last thing I'd expect to hear. But yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely really cool. Well, there you go. So listeners out there, when you hear your Michael, wherever you are, whatever time of the day, hashtag it. Today I heard MJ and maybe you never know, maybe we can get it trending. And in the future, we'll try some other hashtags out as well and see if we can get some trends. That would be fun. Definitely. Hashtag sausage fest. (laughs) There's our show title. I don't know if you want to probably search for that. might not be a good (laughs) result. So episode 10 came out on June 13th, a very special day in the Michael Jackson calendar. Uh, Of course, Vindication Day, the day that Michael Jackson was exonerated and found innocent of all of the false child molestation accusation charges that were brought against him in the mid-2000s. And it's a day that we have uh, always respected and honoured in the Michael Jackson fan world. We do remember this day every year uh, in mid-June and uh, we were very lucky actually to have on uh, probably the best guest we could ever have on to do with this this topic and that was Michael's principal criminal lawyer uh, for the trial, Tom Mesero. And what an interview it was. Tom joined Charles and yourself, Q, and, and, and me, and we talked for a good couple of hours all about the trial. Tom was very gracious with his answers and his time. He gave us as long as we wanted. And, I mean, I think if we wanted to, we could have actually kept talking for four hours. <laughs> but We had gone through all our questions, though. We did go through all, all our questions, uh, but Tom just, just kept wanting to give and give and give, and just that just speaks to his generosity. Uh, it was an amazing experience talking to, to Tom. I think we were both just completely over the moon that this special came together the way that it did. We, we'd sort of blue sky, who would you want on this episode to speak about Vindication Day, to commemorate this episode? And, yeah, Tom Mesero would be just the dream guest. And when we locked it in, we could barely believe it. And then when it was happening... It was quite surreal and it was quite moving. And was Michael himself in a similar frame of mind throughout the whole trial or, in your opinion, was he up and down on occasion? Or, Well, one of the challenges of a criminal defense lawyer who represents a celebrity, and remember, this was the world's greatest celebrity. This was the best-known celebrity in the world. One of the challenges is to navigate their way through what is called the criminal justice system, which is a very strange, unfamiliar, uh, almost counterintuitive uh, atmosphere and process. So one of the problems was to keep Michael from 
being influenced by this horrible media sensationalism because he would go home and his family members would be there and they would watch some of these reports. And the reports, you know, were basically uh, the defense is taking a beating. The prosecution has a strong case. The prosecution has powerful witnesses. This testimony is disturbing. You know, there were some voices I've since learned who were a little more cautious. But I think the media wanted him to go down. I think uh, to see this type of rise and fall, to see someone reach the highest, you know, heights imaginable, and then to splatter in, in disgrace, uh, which is exactly what would have happened with a conviction. Uh, I think that was the story they wanted to profit from. I think they were hoping that this would go on and on for many months, that he would be convicted, hauled off to jail. There'd be a couple of months waiting for the sentencing so each side could get their papers together and form their position on sentencing. I think they were hoping for a lot of reports from the jail as to what he was eating and what he was reading and how he looks without makeup and how he looks without uh, his normal uh, you know, clothing. Um, I think there'd be rumors, was he going to kill himself and things like that. They were all hoping to profit from this morbid type of stuff. And uh, they, you know, I was told later on uh, by one very influential person in the music business that I had cost the, uh, the world media, you know, a billion dollars by acquitting him. So, the, you know, the, the lure of profit and ratings and spectacle was just uh, constantly present. And it influenced the reporting. It influenced, you know, just everything the media did. And it was very, very discouraging, except that the jury decided to follow the law and do the right thing, despite what the media did. And I, I have to say, it was a, uh, that verdict was a great moment for justice. Absolutely. Um, Tom, there were reports also at the time that Michael was spending a lot of time in his home studio away from the courtroom recording music as a therapeutic way to deal with the trial. There's actually um, lyrics. We've never heard the song, but there's lyrics that have come out that were allegedly written around the trial, and the lyrics are for a song called The Innocent Man, and they go, If I sail to Acapulco or Cancun, Mexico, there the law is waiting for me, and God knows that I'm innocent. If they won't take me in Cairo, then Lord, where will I go? I'll die a man without a country, and only God knew I was innocent now. Do you know to what extent Michael was working on music during that time as well as a way to, to manage the stress of what was happening with the trial? Well, I heard he was doing that. I didn't really dig deeply into it. I was just too busy doing what I had to do, which was preparing for each day's witnesses, whether I was cross-examining their witnesses or calling our witnesses. And um, uh, I knew he was doing that. I heard it. I, I didn't really follow the music. I didn't know exactly what he was doing. Uh, I encourage him to relax and uh, in some ways escape through whatever means he could um, uh, and just take one day at a time. I told him, uh, you know, get up each day and when you wake up, before you get out of bed, close your eyes and just inventory all the wonderful blessings, the wonderful experiences, the wonderful accomplishments, family, friends that uh, your life has been blessed with and just say, dear God, just get me through today. Uh, let tomorrow will take care of itself. I suggested he start his each day that way. So I knew he was going to the studio. I really didn't know what he was composing or creating, but I was hoping it would help him, you know, cope with the events. By the way, back to your last question, Jermaine Jackson wrote a book 
which I thought was very well written, uh, where he did say that, um, you know, we kept getting media reports that the trial was going badly for the defense, and then we would talk to Tom Mesereau, and he would tell us the opposite. Um, so it's, it's, you know, unfortunately, people in the entertainment business, they think what they watch on TV is the trial, uh, and that's not the trial. The trial is going on in a courtroom with 13 people, a judge and 12 jurors who are weighing and watching everything that happens within certain rules, and it's a totally different world from the world of the media and entertainment. But to tell an entertainer that that's not the reality, that the reality is something you're not really watching uh, at night, is hard. Tom, you spoke a moment ago about the ways that you told Michael to cope with the trial. How well did you think he coped with the trial, and um, what did you observe about his deterioration during the trial? Well, imagine, you know, the Michael Jackson you know, you know, extraordinarily sensitive, uh, extraordinarily intuitive, very creative, very humane, very compassionate, a genius who sees things we don't see, who hears things we can't hear, uh, who will come up with creative concepts that we can't even imagine, you know, where they came from. So you take someone with that extraordinary sensitivity uh, and throw him into this nightmarish criminal trial where be, he's being accused of conspiring with other hoodlums to abduct children, to falsely imprison a family to take a cancer-stricken child who at one point was thought to be dying and give him alcohol to prepare him to be molested. I mean, if you put all these accusations together, they were saying he was a monster. And you take an extraordinarily sensitive, gifted, vulnerable person like that and make him sit there five days a week for five months, not to mention the stressful buildup to the trial where the media coverage was terrible. And, and, and you know, every day he knows if, if these strangers choose to believe the prosecutors uh, and the police, you know, I'm probably going to die in a California state prison. And you, you throw in all the horrible stories about what prison life is like. So you would expect someone like that to have an enormously difficult time coping with it. Uh, any human being, even people with a thicker skin and less sensitivity than him, have a tough time. So I always assume that clients are probably, you know, going to their physicians and being uh, prescribed antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication or sleep medication. That would be something to be expected. He was always very lucid and very conversant and very articulate with me, but I did notice him losing weight. And, you know, as we all know, on verdict day, he just looked horrible. He looked like his cheeks were sunken in, that, you know, he hadn't slept for days. He looked uh, very, very haggard and very and paralyzed with fear. That's what I remember thinking about him. Um, I was hopeful. Uh, I was optimistic. Um, I thought we were going to win. But if we hadn't, I would have gone back to my office to fight another day. He would have been destroyed. He would have been immediately remanded to jail. He would have been isolated from everyone else. He could have been abused interminably, and nobody would have known it. He could have been shipped off to some underground jail to, to await sentencing. I mean, the horrors that he could have faced uh, 
were horrible. I wasn't facing those horrors, even though things were stressful for me. So he did deteriorate. Uh, you would expect someone to in that position. But I think because of his extraordinarily sensitive being, his extraordinarily kind, decent ways, I think it made it harder for him to sit there day after day and be accused of, of being a monster that he couldn't even imagine being. I mean, think of this. Can you imagine Michael Jackson arranging a conspiracy of mobsters to, uh, to falsely imprison <laughs> a family, to abduct children? Can you imagine him being a cold monster and wanting to give alcohol to a cancer-stricken child to prepare him and weaken his, uh, his defenses so he could be molested? That's what he was being charged with. It's, it's mind-boggling. But that's what he was being charged with. This is someone who was championing the cause of, of the world's children, who really saw himself as someone who could make a difference, trying to get the world to focus on children. He wanted an International Children's Day. He focused on children from poverty, from backgrounds of violence and deprivation. Uh, he loved to see foster children come to Neverland and have fun and, and see the zoo and the amusement rides. Can you imagine taking that kind of a being and throwing him into a courtroom where he's facing the rest of his life in prison, perhaps, because he was a gangster who did this kind of stuff? It's ridiculous. But there he was. So, yes, he did go downhill in many ways. Um, and he looked terrible the last day. So next up was another special, back-to-back -back specials. It was a, it's a very um, emotional time, really, for us at this time of the year. Mm -hmm. So I think we weren't really sure how to approach the June 25th special. Um, I had one of my dream guests I'd always just wanted to hear from was Darren Hayes, singer-songwriter Darren Hayes, and I'd really wanted to ask him and just learn about the song Glorious from the Secret Codes and Battleships two-disc album, which was a direct tribute song to Michael after he passed, and it is an incredible song. So we just sort of threw it out there. We know that Darren is a big Michael fan, especially Bad Era, when he got to see Michael first in concert in Brisbane in 1988 so we really just sort of threw it out there and we got really lucky and we're so grateful it was um i think again like the tom episode just before this took us up to another level and then interview with darren i think for me definitely took it up to a whole other level yeah definitely for me as well and because darren like he's got a lot of history in podcasting himself he originally started the talk 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 podcast which i don't think currently comes out but then he shifted into doing a very very successful uh current show with tim stanton the he said he said show which is hilarious and you should definitely one of my favorites it. yeah it's, it's a very good very good one so darren when he came on the show filled with confidence uh was was a great guest to have very engaging and so much fun to talk to and listen to and can't wait to have him back one day because it was a real pleasure it was an absolute pleasure and, and just so much fun I want him to come back on so we can fanboy about Star Wars together. <laughs> well, no spoilers because I still haven't seen it. 
what were your earliest memories of Michael Jackson? And if separate, Michael as an artist and then Michael as a person? Great questions. My first Michael memory is probably seeing Can You Feel It? Oh, yes. uh, yeah, and, and it's interesting with Michael, isn't it? Because his music had always been there, I guess, in the soundtrack to to all of our lives. So I, I would have remembered songs like Ben and uh, I would have remembered uh, a lot of the Jackson songs, but he first connected to me visually. It was the Can You Feel It video and I remember it coming out in a period when special effects and films like Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind were hugely uh, influential in the world. And it just stood above everything else. It just got my attention. He was like a superhero. That, that was my first thought. I thought he was magical. And as a musician, the first time Michael really caught my attention was obviously the, the Thriller album. Uh, I was, I'm just trying to think, I was 10 when uh, Billie Jean first came out. And I remember at my school, I had to do a dancing competition to win a ticket to see the Thriller video. And I won. And because uh, again, we were poor. So the school was charging money to sit down and watch Making Michael Jackson's Thriller. It was a thing like you, you paid, I don't, I forget what it was like a dollar. And then over two lunch times, you could sit in this, this, the music room and you could watch making Michael Jackson's thriller. So that's the first time I ever saw the video and I couldn't afford to, to buy a ticket to it, but they gave away tickets for a dance competition and I won then. And that was it. It was love at first sight. I would put on my own versions of the, the video. I would make my own costumes. I, I got old. Uh, I was obsessed with zombies because Michael was, so I would take old clothing from like the St. Vincent de Paul's, which is like the thrift store if Americans are listening. And uh, I would age them just the way that the special effects team did. I'd bury them in the backyard. I'd put them in mud. <laughs> I, I cast um, the only black girl in my school was so beautiful. Her name was Tammy Louie. And I cast her as Ola Ray and I was Michael. <laughs> So that was, you know, that was 1982, 83. And uh, my memories of Michael as a human being, again, and I know that Michael wasn't gay, but what Michael was was completely fluid with his sexuality, fluid with his masculinity, fluid with his humanity. He was raceless. He was ageless. Well before his appearance changed, he already projected that to me. Something in me that was a, a young kid who came from a, you know, I love my family, but my, upgr- my upbringing was very similar to Michael's. I had a very violent father and, a, and an alcoholic father. And uh, there was a lot of domestic violence in my family. And I didn't realize it, but I was gay. And I, I didn't know, I didn't have a word for that, but I knew that I was different. And when I looked at Michael, I just saw somebody who was a human, he was almost genderless. He was almost uh, alien to me in a in a great way, and and I think that was the biggest thing. His connection to animals, his his connection to, you know, he had such a soft soul, and yet he was such a ferocious performer. That juxtaposition between the hurricane that he is when he, if you look at the black and white video, and when he becomes a a, a panther, that is a that is one half of that man's soul. But the other half was, really was like a child, was like a, an innocent uh, 
an innocent animal. And that appealed to me. I think children appreciated that. Children connected to him in that way. And then I think that women, I mean, my sister was in love with him. I never saw Michael in that sexual way, but when a video like uh, The Way You Make Me Feel came out, my sister, who is, you know, she was into rock music. She didn't even like Michael's, Michael's music at all, but she still says that's one of the sexiest men she's ever seen in her life was Michael in that video. So he just possessed all of these great qualities that let me, as a young kid, think I didn't have to define myself. You know, I could be the, the best that I, that I wanted to be. That's an incredible answer. The insight is just amazing and I can identify with a lot of it myself. Um, I actually grew up in Toowoomba when I was young, so not far from Brisbane, which is uh, Australia's largest country town. And I didn't finish high school there. We moved to Perth before uh, I finished high school. But growing up there, I had sort of started to realise I was different as well. And I think what you're saying about Michael, he's so universal and yeah, I was never attracted to him sexually, but he was such a confident man in who he was that it gave kids growing up that are different or feel different a confidence as well. They didn't have to identify with things specifically, but the confidence in him that he radiated could be applied to absolutely anything and everything. And that helped me growing up and coming out as well. Totally. And, and I think that's the thing about Michael was that he just had no judgments. And it was so strange for somebody who had no judgment to be so judged. And, you know, to a certain degree, he was a martyr and he didn't want to be. But, you know, some of those comparisons, I'm not calling him Jesus, but some of those comparisons, it's a, it's a very age-old sad fact about humanity is that we take one of us who is extraordinary and we put that person on a pedestal mm. because we aspire to be them. But then whatever that wickedness is, I don't know what it is, and we all have it, you know, and it's a, it's a challenge when you're to be a good person to really acknowledge it but not act on it. But there is an impulse, I think, to tear down that which you love. And it was really hard, I think, uh, growing up and seeing that start to happen to Michael Jackson. And I think the thing that connects the fans so much is that, you know, we, we, we weren't good weather fans. We were there when he was the biggest star in the world and universally celebrated. And then we were there when he was the biggest star in the world and universally tortured. And the last few years of his life, I hate to say it, but it's true, the last few years of his life were incredibly cruel. And for somebody, it would take a superhuman, I think, to have withstood the amount of pressure that he did. And the fact that he did for so long, I think it goes to show what kind of person he was to have been raised in horrific conditions, you know, almost like a circus animal. And then his performance skills were beyond Olympic. I mean, he was, you would, you know, you have children who train their entire lives to perform one Olympic games performance. And yet his, his entire career was an endless Olympic Games. The positive that I'm trying to draw from this is that there's so much we can take in inspiration from a person like Michael Jackson in terms of what are you here to do? What, what can you achieve with your life? And I, to go back to me doing comedy and, and doing those things that I'm doing at the moment, 
I guess I, I view my time on this planet as not up to me. It's, it's, it's a finite period. I never know when it will end. But I know that there's a responsibility to be excellent, to be the best version of yourself that you can possibly be. And I don't think anyone could ever say that he wasn't that. So we're into the second half of the year, July. Episode 12, Haircast, came out. And it was pretty much the first episode of what I consider to be our current sort of episodes of the MJ cast. We definitely had found our rhythm at this point. Big news sections where we're discussing all the latest MJ footage coming out, legal developments, uh, Janet Jackson news, all kind of stuff. And a really great discussion topic all around whether Neverland should be sold or not. Uh, so yeah, a lot of fun. It's one of those episodes where it's just you and IQ and they're, they're pretty fun to record, aren't they? They are. They're relaxed. We, you know, yeah, we just talk. Pretty much like just those old phone calls we used to have where we're just geeking out about Michael Jackson, except we're hitting the record button. Yep, pretty much. I'm still learning how to use Tumblr. Yeah, you need to learn how to do the hashtagging because you don't know how to hashtag for shit. What do you mean? I've put the hashtags at the end of the post. You're doing it wrong. Well, how do you mean to do it? With commas and stuff down in the actual hashtag place, not in the main post part. Is there a hashtag place? Yeah. Are you doing it on the iPad or on like a device or are you doing it on a computer? On my Mac. I don't even, Is that like a burger? No, not a Big Mac, a, a Macintosh, oh, like, a, okay. like an Apple Mac. I'm going to be trying out some new catchphrases today. So, yeah. Like see what? what we can... Michael on. Well, you've just spoiled the whole gag now. <laughs> Fuck, man. Well, I'm sorry. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know that was the one you were going to try. But, okay, cat's out of the okay. bag. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Jacob. I was going to try and build that up. <laughs> That's another, like, group that I are on my short list of people to see one day. I really hope they come to Australia. That would be cool. Yeah, they're great guys. Super great guys. Tarrell, TJ or Taj, if you're listening, we want you to come to Australia. And come on the show. Hello. Yeah, as well. Yeah, come on. <laughs> We'd love to <laughs> chat about, you know, your recent touring stuff and, and music and everything that you'd want to talk about. Any, any or all of the 3T boys, we love you and... I've got some of their singles from back in the day. Like oh, do you? Yeah, CD singles. Oh. Yeah, they had some, they've got some really beautiful music. And uh. you can sort of tell they've learnt from masters, really, because, yeah, they've beautiful, like, uh, songwriting abilities and melodies and harmonies. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. And then that, that song with um, the Michael song, which almost that didn't happen. Uh, why? Yeah, they. I think the demo, they were like, no, I'm pretty sure, I hope I don't get this story wrong. They were like, no, this isn't that great. And then Michael was like, hang on, we'll just do this and this and this. And then he gave it back and they're like, whoa, okay, yeah. <laughs> we see it now. We can see that this is an awesome song. Oh, they're, they're great. I love their music. We actually, Lee and I actually played one of their songs at our wedding. Oh, um, cute. Which one? Uh, I Appreciate. I actually made a video. I, I made like a video montage that happened during one of our wedding costume changes during the ceremony. And that video played for the audience while we were off stage. And it had, um, yeah, just like a video montage of, of, you know, Lee and I's relationship. And uh, it had, you know, that song going with it as well. It was really, I, 
So it was around July in episode 13, take a fire department to cool her down. I guess we started getting dribs and drabs of sort of regular leaks, really. Yeah, this is when the leaks really started to come and it really has only built up until the end of the this year where it's been intense. <laughs> It has been full on at the end of the year. Um, but, yeah, we got to hear uh, seeing voices. We had the the footage, the outtakes of uh, the Way You Make Me Feel video. Um, and we had a fair amount of Jackson's news to talk about as well, which we were more than happy to do, uh, both being big fans of the Jacksons and Jackson family. Yeah, I think we spoke about Tito Jackson performing in London, which Charles got to go and see. We talked about Janet Jackson's new video for uh, the song No Sleep, the first single from her incredible album, Unbreakable. That was really the beginning of the new Janet era. That's right. An era that's still going strong. Her tour is happening. Please come to Australia, Janet. Please, please, please. (laughs) A couple of funny moments in this episode too. There is. Enjoy. Finds it a week time. Yippee. I've had this one up my sleeve for a while. Yeah, Am you've I been saving first? this since the since our first show. I remember you talking about it way back then at the start of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I've been rocking out to it ever since. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you go ahead and do yours first because uh, it's it's an awesome one. All right, I'm going to talk and walk because I just heard a cat knock a food bowl off somewhere. <laughs> well, and at least they didn't eat chocolate. Well, no, yours are okay. <laughs> just to check, your cats are fine. They're great. I checked in on them just then. They're jumping around and drinking water and happy, so everything looks okay. We've got like our cat biscuits on the top of a cat tower because Fatty Jasper, who was <laughs> just then at the top of the tower, you're busted, buddy. You've just knocked all these biscuits all over the floor. Great. I'll clean it up later. Enjoy the biscuits off the floor, guys. I'm going back to the office. <laughs> That's funny. That's like the first time they've sort of ever interrupted the show. Oh, that's okay. I don't mind cat interruptions. Yeah, but I want cat noise, not the clanging of metal bowl against the floor. <laughs> Biscuits spilling everywhere. All right, back on track. Find of the week. Yeah, shout out to um, Laverne Smith Jr. because we love your work. Big, huge respect for you. Come Seriously, on the show. Huge respect. Yeah, one day, definitely. <laughs> Come on the show one day. We would love to talk about anything and everything and whatever you're working on at the moment. Episode 14, another special. This time, though, with another Michael Jackson author, our third uh, book related special of the year, this time with author Christophe Charlot, who came onto the show to talk all about his amazing book, Travelling with a King, which is also written by Antoine Cardinot. Awesome book. It's a travel guide. If you've ever read Lonely Planet, it's very similar to that, but it's got the theme of Michael Jackson and the Jacksons. So as you're traveling around the world, going on your adventures, you can stop in at all of the different relevant Michael Jackson places around the world to see what Michael was getting up to in different in different places. If you want to go and see the history statue uh, in, I think it's the Netherlands, uh, then you can pop over and see that just by getting this book and finding out exactly where it is. And getting a cheeseburger while you're there. <laughs> Because it's outside of McDonald's. <laughs> it is. I cannot wait to go and have a cheeseburger next to that statue one day. <laughs> but, of course, this is uh, it, the book's been out in French for a while. This is actually um, this was the launch of the first volume of the English translation. And I hope, would hope next year that we can uh, have Christoph back to talk about 
the second part of the English translation and explore many other countries and Michael memorabilia and places all around the world. And hopefully we can get Antoine on with him as well. So obviously you, you do love Japan and, and you've mentioned that a few times. What are yeah. some of the best locations in the book, in your opinion? Oh, wow. Uh, it's like Mike Jackson's song. There are so many good. Um, well, it's it's really difficult because in, in the French version of the book, we have about 500 locations. And in the English, uh, we, we decided to make two parts of the book. So there is book one, which is released, and book two, uh, which will be released next year. But uh, in, in the first part, we, we, we have more than 200 uh, location so to to say one location is the best it's, it's difficult but of course I, I would say Neverland um, Neverland uh, it's it's where Michael uh, lived and when you go around there of course you, you can't enter the, the house um, but you can feel all the atmosphere there um, that's that's really a moving a moving uh, trip when you go there um, I will also, uh, I really love the Thriller House. I don't know if you, you know this location in, in Los Angeles. Indeed, you, you, can, you can see the, the house. It's, the, the house never changed. So it's there and you, you can feel you are in the, in the video of Thriller. That's really impressive. Well, there, are, there are some great places that never changed like the Monte Carlo bar uh, in Los Angeles. That's, that's the place where the, the beaded video was shot. Um, you can enter it and have a coffee, for example. That's that's exciting. Um, and if I would say another great location, uh, which is here in Europe, uh, there is the, the, the giant history statue. You know, it's the, the statue which was made for the promotion of the, the history album. Is that um, the one at the uh, McDonald's in Best right. in the Netherlands? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Oh, um, I will get that's... there one day. I have um, all of my family-in-law, my, my husband's family are all in Rotterdam. Um, and okay. um, every time I go, I was like, can we drive to Best? And often we don't even have it. We don't have a rental car or we're very busy. Mm -hmm. So we have not got to see the statue at Best yet. But um, I love their, their yep. group on Facebook and I will go and see that statue one day because it's just been refurbished and it looks spectacular. Yeah, yeah, you you have to see it. It's incredible to have a, a so big Michael Jackson statue. Well, but it's it's in front of a McDonald's, but which I love whatever. McDonald's, so that works out perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but the statue is really great, so you you have to see it to to believe it. That's incredible. Now, does the book just cover physical and geographical locations or are there also experiences uh, such as MJ1 and things like that? Well, no, it's, it's more of a physical uh, location, um, ge geographical location. We only suggest fans to, to take a, an helicopter trip on, on, on the Netherlands area. There, uh, that's an experience. But most of the location are physical location. Well, as you publish a book like, like this in, in, in paper, um, you have to find stuff that doesn't change too quickly. But if, if I mention some experience like shows or something like this, uh, and the show, the show uh, 
stop or the, the show goes some, somewhere else. Yeah, that's difficult. So we 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 have some some geographical location that's into it. So I guess it's no secret we record this at the moment through Skype. And generally, it's pretty good. But there was one episode that it did not go to plan at all. We were so lucky to be able to speak to sound engineer for Michael, Brad Sundberg. And it was myself, Dan Vigilobos, and Brad. Where were you, Jamin? Mission Control. Mission Control, that's right. You were Mission Control directing us, <laughs> texting away a million miles an hour because your Skype was strangely not behaving. Well, I always knew that Skype was going to screw up at some point during our, our year. And I'd always hoped that it was going to screw up during a regular episode. But no, it happens to screw up during our first big, big interview with somebody who worked in the studio with Michael and man did it screw up we started the call and I was cutting in and out Brad couldn't hear me properly I couldn't hear him uh, but interestingly you Dan and, and Brad could all hear each other perfectly so I was basically booted out of the call I was not able to speak but I could hear everything that you guys were saying so it was pretty much hell for me <laughs> I felt so bad because I could tell that you were just missing out so much and <laughs> Yeah, we could like ask things when you texted them to us, but just that spur of the moment stuff that would be popping in your head, that would have been oh, so difficult. It was hard, but I will say the positive side of it was that that was your first opportunity to host a special episode. And I think you did an incredible job, especially because you hadn't planned for this to happen. As far as you knew, you were going to be co-hosting with me and we'd be doing it together. But yeah, with Dan, it with, was going to be just like a couple of us with, with Brad. Yeah, but at the last minute, you took the reins and did an incredible job, and I still think it's one of our strongest episodes. Thank you. It was good fun, and it is. It's a really, really good episode. There's so many terrific stories. And, of course, Brad is touring around doing his In the Studio with MJ Seminars. So check our show notes, and we'll have a link to a Brad's website because there is some incredible in the studio with MJ Moments coming in 2016. MJU. MJU. Oh, I'm going to I checked my lotto ticket today actually. I was <laughs> not a winner, so I've got to get some more tickets. If you are interested in going to a Michael Jackson related informational seminar, you need to check out MJU. It's pretty much the best one that's in my opinion ever going to have happened. It's uh, I believe in Los Angeles. Uh, it's got a, a a range of Michael-related experts going, including Brad Sunderberg, technical director for Michael, and a lot of other people as well that worked with Michael Jackson in the studio. Brad's going to be talking all about how Michael recorded. Uh, he's going to be talking about Michael Jackson on tour and what it was like to actually tour Michael with, with Michael and set up all of his sound gear in the stadiums. And then uh, there's going to be special sh screenings of Michael films like Moonwalker and Ghosts of an evening where you can watch those with other Michael fans and experts who work with Michael. It sounds like an, in an incredible experience, and I really strongly recommend you check out MJU and In the Studio with MJ. I've got a couple of, we've got a couple of questions here from, uh, from Charles Thompson and from Damien Shields. Um, Charles wants to ask 
uh, wants us to ask you about Neverland Gates, um, whatever that means. I think it was and about mu- music at the Neverland Gates you okay. wanted to ask about. And, uh, oh, is, oh, is, oh, is this my buddy Charlie from Huffington Post? Yes. Yes. And, tell, um, me he's, tell me he's got to do a Huff Post article on me. I'm not answering any of his questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And, um, and Damien wants us to ask you about a chapstick. Dude, you can choose which story you want to tell if you want to tell them. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. even know what the Neverland Gates is about. So. Okay, let, let's do this. Um, when, you, when, you, when you first go to Neverland, um, you drive through when, you know, this was back, obviously, when Michael was there. The first gate is down on Figueroa Mountain Road. And, you know, if, you have, if you're on the pass list, you drive through. And you drive about a mile, something like that. And you come kind of crest over this hill and come down the other side. And that's when you would start seeing the, the green grass and everything of Neverland. And you, that's where you'd park your car. And then you would, or bus or whatever, and then we'd walk people through and they'd get onto a train. And that would take them up to the park. You, you never, rarely did you get real allowed to drive a car on Neverland. I mean, especially where there were kids there, just, you know, it just wasn't allowed. So there was, that's where the ornate gate was. And that's what pe- people have seen pictures of at the big black and gold gate with the crest and everything. So Michael wanted to kind of turn that into, um, we wanted to do something special there. So he said, Brad, can we put a bunch of speakers here? And, and yeah, he, he wanted when, when guests showed up, he wanted to just flood them with music. I said, cool, let's do it. So we brought in a huge sound system. They actually had to build a little house for us for all the amplifiers and tons of work getting this thing, you know, speakers up in the trees and all over the place. And his instructions to me were, I want it to be loud enough to shake a bus. I said, okay, that's, that's loud. Let's go. So I built this monster. And then just for fun, I went into my studio and I put this little compilation CD of uh, kind of a best of MJ music. I had Smooth Criminal, The Way You Make Me Feel, uh, Billy Jean, just these little, you know, 30 second snippets of each. And, you know, the whole thing is like four minutes, whatever, four or five minutes. So, but Michael always had this rule that I couldn't play his music at the ranch. But I said, so I got the whole system done. I brought the CD up. I had my assistant with me. And I called him out from, from, the, uh, from the house. And so he comes rumbling out in his little golf cart. He's got his, you know, he looked like he just woke up, had his hat on sideways and his, you know, jammies. And, and I said, he says, is it done? Is it done? I go, yeah. He said, well, can I hear it? I said, okay. So I point to my assistant and he cranks up this music and it's Billy Jean and smooth criminal and Michael, Michael can't listen to music without dancing and he starts to dance. And I mean, he is just full blown. He's dancing for, for two guys, me and, and my assistant, Brian, and just tears it up, gets to the end and he's, he kept yelling at me, hurt me, hurt me louder. And we're turning it up as loud as it'll go. Gets to the end and he says, oh, that was amazing. But that's not what we're going to play. 
and we had probably a five-minute discussion about, Michael, people are coming to your ranch to see you. This is your ranch. You, no, no, we can't play my music. We never play my music. And I said, but we have to. This is the right thing to do. No, no, no. I said, what, what do we have to play? I've got a favorite song I want just for this space. I said, what? He says, do you know that song, Danny Boy? I said, Michael, that's like a funeral song for firefighters. <laughs> Everybody hates that song. No, I love that song. It's so beautiful. It's so emotional. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. From that day forward, anytime that those gates opened up, it was Danny Boy that was played. <laughs> I hated it. Hated it. Hated it. But that's what he wanted. Michael got what he wanted. So episode 16, Jermaine Jackson is the Lord of the Rings. I've got to say, it's probably my favorite ever show title for the MJ cast. And what is it from? It's from the Lord of the Rings, isn't it? Yeah. So in uh, September, Jermaine actually gave out a special gold J5 diamond sort of ring, one to each of his brothers in when he was in oh, England. Oh, for the 50th anniversary of the Jackson 5. Yeah, exactly. And it reminded me so much of the story of Lord of the Rings. Like in, in the book, there's actually this Dark Lord guy called Sauron and he makes a ring and gives a ring to each different member of a different race, like the dwarves and the oh, Okay, and, okay, what? Mr. Nerdfest. <laughs> All good. I think we get it. We get it. It was a funny episode, though. It was great. I, I really liked it. Really big episode. Lots of news, lots of discussion, and a few funny moments in there, too. How about we play the audio right now? We can't show the video, but let's let's play that audio and, and give our listeners a chance to experience it as well. Do it. Exclusive unseen footage of Michael recording in the studio will not be seen in this documentary Instead, interviews with people Michael never met. Off the wall? The one with Thriller on it? Featuring a brand new remix by Pitbull. And get ready for the exclusive premiere of a recently unearthed demo from Eddie Casio's basement. Relive the magic with a full concert from the Triumph Tour. Deluxe edition for these special bonuses. I can't believe he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Off the wall, thirty-five. Too, too good. It's still funny. It's still funny. I just, oh. I can't, can't get enough of it. You gotta. <laughs> You got to, you know, if you think that if you guys are out there listening and you've you've heard the audio now, you got to check out the video because it's even funnier. There's some great animation in it, and whoever made it, like I don't know who made it, but yeah, hats fedora off to you, sir. Fedora, well done. <laughs> if it was a sir, 
Yeah, really, really good. Nice, nice job there, chap. <laughs> and please, more videos, more videos, because obviously there's a lot of talent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, don't don't waste that talent. Keep it coming. Like when there's something to do, you know that's that was really cool. So we're in like September now. How many Can you months? believe it? There's... Does that mean I get to put my Christmas tree up soon? No, you can't do that until the 1st of December. Everyone knows that. That's a lie and racist and no. I'm go- I'm How is that racist? Would... I'm just saying. Just racist. <laughs> uh, it's, um, I reckon... Because I, I would have my tree up all year if I could. Yeah, actually, I love Christmas time as well, but really all year? I don't know. Yeah, and then if I could, I would, you know, just decorate it for, you know, different seasons and different, like, you know, for birthdays and Easter and Australia Day, Australia. Australia. What's your What's your opinion on people who keep up their Christmas lights into like January? That's fine. You're we didn't take that? our Christmas. Yeah, we didn't take our Christmas tree down until March. Oh, I think you're one of those people. Yeah, because it's a big job and also I don't want to take it down. So I'm not going to be rushing to do it unless I'm forced to. But don't your cats eat all the tinsel and stuff? Like, what is that? What happens Tinsel? There? Yeah. What the hell? This is 2015. Don't you use tinsel on a tree? I use tinsel. What are you saying? I'm a tinsel guy. Oh, my God. Okay. No, that- we have no tinsel. It is just decorations and lights. Is that a bit tacky? Is it tinsel? I didn't know. I thought that was left like from the eighties. I didn't think people did tinsel anymore. I thought that was left for supermarkets and stuff. If you go to the shops, they got tinsel everywhere. Yeah, but I didn't need to make my house look like a like coals. You know what we used to have when I was growing up was like these little um, plastic balls, and they were like clear and hollow. So we'd put lollies in them all, so you could take the balls down off the tree and open them and. It's really, oh, really good. I've never seen that. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, that's from like literally the 80s though. Like, so I don't know if they still make them now, but hmm. yeah. So I have to try and hold off until then. Maybe I'll have a Milo. That'll, that'll, oh, how good's Milo? Yeah. Rest of the world, if you haven't got Milo, you're missing out. It's got vitamins in it as well. How do you make Milo? What's your technique? Three spoons in the glass. Yeah. One or two, one or two in my mouth, and then I add milk to the glass, yep. and then I stir it. Yep. And I don't do hot Milo. So you don't put any Milo on top? Well, no, because it will float to the top. That's what you want. Yeah, so I, when I start gently to stir it, yeah, yeah. the the, the Milo oh, lifts up, up, and you get that really smooth, chocolatey layer on the top. The crunchy sort of layer. My technique's the same as you, except I... Okay, what I do is I I do the three spoons on the bottom, I put the milk in, I stir it. Then what I do is I put it in the freezer for like 20 minutes. I used to do that. I make it like psycho chilled cold. It's awesome, like Dr. Freeze it. Then I'll take it out and I'll put another couple of spoons of Milo on top so it like sandwiches it. So when you drink it, you get this dry Milo on top. You, You can chew it and everything and then you have the rest of the cold drink. When do you eat the Milo off the top? Do you eat it at the start or halfway through or at the end? You eat a bit at the start, like without a spoon, and then, you know, because it just goes in your mouth because it's on top, and then you drink it. And then when you get to the bottom, there's still some dried stuff there, and that's when you grab your spoon and you have like a Milo feast. Do you put any spoons of Milo into your mouth as you're making making it, like straight out of the can? Sometimes. Yeah, I I do that. I do that. That tastes nice. That's good. I like having dry Milo. It's the best. Yeah. Milo. Guess what? What? This is a Michael Jackson show. 
Oh, is it? <laughs> Welcome yeah, to MiloCast. We can link... Oh, there's the show title. Um, <laughs> we can link anything to Michael. You can link anything mentally. Like, you think about it. He, the dude loved candy. He did. He had a candy and counter. And it was for free. It was for free at Neverland. <laughs> you know, cool. Yeah, you know you're a big Michael fan. And, and I know big Michael fans out there listening know what I'm talking about. If you're a fan, you can hear anything. It doesn't matter what it is. A movie, a new artist, whatever. And you can somehow find a way to connect him back to Michael. Like they knew someone that knew someone that directed a movie that was cousins with the someone that knew Michael. <laughs> Let's do it because Moon, there was like he had his own chocolate bars at Neverland. He did. He did. Yeah, it had that cool Moonwalker sort of cover art on it. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I'm not sure if they were for sale in Europe at some point as well, but he definitely had them like for guests at Neverland. And he pioneered energy drinks with the mystery drink. <laughs> <laughs> 97. So there you go. Anybody out there who's buying a, you know, a Red Bull, just automatically think mystery 1997 promo drink, energy drink. Did you ever drink it? Did you no. ever taste it or see any of the cans? Yeah, I've seen the cans in real life. They have them at that. Really? Re- they have them at that record exchange shop in Brisbane that I've told you about. Um, they've got oh. some there, and you can—they're full. They've got liquid in them. They're sealed. They're sealed. So that's not good because they can explode. There's like YouTube videos on, um, well, obviously on YouTube, idiot Q, um, but it shows you how to get the liquid out of like your Pepsi can so they don't explode. We should do. We should do a, a vlog one day of one of us drinking a mystery you're gonna be the drinker and i'll be the one recording because i'm not putting something from 1997 with artificial peach flavor into my mouth and then you'll be just driving me directly to hospital straight after i drink we'll do it at the hospital just to save the driving bit oh okay and did you want to do the mailbag jamin what's a mailbag well, so we got some mail. <laughs> I don't know what a mailbag. I don't know you, what that is. You mean inbox, don't you? You're like, what? Yeah, no, I'm like, what's inbox. a mailbag? Episode 17, mystery episode. Episode 17. <laughs> Enjoy. Okay, done. Where were you in episode 17? Europe with my students. Oh, okay, right. You were on your history tour. I was on my history world tour. You were back in Australia recording episode 17, No Kaiju. That's right. Ah, with Dan Vigilobos. Friend of the show and legendary, amazing studio engineer who made our intro music. Thank you, Dan, for joining me on this episode because I didn't want to get lonely. <laughs> and he did a great job. He told some terrific stories. Oh, definitely. It was amazing to hear him talk about his experiences in London seeing Michael. So I think the uh, discussion point in this episode actually was our sort of just general Michael experiences. Mm. Yeah, I think so too. So, yeah, we spoke about a few things, including uh, when Dan was at the World Music Awards and a number of other stories. Yeah. Was it a very different feeling when it was the This Is It announcement? Um, it was pretty much the same, but I would say that the the expectation was different. You know, everyone was kind of, I think there was more tension for the This Is It announcement, only because, you know, this wasn't Michael, 
as an invitee at, at someone else's event. This was this was the Michael Jackson show, and this was kind of day one. You know, this is this is the launch date. This what this is what kicks everything off. So everyone was like, no one knew what he was going to say or what was going to be announced or the dates, how many dates, the prices, nothing. Um, so I think that that had you seen posters go up for you know the concerts because um, I remember I, seeing on like Twitter and everything. Yeah. Um, oh, like these are the pictures that they're putting up at, at bus stops and train stations. And yeah, the I think I think the local the local folks did. You'd see see some. Yeah, I remember that. I didn't personally see them myself, but um, so did you know what you were there for? I did. Yeah. Well, what happened was because, um, like I mentioned earlier, I was part of the Maximum Jackson team. We got a we got a tip from 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 someone that there was going to be an announcement in March. So from, I think this was like late January or early February, we kind of were expecting something in March, but we couldn't talk about it because A, we didn't know whether it was legit or anything. So we were kind of waiting to see what happens. And then uh, I think there was a TMZ video of Michael shopping in, in LA with uh, with Christian Odige. Right. Yes. And then Christian was like, "Oh yeah, Michael's going to London tomorrow." <laughs> and everyone was like, "What?" <laughs> so um, yeah, thanks, Christian. So we thought, okay, something is happening. And then uh, I got a call from 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 a friend of mine saying, "Yeah, Michael's in London now," and I think there's going to be something happening later in the week. So we were kind of like, "What's going? Like this has to be the tour that you know, everyone's talking about." So I, I kind of knew what was what to expect. Uh, but again, you know, I, I didn't know whether it was it going to be a one-off show. Was it going to be, uh, you know, five dates in London and then I'm going to go somewhere else? Or was it going to be a new interactive experience that Michael's thought of? I, I really just didn't know what it was about. Um, until, until it, Michael, well, actually even after Michael <laughs> came out and talked, I still didn't know what was happening. Um, but, uh, that was pretty much the 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 expectation at the beginning, yeah, for sure. So incredible experiences, and from such like you know variety of things, from like actual live concerts, yeah, hundred thousand plus crowds, record breaking nights in in Mexico, to like you know receiving the the highest World Music Award honor from Beyonce of all people, <laughs> incredible alone to then uh, hotel sort of gatherings with fans and Michael throwing stuff down to fans and chasing the cars. And then to the, this is announcement, you've had some incredible experiences. And yeah, I think that this is it. Announcement is something that I keep very dear to my heart as a, as a last official appearance that Michael did, I think. Wasn't it? I think it was the last official, official appearance. Yeah, it was uh, official thing. So, and I actually managed to get to get some good photos that this time. I'm looking at, at oh, them now. Cool. Yeah, so uh, you can see me on the "This Is It" video actually on the uh, on the film. I'm just at the back of a of a big crowd of people. That's so cool. Yeah. So it had been a little while, but I'm sure you'd missed it. 
here was another Q rant about <laughs> a certain announcement. But, 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 you also have a very small rant in this episode. <laughs> uh, it's not very often I do, but yeah, I think I kind of... <laughs> I couldn't control myself in this episode. I was so angry with the stupid Angry Birds trailer. My God, I'm still angry about it. Oh, but no, it was a good episode with a, a lot of random stuff in this one. Yeah, like kangaroos, I remember, or something. Yep. And, of course, some Janet album talk. And this was also the ramping up sort of period as well for 3T's new uh, television special, The Jacksons' Next Generation. That's right, with John Luke Picard in The Enterprise. No, oh, that's no, Star Trek. That's okay, Trek. you're being the nerdy one now. Yeah, I am. Even though that's <laughs> my favourite Star Trek series. Is it? Yeah, it's way better than Deep Space crap. Okay. Yeah, I, I was pretty obsessed with Next Gen back when it was on. It's funny, when people uh, at work, like I meet, because I work with new people pretty much every most days, they say Q. It's either one of two things, Q from James Bond or <laughs> Q from Star Trek. So there you go. Oh, you know what? Have you? And you know that's true. Is it? It is true. Yeah, it is. It's either a, a James Bond, like, oh, so like, you know, technology and blah, 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 some nerdy James Bond thing. Or it's like, oh, so you travel in the time continuum? <laughs> it's like, you're such a nerd. <laughs> so new calendars. I'm trying not to laugh. Why? Or, or cry. Why? Oh, because of the history thing? No, just the way that this was announced. What do you mean? This was the uh, Michael Jackson estate is, has issued an announcement for the 2016 official <laughs> calendar. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. With all the stuff that is going on, with all of the speculation and all the actual important stuff for his legacy, this is what they – I'm trying not to swear – this is what they issue an announcement and a statement about, is about the shop getting new management, issues with orders, and a new calendar. This is their priority, is announcing a new calendar and the shop <laughs> online store is under new management. I am yeah. restraining myself from rage. Just swear, dude. It's, we haven't had an explicit oh, show if I, No, I know, but if I start... I will not stop. I love Q-Rages. Come on, remember the uh, the Cirque du Soleil no soundtrack? That was great. I'm still waiting for that goddamn soundtrack. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Never. So annoyed. <laughs> oh, I'm not the only one that wants it, by the way. But seriously, you like put this into perspective. We've just just before this was the announce or the um, news of the Sony selling and putting uh, triggering the clause to sell the Sony the uh, Sony ATV catalog. So that's massive news. And later in the show, we're going to be um, talking about the um, the what was it? The I I can never remember the acronym. Oh, the IPSO. Yes, the IPSO complaint against the newspaper when the newspaper was going to publish this story. They contacted the estate to get clarification and statement about what was going to be published, they didn't freaking release a response to that. Ooh, almost got an F word. <laughs> <laughs> and then that wasn't the second time either. Like the first time that Taj put in a, um, you know, an official complaint about media reporting completely disgusting and inaccurate stories. Yeah. 
then the then the estate was taking over that complaint and then they never followed it through it's it is ridiculous and actually i didn't think of think of this until you have just raised it now there's so much going on in the world of michael jackson of important like important stuff yeah. yeah 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 and this is what they release a statement about is a flipping 2016 official calendar like seriously, it fills me with rage. Why can't they address the big issues that actually affect his legacy? They're talking about a calendar. So I've said my piece. I'm going to let you talk about the calendar now, and I will just sit over here quietly. Take it away, Jamin. I do. I do agree with you. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to be uh, positive about the calendar now, but I do agree with you. Um, Yay for a new calendar! Don't yeah, get me wrong. I'm it, happy there's a new calendar. I haven't bought one in many years. I have a wonderful collection of official calendars all through like the the 90s and the 2000s. Um, so yeah. I do have. I love the calendars, and God, some of those images are amazing and worth framing. So don't get me wrong. I'm all happy for a calendar. Because it's as long as they put proper pictures in it, I don't want any more impersonators snuck in <laughs> saying that this is Michael Jackson. Okay, so do it right, and I'm all for it. So I'm not bagging on that they're releasing, you know, shitty stuff. Like it's a calendar, and I think that's a good thing. My issue is with they're having a statement about this, the timing of said statement, and not having official statements and actually addressing big issues. So that was my issue. So I'm all yeah. for the calendar. Don't get me wrong. So, Angry Birds? Angry Birds, how weird. I don't know. I don't like this. I don't like this story. I haven't watched it. I was like, I keep going, oh, yeah, bookmarked this. I should watch it. I haven't watched it. Have you watched it? Yeah, I've watched it. I was Okay, like, so oh. Angry Birds is that game that took the entire world by storm on the iPhone a couple of years ago. What, like three Probably years ago three, or something? three years ago, yeah. Of course, it was a huge licensing opportunity and there's like theme park and I'm going to say, yeah, I guess it's a theme park and not an amusement park because the theme is Angry Birds and was there a cartoon show about it or something? But there's a movie coming out and oh God. the bad, the song, Michael's song Bad, is it actually his vocals and stuff? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Hang on. Okay. You, you, you keep so talking. The estate I'm going to go the estate is licensing. Michael's recordings, perhaps, if Jamin confirms, um, of the song Bad. Licensing Michael's stuff to be used in a movie, Angry Birds. Not sure how I feel about it. I guess, you know, it's good that it might suit it. It might be funny. be good if they sort of like licensed his music to be used in um, some actually um, good artistic movies, like songs like scared of the moon and things like that yeah i agree it's sometimes it can be cool if michael's music is used in song uh in movies this is not one of those times no it's not okay <laughs> you you watch the if you watch the trailer oh god yeah. well to me it's it's tacky it's these it's a 3d animated movie Okay, first of all, if you're a 3D animated movie and you're not made by Pixar, most of the time I'm not going to like you. Okay? Sometimes I do Hotel Transylvania. That was great. But a ca- The first or the second one? I heard the second one is absolutely mind-blowingly stunning. Well, I haven't seen that, but the first one I loved. Okay. Uh, you know, already you're on the back foot with me. Then, if, if you're really as bad as the Angry Birds one looks and you decide to put a Michael Jackson song in it, you're going to piss me off. I was it was tacky as hell, man. I don't know what oh, the Michael man. Jackson estate are thinking, giving okay. bad one of the greatest songs and recordings ever to an Angry Birds movie. 
How well, I... they like they like to hook up with quality releases and put ah. quality their, their their quality products to uh, you know attach to other names that are just of a higher quality. So, but you know what? Maybe kids will go and see it, and if it is in the movie, maybe it's only in yeah, the trailer. It might be. Um, if it's trailer. in the movie, kids might oh, what's this awesome song? The best thing about the movie is this song. What is it? Yeah, that's so true. maybe that's. I don't know. We'll see. I, don't, anyway. I just think it's like cheapening the brand. It's like, of course it is. When, when, okay, so Michael owned the Beatles music publishing rights. He like never, ever, or rarely let those songs to be kind of used in TV ads and stuff like that. It just didn't happen. That's yep. the reason why you saw, you heard so many cover versions of Beatles songs on TV ads with the lyrics changed to be about the company, is because they probably weren't allowed to use the actual song. Yep. And now suddenly the state's letting uh, bad be used by Angry Birds. I don't know. they got to really tighten up what they're letting get out. Like that, yeah, anyway, rant over, but... People are out there walking around on bad 25 flip-flops. So let's leave it at that. Yeah, let's leave it at that. move along. It's like a Michael Jackson album. It's like the concept is that everything's different. It's like you listen to one song and it's a modern Marvin Gaye, neo-soul, sultry masterpiece. And the next song is like futuristic East European nightclub craziness. And then you've got a rock song. It's all over the place, but that's what makes it so fun and cool is because you never know what's next. Uh, yep. It's so varied and it's it's really eclectic and I love it. I think every song is really strong. Um, so strong. Her, yeah, it's 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 a great album. I think there's some great statements that are made throughout it as well, uh, in terms of lyrics. But ultimately, like you can tell that her passion was in this music, uh, her heart was in it. You know, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis put everything that they had into it. They did an incredible job. The production on this album is mind blowing. It really is. It is mind blowing. I listened to it on a really long drive home at night on the way back from Brisbane to when I was driving back to Moranbar and, uh, or halfway through the album, I hit a kangaroo, which wasn't fun. Um, but <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> like, okay, I know. you haven't told me about that story. I'll tell you later. It's really you annoying. Okay? One. Oh, I'm fine. I just cracked the front of my car, which was really annoying. But, um, so like people overseas are going to be just blown away by that. Over here, that's like a normal um, thing to hear. Okay, but this night when I was driving home, it was three a.m. and I'm out. not I'm not joking. On the, there's two 100 kilometer stretches um, in a certain part of uh, central Queensland on the way back to Moranbah from Brisbane, and basically on those 200k stretches, I saw no less than 80 kangaroos. And a lot of them were in like packs and they were jumping everywhere. It was crazy. It was like, it was out of control. I had to slow down from like 110 Ks an hour to like, you know, 10 Ks an hour in a tiny distance just to avoid these big kangaroos jumping all over the road. It was out of control. When I lived in Queensland and we used to go visit my granddad, my late grandfather who lived in a country town called Surat, which is out probably the guess. Yeah. So it's out near Roma, which is seriously, it's in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Um, The game we used to play on the humongously long, boring drive out there was count the dead kangaroos from all the roadkill. And we would get up to the eighties just of dead ones. So, and everyone out there is all crying, hearing about all these cute Australian animals getting killed and hurting cars and stuff, but that's just reality in Australia. <laughs> Absolutely. Whether it's cattle or kangaroos, it's uh, out in the bush. you got to watch out. 
So you you guys are okay though. Yeah, oh yeah, we're fine. Our car's okay, not cool. fine. Our little Mazda's not fine. Did it, we're fine. Lucky you weren't listening to a CD. It made it would have made it skip in your, your player. <laughs> well, I was listening to Janet, and I turned it down for that little stretch. But it was um yeah, brilliant album. My favorite is Night. I don't know why. Ever since I heard it, there's just that funky bass line. It's a beautiful song, and then the piano at the end. It's like a very modern sort of disco, I guess, track sound dance song but it's got this piano that like would you would really think at first listen would be at odds with the rest of the sound but it goes quite well i thought it was that's the whole album to me is this this juxtaposition of different sounds against each other that are really interesting nothing's hardcore like even when we're talking about like say dance tracks or rock no nothing is hardcore it's so finely balanced yeah it is very balanced a song that you would class as a rock song or a dance song will have a beautiful piano in it as well. Or there is just plain Janet with a piano on, like, say, two oh. tracks. Then there's, like, country songs. Yeah, there is. This a, album is track. so finely balanced. It is so lush. It is so optimistic and so deep and so perfect. I just – it is incredible. Did you get to catch up on the Jackson's Next Generation episodes, one and two? I think the new episode's coming out tonight. Thanks, Marco. we love you marco thank you us poor people in australia who can't access the show through proper means have to rely on marco um (laughs) but if it were in proper means we would totally support it. oh dude as soon as give us an option as soon as it comes out on dvd i'm buying it like well hope it does but have you been enjoying it loving it i've seen episode one and two i watched them the day i got back from europe and man it was just Really a, an incredible show to watch. I think I was actually messaging you as I was watching the show for the first time. And I was blown away and really shocked. It was very different to what I expected. When I went into the show for the first time, I thought it was going to be very upbeat the whole way through. I thought it was actually going to be all about 3T making new music and, and that kind of thing. But it's definitely not just about that, no, is it? It's a, th- a third of it is about that because it kind of it's got these three major story arcs that go through it, one for each of the brothers, and uh, like there is that in there. But then there's a lot of times in the show that are very real and very raw and dealing with very very real issues that people face every day, like weight issues. Weight uh, issues, relationship issues, yes. mo- money, bills, family uh, issues, family health. issues, health. Yeah, there's some big stuff in this. It's so, like you said, it's very raw. It's very raw, and you need to be prepared if you're going to watch it that it's going to be pretty emotional. Because there were times in it, seriously, where I was tearing up. Like, and I was tweeting. I, was, I messaged you during one of those times. Yeah. Um, where I was like, oh man, because it just really drove home. Like. This is, you know, the stuff that people face every day, and the Jacksons are no different. But when the and sh- people don't know that, like because of this show, people are learning this is the reality, not what people are reporting and reading in the media, because it is so far from the truth. That's right. And the thing that I love about the show is it'll take you through ebbs and flows, uh, peaks and valleys. It'll be one moment will be hilarious. You'll be laughing your head off at something that's happened on the show. It might be an interaction between the brothers or something like that. And um, Prince, usually Prince, Prince is like, in the funny They scenes. might be playing paintball or something like that. Or Royal, he's pretty funny. <laughs> and then the next minute, it'll be a fight between one of the brothers and their wives or something like that. And you're like, whoa, whoa, that's, you know, 
heavy and then it'll be back to being happy again. So it takes you through this emotional roller coaster from the start to the finish of the show, which I think is actually really effective. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a very, very special show. And if you're a fan of the Jackson family uh, and, and, you know, Michael as well, like you need to watch this show. It's great. They reference um, their uncle Michael a lot. Mm. I think I think maybe the basis of the show initially was to get the truth out about Uncle Michael, but to do that, you have to talk about the family as well. So it's a beautiful show. It's very well produced, very well put together. Um, I'm loving watching the Three T Boys Hello Man Crush Monday <laughs> on the TV. <laughs> the hotness of the Jackson brothers. Um, They're very good. You know, looking. I'm loving. They are those jeans. Damn, damn, baby, <laughs> as Janet would say. So, um, no, it's a really good show. It's very entertaining. It's a heartwarming show. It's real, and yeah, it's beautiful. And they're doing a great job. I, can't, I don't know how long it goes for, um, but we'll be watching it from afar. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if there got to be a season two? That'd be really cool. Oh, I just I can't get enough of it. It's like you're keeping in touch with members of the Jackson family. Like. And it's and the best part about it is, I find I feel really I don't feel bad watching it. Like if I watch some paparazzi footage on TMZ of Jermaine or something getting out of a car and talking about something, like I feel a bit bad because it's like, well, did Jermaine actually have a say in whether this is coming out or not? But this show, it's like this is what this this has got the approval of the family for us to see. So I feel comfortable watching it. Yeah. Totally love it. We'll be talking about it again. So, what's been what's been your favorite moment so far on the show? Um, I loved probably the most heartfelt for me was when um, Catherine was talking about the boy's mum, the late mum Didi. Yeah, that was a really beautiful moment. Um, I thought I was really proud when TJ told his brothers about little Rio mm. and why he wasn't. TJ does so much. Like, you know, he looks after, like, he's got nine kids that he's responsible for. And that's the premise of the show is that Tarrell's, like, wanting 3T as a band to continue. And he's like, let's go, let's go. We've got to record. We've got to put stuff out. This is my livelihood. Let's do it. And he's got this passion for music. And TJ's like, well, I really want to do that. But right now I have all this responsibility around me. I'm, like, you know, guardian to Michael's three children and all of this other stuff. So he's got his own children. And and then Taj has got, you know, he he has his heart in the music as well. But then he also filmmaking is his love and his promise that he made to Michael before Michael passed that they would work on that together next. And the fact that he defends Michael's name so much, he does an incredible job by doing that. Um, I I just I love them all. They're such good guys. They're real. They're you know, it's incredible to watch the realness of this show and just get to know the real story behind these these gentlemen oh. and their families. And the Jackson family as a whole, and just, just I think another highlight was just um, you know when when Tito comes in to see the love oh. from the different generations, <laughs> yes. like you know from Papa T down to you know to Royal and stuff like that, and then when um, all the boys went camping, yeah, as well, just to see the the strength of the family and strength in numbers, and just you know like they credit Catherine and Joe for making their family, rightfully so. And the respect within that family and the love. And we can, like, all learn a lot from 
this. There were some funny moments when one of the cousins, I think it was Siggy or oh no, I can't remember which cousin it was. But I he, think it was Siggy. He was like, oh, um, we have to credit all of the dance moves out now on the Jacksons, including, oh, what was the one he said? The, was, the bump, the twerk. The, the, the twerk. And then oh, Prince was yeah. like, no, no, we can't take credit for the twerk. That's the one we can't take credit for. <laughs> yeah, there's some really good moments. Oh, uh, yeah, there's some awesome moments and. Yeah, very much recommend the show to everybody to get to, to watch. Um, it's on the Lifetime Network, I think, in the US. Uh, and if you're overseas and you don't have access to it, mm, there's a guy on Twitter called Marco that you should start following. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we can really say. <laughs> okay, episode 19 very special one. One that I couldn't be there for, unfortunately, but the first episode that you recorded all on your lonesome. You had to operate the technology this time. Oh my God, it was terrifying <laughs> and I still have no idea what I did and I would not be able to do it again without another three weeks worth of lessons. <laughs> well, you did a great job capturing the Lavelle Smith uh, interview. That's All right. It was our- for our uh, Thriller Night episode celebrating uh, Halloween and uh, what we celebrate as Thrillerween. You were so lucky getting to talk to Lavelle all about the the Ghosts short film that he worked on with uh, with Michael for. And we also heard some other incredible stories about different uh, different shows that he was a part of and choreographed with Michael. It was a really good episode, and I was super super happy that it worked out and that it recorded properly and at the end we checked and it, it was like I was terrified that it wasn't going to have recorded or something. What about that awesome story he told where he was actually on fire and somebody saved him? That's right. You should check this out. Ghosts itself has some truly unique choreography, um, like mm. what, what we call the hanging man move. Yeah, up, for that. example. See, people got that when, when I did it. I, it was probably at the end of the day, and I think the next day was the day he wanted to see something amazing, right? And I thought, well, I'm just going to pull it all out. There's, you know, the, like, like Michael always says, there's no such thing as wrong, so just go for it. And, you know, it's always better to come back than to not go far enough. So I went all the way there. I didn't think anybody would get the hanging man, but I guess it was that obvious. I'm not as, as, um, yeah, as smart as I think I am, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I love that. I loved it. I so loved it. was there a meaning behind that particular move? Or and was there meaning behind other moves maybe that we haven't picked up on as much? Dead. Just dead. Dead. Yeah. You know, I, I, I never did anything. Well, that's not true. For a ghost, I never did anything that was um, political or about Michael's life or anything like that in Ghost. No, it's purely scary, monsters, ghosts, spirits, and how they got that way yeah each ghost had to have a story and i think i talked about that with all the dancers you know i don't want to sit here and tell you a backstory but you're all dead for a reason and you need to you know need to know that reason and you need to figure that out for yourselves and i think they all did that and it really showed in their performances but yeah the hanging man was yeah hanging man no i think yeah the ghosts definitely had their own characters and definitely their own vibe which was very identifiable it was awesome Did you, in one rehearsal or something, sort of catch fire? Oh my gosh. Two rehearsals, but yes. A couple times. What's the story there? Well, 
I think it was, I don't, yeah, it was definitely a rehearsal for, it was on stage camera blocking for Dangerous. And, um, you know, I, I was the guy, I was the guy that stood in front of him and got, you know, shot down the back, right? Well, this time, I guess the remote didn't work. And so when I fell on my back, I felt them go off, but I didn't really equate it to anything. I thought, okay, they go off. But my eyes are closed, right? Waiting for him to start. And then I hear this person running over to me and takes me and just rolls me over and starts patting my back. I was smoking. I didn't even know it. You know, I was on, you know, I wasn't on fire, but I was smoking. My jacket was smoking and he rolled me over and was beating, beating the uh, sparks out, I guess, with his hands. And he said, um, you know, sorry, I scared you, but he's like, I know how that feels to be on fire. And I thought, oh, that is awesome. You know, because I was laying there with my eyes closed thinking, you know, thinking nothing. Hmm. That's happened a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Strong man. He actually rolled me over and was like beating my back with getting out those little sparks, little, little things. And yeah, I was like, thank you. And of course, after that, we laughed. But at the time, he was very serious. Like, I know what it's like to be on fire. It's not cool. So, but after, yeah, we laughed. He was like, boom. And so, pat, 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 pat. It's like, what is going on? Yeah. So what was episode 20? Was that an important one or what was that? 20. Let me hang on. Episode 20. Holy Jamboli. This was like our biggest and most awesome episode ever. This was our interview with Taj Jackson. Crazy. I still, I actually listened to the whole thing today. Did you? Because, yeah, because, you know, like I've been selecting the clips for the, the special episodes. And when I was listening to it, oh man, I was just like, just kind of in a state of shock. Like we actually managed to secure this interview and talk with a Jackson family member. I still feel totally humbled that we, we got to do that. I just, the stories that we got to hear from Taj just still blow my mind. Like there was so much revealed in this episode, uh, like a, and a quite a number of sort of I guess you could call them scoops. We exclusives. never we yeah we never angled for any scoops or exclusives, and we would never sort of really do that ever. But it was just such a great episode, and Taj was so open and honest that that things just sort of came out that we had no one knew about before about the the, the sort of the missing three two album with someone's involvement in that about film projects that Michael had spoken to Taj about that they would like to have worked on in the future. Like, this was incredible stuff. In the discography section of your website, 3t.com, it states that Between Brotherhood, which was 1994, and Identity in 2004, you guys actually recorded another album, but it was never released by Sony, uh, was that because of a strained relationship between like MJJ Music and Sony, or what was it like as a group trying to balance your relationship with your record label and your relationship with your uncle? That was hard. That was hard because yeah, it was a strained relationship between my uncle and Sony, and we were under my uncle's label, but we were distributed through Sony, and so it was kind of like a loyalty test. You know, Sony's like release your album, release your album, and 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 we didn't know 
you know, our uncle didn't want us to release it because he thought that Sony would um, tank it uh, on purpose to get back at him. And so it was a holding period. We basically had finished an album that basically couldn't get released. And um, we sat there and watched other groups that we had toured with in Europe come to the States and explode and, you know, sell millions and millions and millions of albums and sell out, you know, um, places. And we were sit- we were stuck literally stuck and um the only way we could have gotten out of our contract was basically suing sony and our uncle and that wasn't going to happen because we knew exactly even if we had talked to him and said this is what we're going to do the media would have had a frenzy with it and so we decided just to hold and we did what happened to the tracks and the music from the album did any of it make it onto the new album that album holds a special place in our heart um we actually uh, did get the album back and we are debating what to do with the album because it's such a special album to us. And, you know, it's an album that um, that we worked with and that our uncle was in. I don't want to say he was involved in it, but he was, you know, I'm not a, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but he, he, he was involved. I mean, he listened to every song that we had on that album and he had influence on it. And um, some of the songs that made it were because he loved them and he would tell us what to, you know, improve on, you know, um, I'm, I'm skating around the issue. Cause I don't think contractually I'm allowed to say that he helped produce it, but, um, so take it for what you want to take it. But he did definitely, um, hear the whole album and he made his comments and structured that we structured the album based on what he had t- taught us. I think ultimately it'll be up to you guys whether that ever comes out. But I got to say, the fan community of the Jacksons—that is something that would be an incredible release. I'm I I look at it's hard. I'm I'm the big supporter that wants it to be released. My brothers are kind of on the fence. I think they it's such a special album for us because it is has it has memories of our uncle and his input in it that it has to be done right. You know, it can't just be thrown out there. And so I get it, what they what, you know, their hesitation. But at the same time, I, I'm so proud of that album. And I think, you know, some of our best work is in that album because it was straight out, straight after we had come off of a world tour, mm. we basically went and we started, we got all that influence from other countries, you know, and their music and what they were listening to. And we came back and we wrote this album and I'm very proud of it. And my uncle loved the album. And so... I'm just, you know, it's kind of one of those things like, come on, brothers, let's release it. But, <laughs> you know, I totally understand. It's got to be, it's got, it's a special album and it's got to be done right. It's got to feel right. Yeah. That's understandable. I hope we don't have to wait 10 years. Though. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. Well, I hope I don't have to wait 10 years because <laughs> I want to perform those songs too. So. so we're going to talk a little bit now with Taj about uh, Michael Jackson, his uh, uncle, uh, the king of pop. And I have a question here just about just uh, those early days, Taj. So even though you and your brothers were in the public eye from a very young age, for example, uh, the 2300 Jackson Street video or that uh, Donahue special I was talking about a bit earlier, it, it probably wasn't until the, bro- in the era of brotherhood that fans of the Jacksons really got a taste of 3T, especially with the music video for Why. Uh, can you tell us about the history of that song in particular, the recording sessions around it, and then ultimately the filming of the music video? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, the It's not that exciting of a story for the recording process. Basically, it was a song written um, by Babyface 
for my uncle's album. And he, um, he didn't have the room for the song. And so he kind of offered it to us. And we were like, are you serious? You want us to have this song that was written by Babyface and you want, and you're singing backgrounds on it. And so, um, we were so excited about it and we actually didn't record with our uncle for that, for that, um, for that song particular, the backgrounds were already done. And that's why it was hard because it was in a different key than we were used to because the song was already pretty much done. So we had to adapt to our uncle's key. Uh, so it's, it's a lot higher than we normally were used to. Nevertheless, um, we sung the leads on that song or resung the leads. And it was just, it was an, it was such a great gift that our uncle gave us. And that even that baby face gave us, you know, it's like, I just, I look at that song and I'm like, you know, our uncle did certain things in his life to kind of say, okay, I want you guys to succeed. And he always, and it wasn't as, Michael Jackson, you know, the, the musician, it was Michael Jackson, the uncle that he would do these things for us. And so I'm just really appreciative of that aspect of it. But, um, the music video was a little different. The music video, (laughs) he kept goofing off in the music video and I'll never forget that. We were like, we were, we were so serious because it was like, you know, this was like our video and we're like, and our uncle's in it. We didn't even know if he was going to show up or not, not because he's ever flaked on us, but it was like still <laughs> surreal. It's like, our uncle's going to be in our music video. Is this really going to happen? You know? So it was like, until he, we saw him and we're like, he, he's there and he, you know, we were, it was like, and he went straight into play mode. You know, that was the thing with our uncle because that's all we did when we were with him is we cracked jokes. We watched three stooges, you know, pranks and all that stuff. So he was doing that in the videos. He was in that play mode. And we're like, no, we have to sing. We have to, you know, this is, this is a music video. This is our video. So we're trying to be serious and he's trying to make, you know, make us laugh. And he knew what it needed. And that, cause he wanted to capture our dynamic. And that was the thing. You saw that. You saw the dynamic that we have as, as nephews and, and him as our uncle. And that's what was captured in that. And he knew that, that we didn't know. And he was bringing that out of you during the filming. He was bringing that out to the point. He was so silly. <laughs> like, I mean, some of that stuff is not even captured on there. Like, I mean, he was being really silly and making us laugh. And it was just like, those are the fond memories that I remember of that music video. You know, I have so many memories of that in my life with him. But in terms of for that why music video, that's all I remember is him making us laugh. <laughs> and us being like, no, you have to be serious. We're, you know, this is our video. And he, But he knew. You know, he always knows. And he always did know. You mentioned just a, a few seconds ago that you re-sung the, the leads there. Now, one of the biggest mysteries in the, in the Jackson fan world is whether there is a solo version of Why Sung by Michael that actually exists. I don't think there is. I, I, I don't think there is. I know there's one of, with ba- Babyface, hmm. but there's no, I don't, my, my uncle only sung the backgrounds. I'm, I'm 90% sure. Now, I could be proven wrong. But I don't. It, I don't think it exists. I think it was only um, baby uh, face. But, but I could be wrong. That that's a Terrell. Terrell might be like, nope, you're wrong. You know, there was because <laughs> Terrell's like the fact checker of everything of of us. But um, so don't hold everything I say. But I don't remember it. I don't remember hearing. Even though I do remember, he did sing. You know, we did have his last vocal on there. You know, his last. You know, his last. Tell you. Tell me why. Yeah. Um. So. Maybe there is something of him in there, but I don't. I know that the parts that we sung to, it was Baby Babyface's uh, voice that we were hearing 
when we were mimic not mimicking, but when we were trying to figure out the lyrics. Re-recording. We didn't even have, yeah, we didn't even have the lyric sheet. So we were basically <laughs> <laughs> listening to what was being sung and then re-singing it. So episode 21, we had another Aussie accent on the show. We had our friend Jacob from Adelaide on the show, and he was Radelaide. <laughs> Radelaide. We had three Aussie guys, thunder from down under. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly was a Man Crush Monday. It's been a bumpy ride. Definitely. You guys want to hit something embarrassing? This yes, is, this is always. pretty bad. Did you? You guys have got a. I, I wonder if you can compare to this. You probably can. But like, did you guys ever wear any like Michael, like trademark stuff to school? Like, white yeah, socks? I used to wear. A, yes. I used to wear yeah. a black glove, and everyone would go, "What oh. happened to your hand?" Oh, really? Go, you did a glove? <laughs> I didn't. I had. I had finger. Like, I had um, like uh, band aids on my fingers. Yes. I did that. Had the white socks. <laughs> I, I did finger tape too. <laughs> I don't know if I did finger tape at school. Cool, but I at, in high school in Queensland, I actually uh, in like especially in winter, I would have like one fake sort of black leathery glove, and I go, "Have you lost a glove?" I go, "No." They'd always go, "Boy, has my other glove?" <laughs> <laughs> See, I could never find the white finger tape, so I was always using like um, you know like whatever the supermarket skin coloured band aids were. <laughs> oh my god, that's fun. I used to go to the hardware store and get the white. Like sort of electrical tape. Oh, electrical tape. Why didn't I think yeah. of that? Oh, man. <laughs> but I didn't do that at school. I, I remember doing it, but not at school. Maybe just out of school going to the shops or whatever. But I do remember, oh, this is – thank. why have you brought this up, Jamin? Oh. <laughs> I used to wear white socks and black loafers with pretty much any outfit, even if it was shorts yeah. or a tracksuit or just – horrendous 90s fashion <laughs> it was like why am i look back and just i'd be wearing like this awful t-shirt and shorts and then white socks and black loafers that just did not go at all <laughs> that's great man like because i went to a private school we had to wear black long pants and like le- black leather shoes so i had no choice but to wear like 90 percent of the outfit anyway it was just a matter of adding white socks to it which i always got in trouble for but i was because... gonna say you would have gotten a little <laughs> bit in trouble ah anything for michael <laughs> well it was the, the white socks i saw on my friend um paul that that's how i made my first mj mate paul black actually yes another paul black reference another paul black reference we'll get him on one day but yeah <laughs> I, I worked at a supermarket and i saw this guy with white socks and black loafers and i'm like seriously really there's only <laughs> like certain amount of people that would do that and yeah got talking and that's sort of how I first met my first MJ mate. Totally. Jacob, I've got a question for you. I've got to know, were you like drawn, when you first got into Michael Jackson, were you drawn more to like the the dance aspect, the music aspect, like live performance? What what was it about Michael that really got you interested? What aspect of his artistry? Good question. Yeah. Um, I think it was definitely dance because just watching the kids perform Thriller. It was just, I don't know, something about that just drew me in. And I just, there was something in me saying, I've got to do this. I've got to learn how to do this. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it was definitely early on, like very beginning, it was definitely dance. And then what held on, uh, what uh, kept my uh, love for it was probably the music. 
um, that which like tied it up altogether. Super awesome. Yeah, episode 21 certainly was a lot of fun and it was great to have Jacob on. And from memory, I think it was Jacob where you got your MJ saying, wasn't it? That's right. Did you want to ruin it for me? Like I did in that other episode. That's right. My catchphrase <laughs> to counter yours. So thank you, Jacob, as always. for. Hang on, isn't it your catchphrase, Michael, on? Yeah. Yeah. You just, ruin it. You well, just ruined again. it again. Yeah. There I we know. go. Oh, my God. Seriously. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> so episode twenty two. That was a whole bunch of fun. I still like that was a listen to that laughing my head off. Game. <laughs> oh my god. So uh, much fun. I, I have to say, I I don't remember another episode where we had this much fun. It was so fun. Like there's so many laughs. And I always talk about Jenkins as if like if you guys want to listen to another great Michael Jackson podcast because we are certainly not the only Michael Jackson podcast. If you want to hear another great one, look up Moonwalk Talks. Get into that great host called Jenkins, rapper, music producer, awesome podcast host, and one of the funniest guys I've ever spoken to. Absolutely. Uh, awesome guy. We were in hysterics pretty much the whole time. I was cutting out when I was editing it. I was cutting out so much just like random <laughs> talk it was good fun. i was when we were sort of prepping the show with him it was so funny already and i'm like oh my god i hope that this carries on in the show that when we get on together we don't all just go yes let's serious talk mode. about michael stuff and things <laughs> no it was awesome but yeah do check out moonwalk talks it is a, another great podcast which i really enjoy listening to and yeah this was a really fun episode and yeah enjoy um, aside from Michael Jackson, who would be your dream guest on your show? Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson. That's a good one. <laughs> and I'll just say LaToya. <laughs> oh my God. That probably even better. <laughs> dream guest. Back when we started, we're like, oh, imagine if we could get our dream guest, who would you pick? And I was like, oh, I always wanted to talk to Darren Hayes about his tribute song, which we did, which was incredible. And one of my favorite episodes ever. And then LaToya Jackson, because I think she's so fabulous and it'd be just be the most entertaining show. I think we're, we're definitely working towards that. I think probably the dream guest for me um, Janet would be great. So talking to anybody really close to Michael when he was growing up from his family would be amazing in terms of, I think in terms of his artistic growth, like what he was doing in the studio as a musician later in his life in that, in that last decade, I think, um, an interview with Michael Prince and Brad Buxer would be incredible to find out the songs that he was working on that still the world hasn't, hasn't really heard. That would be an, yeah. an amazing experience. It would. We haven't um, put out our sort of email requests to people for season two yet, but um, yeah, so that would be yeah, a good guess for season two. <laughs> I, I do think, I, I mean, I think you guys for, could for sure get LaToya. I mean, because, I mean, I don't know. I love LaToya. Like, that, the, the show is like one of my favorites. I love that show. Um, is, it, is it still on? Does it, mm. is it like, yeah. Um, I think it was, it, was it, it I've only found two seasons. I only found two seasons. Yeah, so. it's, it's not being, I don't think it's being made anymore. I think the. Oh. Um, it's an American tragedy that they finished yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, you la guys la probably get Life with awesome. LaToya. <laughs> la 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 Life with LaToya. Oh, 
Oh yeah, you know what I, I was thinking the other day, uh, Jamin. You know, if you pronounce your name differently, it could be like <laughs> it's gonna sound ridiculous. Like like Jamona. Jamona. You know, like like he's like Jamona. I know, I know. No, I've often thought about that myself because you know, big MJ fan. I'm always like, oh yeah, I could say my name in that way. Like, hey, I'm Jamon Bull. What's I'm up? <laughs> <laughs> He's got a cool name, like Bull as the last name. You're not going to mess with him. <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh, Lavelle liked that for some reason, didn't he? Did. He, was, he was talking about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that his real name? It's like, yep, that's his real name. <laughs> I got a, I got an embarrassing confession to make. If you guys want to hear it though, about Always. my name. Okay, this this is pretty crazy, but my name, um, my parents when they called me Jamin, I'm pretty sure they just mixed together two names. They just thought, all right, let's let's blend Jamie and Simon or whatever it was, and they thought let's create this new name. They were really happy with it. They didn't realize that actually in Spanish that already is a word and it's pronounced jamon, and apparently it means ham. <laughs> so- <laughs> well, that just means you're delicious. Oh, thanks, thanks, you're thanks. so scrumptious. I love me some glazed ham. <laughs> so, whenever I meet somebody Spanish, like, for example, I teach this student, this little kid, he's, he's from Colombia, and he speaks Spanish, and he's laughing at me all the time because he knows my name means, like, ham. That's so, awesome. <laughs> pretty bad. <laughs> and uh, I guess we're closing out the show, so what, should, I, should I tell it now or should I wait till the end? I don't know. No, you could do it now. Okay. Well, if you want to check me out, um, or my my Michael Jackson podcast, it's called Moonwalk Talks, and you can go to moonwalktalks.com, or you can search Moonwalk Talks on your favorite podcast, radio, a bunch of different ones. Um, just search Moonwalk Talks. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at Moonwalk Talks, Instagram at Moonwalk Talks, um, and my name is Jenkins. Uh, and you can follow me at Who Jenkins on Twitter, or you can go check me out. I do rap music, kind of. I'm kind of a rapper at Jenkins.net. Kind of a rapper, hey? Awesome rapper. <laughs> Why don't you drop us an MJ rap right about now? Oh, oh, an MJ rap? Oh, geez. You know, I, I saw you guys. <laughs> I saw that on the Twitter thing, and I was like, oh, geez, because I'm not very okay. You know, I'll I'll try. Hold on one second. My my computer just uh Okay. All right. All right. Let me think. Let me think. All right. <clears throat> Here we go. Jenkins, real talk, hip hop brat. But you know I'm never fake like a Casio track. I'm dangerous. Really think that you can beat me? I'll moonwalk on that ass with a woo and hee hee. <laughs> <laughs> These rappers are a joke, man. It's such a silly scene. While I'm hanging with the groupie, you can call her Billie Jean. Diana is my side chick. She dirty and I likes it. Susie sexting on my cell phone on some sly shit. She kind of like a bank because she taking my deposit. But everything we do, we got to keep it in the closet. But really, we can never say goodbye. We do these shows to keep his name alive. So really, thank you for listening. Hope you had a blast. Moonwalk Talks in the MJ cast. Whoa! <laughs> oh, that, that was epic. Mate, that was <laughs> so good. <laughs> the Casio Love track it. line. Oh, 
<laughs> Moonwalk talks in the MJ cast. Oh, <laughs> that was so Dude, good. Dude, thanks so much. That was <laughs> that was awesome. How do you think Michael should be remembered? It's hard because I think that definitely he should be remembered for um, his um, his music. You know, <laughs> I mean, you can't not remember him for his music. You know, but I do believe that you know, hand in hand with his music should be his cause and and what how he cared about the world and how he cared about people and how um, I mean. There's just will never be anyone like him and his performing and his his heart and everything. It's like I just you know, we were blessed to have him. That's all that you know, that's the best way of putting it. And and I'm saying that as someone that's not his nephew. I'm saying that as someone that, you know, that appreciated him for who he was. Michael was a complicated person. He was a unique person. He was a different kind of person. How can you be this kind of a genius and not be different? and not be complicated, not be unique. I think you can't really respect someone unless you accept that they were human. And, you know, to me, the greatest way to remember Michael is to understand that he was a human being, that he made his mistakes, that he could be embarrassed, that he could misjudge situations sometimes. Uh, and then look at his upbringing how horrible and difficult it must have been to be perceived as a genius at the age of five who could support the family and get the family out of a low-income neighborhood, who was forced to sign contracts as a child, who was forced to rehearse till three or four in the morning, who was forced to, you know, go to adult clubs, strip clubs, uh, dance clubs as a child to perform, who had this enormous pressure that he didn't even probably understand because he was a child. He may have faced jealousy with family members and others that he didn't even comprehend because he was a child. And that he had the character and the fortitude to break away from that as much as he could and try and heal the world in many unique ways, to me just speaks volumes about this extraordinary human being. But remember, he was human. I wouldn't look at him as just purely godlike. I would say this was a sensitive, kind, decent, misunderstood person who did everything he could to make the world a better place and succeeded at it. And that's what I have to say. The first, uh, well, the introduction to the book is all about um, Michael as a dancer. And um, I do kind of talk about this, how um, you know, there's debate about whether Michael was a better dancer, singer, songwriter. Um, for, for me, um, I, it, it's his dancing. Um, I, you know, um, also, well, it's, it's, it's very difficult. That's why there's debate about it. It's very difficult. Um, but I think, you know, the amount of iconic, timeless um, choreography that he uh, created is just—I don't think anybody could um, could match that. But then again, you know, talking about uh, the, the, his um, efforts for charity as a songwriter, if you look at Earth Song. Um, biggest, that was his biggest selling UK single 
uh, was it number one for seven weeks, I think, here, in, in, including Christmas number one. Phenomenal. And, um, you know, and, you know, you know, nobody else has ever written a song like that, and I'm not sure anybody else could. Um, so, you know, by no means am I um, uh, kind of underrating his ability as a songwriter right? but, uh, or a singer, uh, but I just love watching him dance. I, that's my favourite bit. <laughs> awesome. I think so cool. I think I'd have to agree. You know, like I mean, I think Michael's a phenomenal songwriter and singer, one of the best of each of those that's ever lived, and probably my favourite singer <laughs> that's ever lived. But it's it's when I watch him dancing on stage in those concerts. You know, it doesn't matter which show. It's just that's when I feel like, wow. You know, just that. <laughs> but it's you know it's it's funny before um, before uh, started speaking to you tonight, uh, I watched. Um, the clip of uh, the Oprah Winfrey interview, where it was, uh, uh, it showed it showed when she when he dances for Oprah on the stage, and then he sits down on the stage and does his beatboxing and uh, sings some "Who Is It," and like, but all of the, I mean, this is why it's so difficult to differentiate between dancer, singer, songwriter, because just in that in that clip, it's all there. Yeah. And to be able to say oh, say which which bit is better is you know the fact that he wrote that how he wrote. Who is it with the beatboxing and doing the beatboxing and the lyrics to Who Is It incredible and um, obviously the, you know the dancing he does for her all of it is there and, and it's you know it's very very difficult to say which is the best because in that clip you know the, the beatboxing is just like it's other otherworldly you know it's incredible. you know I think it's getting there I think his legacy. Sadly, the day after he died, if you were on um, the Walk of Fame, if you were around Hollywood, if you were in America, and I'm sure it happened in Australia too, all around the world, you couldn't go anywhere and not hear one of his songs. And what, what was extraordinary was that all of the bull disappeared. All the tabloids aspects, all of the controversy, all the judgments, the criticisms, everything, for one moment, they all stopped. And everybody just remembered how extraordinary he was. And I think a lot of people felt guilty. I think there was a feeling of like, wow, we had him. You know, there's that famous Maya Angelou poem. Uh, do you know it? It's called We Had Him. Yeah, I think she read it at the... Um, no, it was read for her at his memorial at the Staples Centre, I'm pretty sure. That was the feeling, you know? It's like, damn it, you know? Look what you do. This is why you don't get good things anymore, world. Look what you did with what we gave you. Uh, it's a sad, sad realisation to have. And, and, and I think that his legacy, I think a lot of the bull is dying down. I mean, there'll always be, you know, scumbags. That's the nature of fame. There's always going to be someone trying to get a dollar, someone trying to make a buck. But at the end of the day... I mean, come on, I think his, his music speaks for himself. I mean, the fact that no matter who who you are, I don't know that there's a single musician working today that wouldn't quote him as an influence. Uh, the, the, the fact that we have music videos as a genre, it's, it's extraordinary. Like some of the live, you know, the combining live theatre, which is what Michael did when he toured, you know, video screens, um, you know, illusions, set pieces, dances, 
none of that existed before Michael in in the pop lexicon. So I think that the the legacy continues on. I think it's uh, I think it's in our DNA. He you know he was a dreamer. He you know he kind of like John Lennon. He he really wanted and believed that the world could be you know a peaceful loving place and you know parents should tuck their kids in at night and and he hated sickness and poverty and he wanted to try and fix all those things but you know one one human can't but he tried and and you know he was human he made mistakes he was just like all the rest of us but I think he should be remembered as somebody that was a great father. He loved his kids. He he uh, he was an amazing entertainer. He was so shy in the studios, and you know, unless you know, once he knew us, you know, then he was fine. But if we had a stranger or somebody new in there, he was so painfully shy. And then you'd see him on stage in front of sixty thousand people, and he was electric. So I, you know, he would. I would think he'd want to be remembered as a, you know, number one, a, a great father and and, uh, and probably a, a great brother and, and an amazing friend and uh, and a phenomenal entertainer and and, uh, and a humanitarian.
Hey, this is Taj Jackson of 3T, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. Just a special thank you as well for Brad Sunderberg, Dan Vigilobos, Jay Hoffman, and Lavelle Smith Jr., and Taj Jackson. Thank you so much for all of your contributions in 2015 to the MJ Cast. We've appreciated it so much. Big thanks to Tommy Organ, Marnie Carlson, Jerome Horn, and Austin Ernst for your contributions to the MJ cast in season one. So I hope you all enjoyed that little, uh, I guess, uh, <laughs> dance back through time over season one of the MJ cast. It was a good year and we, we had a lot of fun. And, and thank you for when we put out the call on uh, Facebook and on Twitter for some um, – some suggestions of favorite moments. We, we really appreciated the feedback we got from that very much. Um, not only people's uh, best of moments, but um, just your support of the MJ cast that you sent as well was really, really heartwarming to read. So really appreciate that. Thank you. There was um, one that I got that I'm just really quickly, if I can, Jamin, talk about it, it was uh, from, Bruce over on Twitter, shout out to Bruce. He sent something as his favorite moment that I certainly was not expecting, sorry, at all. And um, it was, he was so glad to learn that I was gay and I was like, what? But then I read his, his message and he'd been a fan since Thriller Days, but he'd only ever known a few other fans and none who were gay. And as a gay guy himself, uh, it always confused him why MJ didn't have a stronger gay following. So when he heard me just being myself, he said it was like finding a unicorn. <laughs> you unicorn, Q. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really funny because I was speaking to friend of the show, Damien Shields, a friend of mine, and um, he said that he actually sort of felt like the unicorn when I told him this story because uh, out of like – all the MJ fans that he sort of knows personally and in real life, there's only like yourself and is it what you and Dan Vigilobos that are the straight ones and all of the rest of his, like myself and TJ and Jesse and Jermaine, like he knows so many gay guys. It's just part of his life. So, so it's funny how like different sides of the coin there are for people. So, you know, yeah, people, you're not alone out there. And But, yeah, I was just really touched by that because I would never, ever, ever have expected something like that, like just talking with you on the show about Michael Jackson and that sort of it touched someone like that. So, yeah, so, you know, it was just a really nice thing. And so, yeah, you're not alone out there. <laughs> I thought it was great that Bruce emailed in and, and just thank you so much, Bruce. Keep e- emailing us in the future. I think you're a great guy. And yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's just crazy. It's it's trippy to think how much of an impact, uh, you know, our show can have on people. I mean, we just record ourselves talking and put it out, but we forget that there's actually people listening that think about the things we say, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that it will affect people like in ways like that. Like we've yeah. always hoped that, um, for those that didn't have MJ mates close at hand, that listening to this would be the next best thing. And I think we've sort of achieved that. So hearing how it actually affects people, that was pretty cool. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Bruce. So 2015, it's been a pretty interesting year. 
it has. It's been fun. It's been I've like highlights, I guess, for me. One was seeing the the Michael Jackson one show in Las Vegas. That was definitely a highlight for me. Yeah, and I think it's really been the year. I was thinking about this yesterday. I I really think it's been the year of uh, fan releases more so than official releases. Like Escape came out in 2014, late I think it was late 2014, and 2015 has really been like there's a, been a lot of things happen more. Uh, I shouldn't say fan releases. I should actually say non-official. You should probably just say, yeah, outside of the estate releases. Yeah, non-official releases. Like, we've had some amazing stuff. What about those? We've had some great books. We've actually had Sil Mortilla's amazing book, The First Book of Michael. Definitely one of my books of the year and two thumbs up, highly recommend. Definitely. We've also had Damien Shields' Escape Origins book, which- Incredible. I just- uh, so no. proud of Damien. Just so proud of him for getting that out. I just know how much work he put into it. It was it's not the sort of thing you throw together in a couple of days. Like he was he had actually left his job. He left his job to write this book. Sweating over it day and night, calling uh people that worked with Michael, transcribing interviews, traveling the world. Drafts upon drafts upon drafts of and I know that there was drafts upon drafts because I read pretty much every one of them. And I saw I saw the project start from just a few articles and it grew into like this giant masterpiece of, of work. And at the editing process, the sales process that he worked so hard on with James, the marketing, like there's guys, whether it's Damien's book or Sil, Sil's book or Chris Cadman or whoever it is, you've got to realize how much effort and selflessness goes into these projects just for us to learn more about Michael definitely pick some up like go to amazon go to ibooks kindle wherever you want to go first book of michael escape origins the maestro whatever it is grab a copy of these books and enjoy the christmas holidays reading about michael's art we also had some music we had the uh, tony suka unity latin michael jackson tribute project come out and that was fantastic as well definitely another highlight for me musically Yeah, my favorite Michael Jackson-related album of the year by far. I think it's awesome. I always love going back and listening to some of those Latin Michael Jackson interpretations like Smooth Criminal. Yeah, it was such a good album. I really, really love like Thriller, which I guess started it all. Uh, That's such an incredible track. I love listening to that. And I I really like, you know, the flashback to like Jackson 5 time, I Want You Back. (laughs) Yeah, there's some real quality on it. And I think – you really feel the love in it and it's such an incredible project worth supporting. So again, congrats to Tony and the team. And their latest video that they've put on YouTube, Billie Jean Live, is pretty astounding as well. So good. So cool. Another great uh, part of 2015 was all the Jackson releases that we had. We had new music come from Latoya Jackson, great remix EP. We had new music from Janet Jackson, the Unbreakable album. Amazing. Long-awaited, amazing album. It's a masterpiece. Masterpiece. Oh, I just listen to it so much now. It's it's brilliant. Uh, the Great Forever. Oh, how good is that song? I, <laughs> I just keep going back to that one. She sings in like a lower register and just, oh, just it's so unique and cool. This week I'm all about the damn, baby. Damn, baby. <laughs> <laughs> on repeat. Uh, chapter 3 by 3T. That's a, that's a really special release as well. Talk about long-awaited. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that one's been like a decade coming. Yeah, and 
worth the wait. We're so grateful to have a new 3T album. Uh, the Power of Love, Heaven, beautiful songs on that record. Make sure you pick that one up as well on iTunes if you can. I think it's only available digitally from memory. I don't know. I've actually seen a few pictures out there from listeners of uh, physical CDs. Really? I would yeah. love to own a physical one. I don't know where they're getting them, so maybe let us know, people, please. Or maybe buy two and send them to no. Q and I as a Christmas present. Jamin, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <sighs> I'm kidding. Scabbing free stuff. Honestly. Although we, we have been sent some really cool stuff this year. Like we've been sent books and quilt squares and incredible kind of, stuff. Yeah. Sandra, thank you so much for that uh, quilt square that you <sighs> made for us. And uh, Deb, thank you so much for not only the um, the books that you sent for myself um, and Jamin, but also the books that you sent to the competition winners in our uh, competition earlier this year. Your your book, Thirteenth of June two thousand five, um, and then the the t shirts you oh, sent us. It's so good. The glittery also, angel wings on the back. Yes, I see. And um, Linton Guest book that you found copies of. Which is out of print, and um, that was uh, that was an incredible read. It's not a new book by any means, but that was definitely one of my best reads of the year. Shocking and just um, so de- much detail. Yeah, the detail he goes into around the origins of Sony Music as a corporation and how they manipulated MJ. Oh, absolute must read. The Trials of Michael Jackson by Linton Guest. Get it today if you don't have it. Yeah, so thank you so much for that, Deb. We would never have expected any of that stuff ever, but we are so grateful. And not only is your stuff good, but we're just so appreciative of what you did for us. So thank you so much. So it's been a big year. We've had a lot of releases, uh, you know, even Tito Jackson performing again live, some great Jackson's uh, shows. Jermaine. Jermaine, his song. Yeah, Summertime Feeling. Oh, that's my, I'm going to say, you know what, if I had to rank my number one favorite song of the year, it'd go to Jermaine Jackson, Summertime <laughs> Feeling. It, I just, heavy repeat, man. It's on every morning. It's my wake up song. And don't forget we had Jackson's Next Generation. Awesome TV show. Learned so much about the Jackson family from that. And of course, out of that, we did get the the new album and and got to talk to Taj. So that was just incredible. That was a great, great highlight of the year. And it really was. I think we've said it more than once, but this year really was the year of the Jacksons. Wait, talk to who? Taj Jackson. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're a dwarf. <laughs> oh, that was the, actually not just the highlight of the MJ cast for the year. I think for me, it was like the the actual literal highlight of my entire year. Like <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> that was that was. Oh man, I still can't believe that happened. Yep, me either. So 2016. Where do How you are think we going to top go? it? <laughs> <laughs> Janet, Latoya, Latoya, Jermaine. Oh. Jackie, anyone. Come on, just come on the MJ cast. Yeah. <laughs> Any, like, Tarrell, TJ. <laughs> We're just rowing just wish list stuff out there, aren't we? Catherine, Joe, whatever. Just <laughs> ring in. We'll just have a chat. Carabay, <laughs> anyone. Who wants to talk to us? Shameless promo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know how we're going to top season one, but we're we're going to work at it for you for sure. We're going to do our best. We've actually already started reaching out to some of the people we'd love to have on for specials in 2016. And we're proud to say of the two people we've reached out to, both have said yes, but we're not going to reveal any names yet. Nope. 
Secret. Can we give a hint? Can we give a hint? If you want. We've got, so far, two yeses from two ladies. And one of them's not who you're thinking of, so sorry. That one's not going to happen yet. I just can't stop loving one of the guests we're going to have on. It's going to be fun. Mm. All right. So, 2016, what are we hoping for in terms of releases? For Michael? Mm. What do you think's coming? Uh, what do I think's coming or what do I hope for? Hope. What do I hope for is respectful releases. Uh, I would like an announcement next year that Spike Lee's going to do a thriller documentary. Well, I've actually heard rumours that he's not just working on, you know, having done bad and now off the wall, but actually a trilogy, including thriller. So so that would be my hope is we get that locked in. That would be my hope. Um, Music-wise, I don't know. To be honest, like some of the leaks that are coming out have been better than the yeah. official releases. So it's sort of... I don't know. I would, what I hope for would be an official release that blows me away and is awesome and respectful. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of what it is. Yeah. I think I'm the same like that. Like I, I will say though, that I'm kind of musicked out. I think we've got a lot of new quote unquote new Michael Jackson music last four or five years. A lot. Like if you think from 2010 to, to, to you know, 2015, we have got a lot, the Michael album, the escape album, um, so many leaks of songs. I think it's really time the estate and Sony do their best to put a stopper in the release of music for a good long while. Let the fans soak up and enjoy what's already come out uh, and let us recharge and uh, get ready for maybe some new stuff in the future. But right now, I think they should be focusing on things that are a little bit different, maybe some live performance stuff. Uh, who knows? Who knows? I'd like to see a concert come out. That'd be good. Probably the Triumph Tour to coincide with this off-the-wall release would be great. Is there any anniversaries next year? Oh, I don't know. What's next year? Next year is 2016. 2016. Dangerous? 25 years, is it? Um, Did that come hmm. out in 91 or 92? The album? Yeah. I think it was 91. If it was 91, the next year will be the 25th anniversary of Dangerous. Okay. Well, we've already got a Dangerous concert. Yeah. I would like to see some more live releases in good quality. Like Lord knows your wish list would be just full of Blu-rays and stuff. Give us a Dangerous World Tour concert first leg on Blu-ray. And that would be beautiful. Don't just do it dodgily though. Go back to the original film transfers from those concerts remaster them touch them up put them on a great beautiful blu-ray package with some commentary or some special features uh, great sound mix would be awesome and just you know that's the sort of thing that isn't just going to be here today gone tomorrow awesome for one year sort of thing a high definition michael jackson concert done properly is going to be really really special and popular so yeah that'd be cool i thought of something I would love for them to announce and then do a proper like Thrilloween special of like ghosts and making of and thriller and thriller 3D. I think, you know, bring it on next year. Yep. Give us the stuff we want in the regards to like for Halloween celebrations. Yeah. And maybe even to go with that, a Michael Jackson horror mega mix album. Oh, yes, that would never happen. But yes, that would be awesome. Imagine if you got a really great sort of DJ 
to do it, like a respectful one, like a music producer, maybe, I don't know, Corey Rooney or someone like that. And they actually put together all of the, you know, Michael Jackson horror songs stemming right back from This Place Hotel from the Triumph album, uh, Off the Wall, uh, Thriller, you know, what else is there? Um, Ghosts, uh, Threatened. Is it scary? Is it threatened. scary? All that stuff, put it into one, say, half an hour mega mix with elements of all of that stuff mixed in. Oh, that thing would be, you know, put it out for $4.99 or something on iTunes. That thing would be smashing the charts. Yeah, but yeah, Thriller 3D, you never know, might hear something next year. Hopefully. Wasn't there also rumors about History Tour 3D? <laughs> uh I actually know a little bit about that. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. Probably nothing. So that would be great as well. <laughs> I, I put it this way. I don't think it's coming. But I know that what they were testing apparently looks astounding. I'll just say this. High definition history world tour. Imagine a 3D version of Earth Song with Michael Jackson on the cherry picker coming out of your TV over you. Wow, that would like, be awesome. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to say any more, but it, don't don't get your hopes up. I don't think that project's happening, but I've heard that what they were working on looked incredible. Special thank you to Jacob Rathjen, Vera Sarova, Don't Give Up, We're Behind You, and Best of Luck for Your Important Mission in 2016, Anthony King, Kerry Ward and Michael's Dream Charity, and, of course, Who Jenkins for your contributions and for being part of season one of the MJ cast. For Dr. Pepper, hear the Jacksons featuring Michael Jackson. Drink Dr. Pepper and I'm proud. I used to be alone in a crowd. But now you look around these days. There seems to be a Dr. Pepper craze. I'm a pepper in the sunshine. I'm a pepper in the moonlight. Hey, this is really, really Brad Sundberg, studio engineer and technical director for Michael Jackson and host of In the Studio with MJ. You're listening to the MJ cast. Special shout out to Charles Thompson, Syl Mortilla, Damian Shields and Kerry Anderson. Thank you so much for all your contributions as special guests uh, and guest hosts on the show. We've had so much fun working with you in 2015. Big thank you to Mary Anthony, Karen O'Halloran, D. Francis, author of 13th of June 2005, who supplied our prizes for our first ever competition this year. Thank you so much. So as well as being a co-host on the MJ cast with Jamin, I also help look after the social media side of things. And we have such terrific interactions with literally hundreds and hundreds of people. It's, it's a joy to hear from our listeners. Uh, we love the emails that you send us and we love the interactions that we have on social media. 
So we've got a few people and I know we are going to have missed people and we're going to be heartbroken after this goes to air and when we remember who we've missed. So our apologies and if you are feeling that way, know that we are probably just thinking of you at the same time, thinking, oh, my God, we've forgotten. Insert your name here. So sorry, 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 drop us a line. But we do really appreciate you interacting with us and that you listen and support the show. So a few people, special thanks, Werner Gold, Maximilian Schroeter, Jacob Rathjen, Azar, Jay Hoffman, Sarah Angus, Deb Francis, Tyler Clausen, Tom Routerman, Simon Caruana, Sandra Ficus O'Brien, Sandra De La Vega Anderson, Madison Jones, Austin Ernst, Amy Evans, Barbara Leckman. Carly MJ, Marco Belletta, Samar, Mary House, Bruce Aguilar, Miss Ireland, Ala Huerta, Chris Cadman, Andrea Day, Art Rush, Debbie Longshore, Christian Newman, Maria Stanova, Kathy Anderson, Mariana Erica, Denise Purcell, Carol Crawford Anderson, Belinda O, Alessandro Gaudiasi, remixed by Nick, thank you so much, Leanna Norquest, and all the people who have emailed us, we thank you. Well, that's a wrap for 2015, Q. How do you feel? Tired. (laughs) No, I feel satisfied and and tired. Yeah, it's been a huge mission we've undertaken. I think at the start of the year when we started the MJ cast, we had no idea it would grow into being something as big as it has. And uh, I don't think we realised how much work it would be. No, (laughs) we didn't. We didn't at all. But I also think we didn't realise how rewarding it would be. Do Mm. Do you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. It's 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 given me like I don't know if it sounds too sentimental, but it really has added a whole purpose um, to what I do. In addition to my career as a teacher, like I really do think of the MJ cast as a very central and important part of what I do now as a person. So I think the MJ cast ended up giving me some direction. Like I had always supported Michael and done all I could at various times. To, to do what I could to just go out there and give Michael my all. But after he passed, I guess my Disney obsession sort of filled in a lot of the gaps that my day-to-day Michael activities were lacking in. So, yeah, this really gave me some direction and it's been so fulfilling and I really enjoyed it. And, it, yeah, it's sort of balanced out my obsessions again. It's given, like, my love for Michael... A, a sort of a purpose and, and a voice I, you know I, not that I needed to have a voice and not that I, I want to be a voice for Michael but just me saying what's in my heart yeah definitely it's been an amazing year and we can't wait to continue on in 2016 we haven't really spoken about it officially on the MJ cast yet but the uh, I guess we do need to tell you guys as listeners that we are going to be taking a bit of a hiatus a bit of a break over this uh, holiday period not too long. Not Don't too worry. long at all. And you've Just got so many episodes to go back and listen to again to fill in your time. But uh, we will be taking the next couple of months off. This is something that we're going to build into our schedule every year. Um, this is 
absolutely necessary for any podcaster to take a little bit of time off every year so they can recharge, re-energize, and do a lot of housekeeping, clerical type stuff. Like over this break, Q and I are going to be upgrading a lot of our technical uh, side of things for the MJ cast. We're going to be reaching out for guests for season two, some very exciting ones already lined up. Uh, so we, we need to do a lot of that stuff uh, ready to re-energize and return roughly, probably I would say early February or something like that. That's right. And it's really only the episodes that you're going to be missing in that time. We're still going to be online. We're still going to be on social media. Uh, you can still reach us by email. So, you know, drop us a line on our Twitter or Facebook, Instagram. And if anything really big happens, you'll be hearing from us. <laughs> Absolutely. So also keep your eyes peeled online. Uh, definitely across our social media, we'll be letting you know. But also over at themjcast.com, we're going to be putting out a survey. So, of course, this is a show by fans for fans. So we're going to be putting out a survey just to get some direction and some pointers and just some insight in how season two and going forward, the future of the MJ cast can be better. Please make sure you jump on and do that survey. All the feedback uh, that we can get, the better, and the show will improve for the listeners. So, of course, you can find us online at themjcast.com, but we are across many different platforms. We're on Facebook as The MJ Cast. We're on Twitter as The MJ Cast. Over on Instagram, we are The MJ Cast. Over at Tumblr, you can find us at themjcast.tumblr.com. We are on YouTube as Plus The MJ Cast, and we love your emails. We really can't get enough hearing from you via email. They all get read. So email us on themjcast at icloud.com. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Make sure that you go to themjcast.com and follow the links to subscribe to our show. Uh, it's much, much easier to subscribe to us as a proper podcast through a podcast application like iTunes for iOS or even um, Pocket Casts for Android. If you subscribe to our show as a podcast, you won't have to go to our website every time you want to listen to an episode by clicking play. Basically, what will happen is our show will be delivered to your device every time we release a new episode. You can hit play on it and pause it whenever you want and come back to it where you were up to when you last finished listening. Uh, you can Bluetooth it to speakers in your car, wherever you want, all that kind of thing. Make sure you subscribe to the MJ Cast as a podcast and enjoy the show that way. Well, there we go. That's the end of the MJ cast for 2015. Season one is in the can. <laughs> Can't believe it. <laughs> Just want to wish everyone, all of our listeners, a very Merry Christmas. Make sure you enjoy this holiday season with your family. Uh, make sure there's a lot of love and joy and you're enjoying each other's company, uh, ready to recharge for another big year in 2016. So, of course, go and listen to the Jackson 5 Christmas album. Be with those you love. Spread love where you can. Thank you, everyone, for listening and for being part of season one of the MJ cast. It has been a pleasure. And uh, we've, had, we've had a ball. So thank you, everyone, for being a part of that and for making the MJ cast what it is. So Merry Christmas and have a wonderful 2016. And I can't wait to talk to you then. Stay safe, listeners, and keep Michael. Thank you everyone, Michael on. Sing away, sing along, sing
welcome to our Thriller Night special episode of the MJ Cast. Happy Thrillerween to all our ghouls and gals out there. <laughs> oh yeah, you 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 told me, Jaymon, uh, that you 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 speak French, right? <laughs> I definitely do not speak I, French. I didn't forget. I said. <laughs> I said that your English is better than my French, and that's, I mean, I've got the worst French in the world because I can't say anything in French, but... <laughs> but but you, you, you know the French version of I just can't stop loving you, right? You know it. I definitely do not, but I can see that yes. you've, you're, you've sent us through the, the, word, the <laughs> French words on how to say that, and I think, yeah, it's probably time that Q and I have a go at saying some French. We're going to embarrass ourselves <laughs> atrociously Yeah, Do you want me to go first, Jamie? You, well, I can say the first one he sent through. It's like, a, I, I think it's uh, Jamais Michael Jackson. <laughs> what is, I don't know what the, that even means. Is that, I don't know what that word means. Is that, is that right or not? Jamais? Jamais. Jamais Michael Jackson. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Jam Michael Jackson. Oh, Jam. Jam. <laughs> oh, that means I love Michael Jackson. Okay. And then there's this big long oh, one. I don't this know. It's difficult. There's an X in there. I don't think you say the X. I'm pretty no, sure. I know. But it still looks scary. So, je n'ai ve pas la fin de nous. La fin de nous. La fin de nous. Ah, well. Like, I don't, want, I don't want the end of us. Awesome. Sounded really good. I don't think we need to do that again. Good. Um, okay, so then the music happens, blah, blah, blah. And... <laughs> I'm going to leave. I'm going to keep that. You know I'm going to keep that. <laughs> Why do I keep putting myself in these situations? How do you come with that name? Is that his Jamin Ball? Jamin Ball. Yeah, Jamin's his first name and Ball is his... Jamin. Yeah. yeah. Jamin Ball is his last name, really? Yeah. That's awesome, dude. The thing that's impressed me the most, it's, it was an absolute pleasure reading your book recently, I, I must say. Michael Jackson What was that? Did my Siri just go off and start talking about Siri, Michael Jackson? Siri wants <laughs> to be in the episode. I don't know. Oh, Siri. I, I, I'm pretty sure I don't sound like that, but I don't, that wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I think I might have the, to leave that in. <laughs> the AI is taking over, boys. The AI is taking over. There's our show title, Hugh. <laughs> uh, video clips of cool stuff that I really loved at the time playing. Uh, Hugh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Damien's calling in. Hang on. Yeah, okay, answer it. Answer it all we're on air. Just send you a voice to text, bro. Did ya? Yeah, you should read it. Dude, we're just recording. You're on the air. <laughs> oh, you should read the, the voice of text out loud. Hang on a sec. Where is it? It didn't even come through yet. Well, away. Hey, Damien. I don't think... Damien can't hear you because you're on my earphones, Q. Oh, okay. Oh, hey, Q. Happy birthday. Thank you, sir. <laughs> He said, thank you, sir. Yeah, and the, and the, tech, the voice to text said, I'm going to crush your balls with a monkey wrench. <laughs> nice. You uh, officially can't put this on the show now. <laughs> <laughs> it actually says, I'm going to crush your testicles with a monkey wrench. 
what? Why do you want to crush my testicles with a monkey wrench? Just when it gave me an option to leave my 10-second message, that was what came to my mind. Wow. Genius. Yeah. I know, right? You know who doesn't have testicles anymore? Um, who doesn't have them anymore? Yeah. Uh, doesn't have any or just doesn't have one? Does, doesn't have any. They've been removed. Uh, and I know them and you know them. Yep. <laughs> Dave. The only common friend that we have that the male that I know that you know. How do you know it's human? Oh, you don't have a dog and your cat male or female? Yeah. Oh well, then one of your cats. One of my Come cats. On. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? You should have been. You should have been clear enough to know. Dave, Dave has no testicles. Dave, one of his testicles removed. Dave. Ah! Dave definitely has testicles. Yeah, I would imagine so. <laughs> Sandra, who is um, the MJ storybook quilt lady, actually from Chicago. Met her on the way to Chicago. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's being Very edited cool. out. <laughs> no, it's not. And if it is, it's ending up in the, the end of year special. Oh, no. Actually. Yeah. You know what? We need a rule. We need a rule. If somebody does something in the show, you can't. You can't really delete it forever. It goes in the Christmas special. <laughs> but it's funny. I was talking um, to our friend Damien Shields, and he was saying that he felt like he was the unicorn. Are you serious? Someone's calling my home phone. Can I get this? Hang on. Hello, Q speaking. Hi, Mum. Good. How are you? This is staying in the show. <laughs> no, don't you dare. Sorry, what was that, Mum? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, I've got the aircon on, like, a lot. Can I give you a call back in about half an hour or so? Because I'm in the middle of recording the show. That's okay. Talk soon. Bye. <laughs> Bye, keys, Mum. Love you. Either way, if it's fucking him, just present that it's him. They obviously can't, but they seriously, can't. that would, like, you know, just evidence either way, and then that's out there, and that's what all people need. We're kind of... Eddie Cassio can't prove it's him at all. Like In my phone conversation with him, in my FaceTime conversation, I was asking him to... Not to prove it, but I was asking him about the recording process and he was coming up with the most retarded lies you can ever imagine. Like the whole thing about, I said to him, why does why is it that there are actual real Michael Jackson vocals on the songs from like ad libs from all of his other records? Why didn't he just, re- why didn't you just record new ad libs with him with the alleged lead vocal that you could have included on the song? Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, oh, well... The thing with that is we didn't need to record new ad-libs because Michael came with a hard drive full of a bank of ad-libs that he wanted to use all the time. So we what? just used them instead. That sounds ridiculous. Oh okay, God. first off, as a, as a person that does music, that is a lot of unneeded work. It's like, if he really just has a bank of, of, of ad-libs that he used already and it's just like, like an ad-lib library, first off, you have to sync those up and then you have to tempo them. It's like... Of course, yeah, they have money to do that, but that would just—it's just unneeded. You could easily have Michael just go in there and do them real quick, and it, it'll take seconds instead of days, you know. <laughs> so it's just yeah, dumb. exactly. So, <laughs> he's an idiot. <laughs> well, you know, it's the, the, also this kind of ludicrous situation where you have somebody who comes forward and says, "You know, Michael Jackson, who hasn't recorded a complete song for about ten years." 
Well, in the space of about three weeks, he recorded an entire album in my shower <laughs> through a toilet roll yeah. tube. And then and then nobody's going, um, yeah, have you got any evidence of that? They just blindly accept it at face value. And then you have these crazy fans who are like, well, why don't you present some evidence that they're fake? And you're going, well, because I'm not the one who says that Michael Jackson recorded an album in my shower. That's why I don't have to present any evidence. If I'm going to say Michael Jackson recorded an album in my fucking shower, then I need to present... Because otherwise, we could all just go to the estate and sell him a bunch of shit, couldn't we? And just say, oh yeah, he recorded that in my cellar. Yeah, well, Michael... Well, he did. He sat under the dinner table, and he sang it through a traffic cone, and that's why it doesn't sound like him. (laughs) So true. So true. Is that a wrap? Did we cover everything, German? All right, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> oh, God. Don't have. Did you record that, German? Yeah, did you record <laughs> it?